Friday, January the 29th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope you've all had a nice week so far as we get set for a a really fun weekend. It's that week in between uh, the conference championship games in the NFL and the Super Bowl. So next week, everything will be Super Bowl overload. You're going to get Super Bowl on a bunch of different shows, podcasts all over the place, right? We'll have plenty of Super Bowl talk here. We'll discuss racing and we'll have a, a, a lot of the variety that you normally get on That's What G Said. Oh, I'm excited to talk next week about uh, WandaVision. I'm recording this late on Friday night, so I actually just watched the uh, the most recent one, but I'm not going to talk about it yet. No spoilers or anything. Just really excited to talk about episode four next week again with Tim Kelly. If you're into WandaVision, we recap the first three episodes on the uh, the last episode of That's What G Said podcast. You can go find that. And we spent, uh, I think, an hour and a half talking about everything going on in the first three. Tons of speculation. And uh, episode four is awesome. But that's for next week, for right now, for this episode. I'm going to talk some Sam Houston with Chris Griffin, track announcer. We actually recorded this interview uh, a couple days ago, uh, but, but there's nothing really that... I'm sensitive. We were mainly talking about the big week coming up, setting everything up for Sunday, what to look forward to. So uh, we'll uh, we'll touch base with Chris. Then I'm going to go through Saturday horse racing. There's stakes races at Gulfstream Park, at Oakland Park, at Santa Anita. So I'm going to talk Gulfstream. We'll hit on all those Gulfstream Park stakes. So races four, six, nine, ten, eleven, with some uh, thoughts on each and horses that I'm looking at who I think has a shot to win, maybe horses to bet. Some races, if it's chalky, we're more of just a, a watch, but definitely some some plays at Gulfstream. Oakland Park races five and eight, two stakes. Santa Anita, two graded stakes races, the fifth and the seventh. So uh, tons on Saturday all around. Then we're going to get you Sam Houston full card Saturday. Then I'm going to go full card Sunday Sam Houston with Sam Sherman. We spend over 45 minutes going through all 10 races for the Sunday Sam Houston card. It's the ladies classic day. It's their biggest day of the meeting. They have two graded they have two graded stakes races, six stakes races. It is a massive card. Two pick fives that you can play. They don't overlap. 12% takeout on the pick fives, 12% takeout on doubles, pick threes, pick fours, pick five, pick sixes, everything there on the rolling exotics. We are really excited to discuss that card. So Sam and I spent a, a good time going through it. We get the week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. We recap AEW, and then we give you a Royal Rumble preview with Chad. And then we get to the old wrestling rewatch, Royal Rumble 2002. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, a star-studded Royal Rumble event. Sam Houston, Saturday stakes races all over the place. And Sunday, Sam Houston, wrestling, current, wrestling, old. Another hodgepodge here on That's What G Said. We get right into our first interview with Chris Griffin in a moment. Before we do, we have to let you know about a big event coming up this weekend with Stable Duel. Here's talking about Stable Duel all the time, those daily horse racing contest, the app where you can get involved for, you know, free contest for as little as a dollar all the way up sometimes to 100, 150 for some of the big contests. So this week, you know, I'm a wrestling fan. I know some of you are too. If you're a horse racing fan, you'll love this. And if you're not a wrestling fan, it doesn't affect you whatsoever, but you can still have a chance to win money. It's the Stable Duel Rumble. It's a $30 contest where they give out cash prizes. There's going to be a it's a $500 guaranteed pool, but there will be much more than that. The top 30 
finishers of the contest, a normal stable dual contest that goes from Gulfstream Park for Sunday. Top 30 finishers are going to be assigned an entrant at from the Men's Royal Rumble based on your finishing position. You finish first, you got one. You finish second, you got two. It's just easiest that way. You finish third, you get three. Fourth, you get four. Hey, if you finish 30th and you get the number 30, that's a good number to have. 25, 27, those have been really good numbers through the years. So, the stable dual rumble. $30 to enter. If you win the contest, if you're one of the top finishers in the contest at Gulfstream, you get the normal payouts like always. If your entrant number wins the rumble, so if you're four and number four ends up winning the rumble, you're going to get another bonus $100 credit. And a wrestling prize pack. So you you can... It's not like you have to pick anything. You don't have to have any sort of knowledge of re, of wrestling to uh, to win or to beat someone like me who does know wrestling. You could have no idea who's even in the Royal Rumble. But you could just find out later that you get an extra 100 bucks and a prize package. So give this a look. The Stable Duel Rumble. Make sure to follow me on social media at It's Me Gino B on Twitter and Facebook, Gino Bacola, Instagram at Gino Bacola, and I'll be uh, posting all about this throughout the weekend. There's going to be a live stream on Sunday morning where we talk about building our lineups. We handicap the Sunday golf stream card and we give some thoughts on the Royal Rumble. So pumped for that one coming up and excited for the conversation with our good friend Chris Griffin, track announcer for Sam Houston. Does such a great job out there at Sam Houston. So let's uh, set up the weekend with Chris Griffin. Massive week over at Sam Houston. Our good buddy track announcer Chris Griffin joins us to discuss the big week coming up. And Chris, I got to say, um, on my end, as a fan, as a gambler, as a better, the uh, you know we checked in with you right before the start of the meet. For me, the first few weeks of the meet have gone really, really good. Um, it seems like there's been a lot of buzz on social media. A lot of people really interested and really excited to play the races at Sam Houston. Um, lots of interaction. Your handicappers on track have been doing a great job. How have things been on your end first few weeks through the meet? Yeah, it's funny, Gino. Good to talk to you again. But it's uh, it's interesting when you when you start putting things together and start putting plans together, and you're like, how do we, you know, make sure that we maximize our our footprint and get people involved and make sure they're paying attention to us? It it always looks great on paper, and it looks it sounds great during meetings, and then you just don't know how everything will kind of pan out until uh, they open the gates per se. But uh, things are going well. It's been a very good start to the meet. Horseman response has been great, and uh, social media response has been great. A lot of people talking about us and 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 checking us out on. Thursday afternoons and Friday and Saturday nights. And I think the, the low takeout is, has certainly helped from a wagering standpoint. I think it's very appealing to people that like to play horizontal bets. And I think that the quality of the competition has been very good. I think you've seen, uh, you know, you continue to see Steve Asmussen have a very nice meet with Stuart Elliott, but you've, you've also seen some other connections come in at, at, at prices to, yeah. to add some value. And I think that once you start seeing those types of things happen, then uh, you get more eyeballs on the product and you get more people that want to get involved. And uh, it's been very good. We had a little bit of weather last weekend, so it, it, it kind of messed with the uh, turf racing a little bit um, just because we had, you know, it's Houston. You get those those rain showers that push through and we really weren't seeing a whole lot of wind and a lot of sun. Um, so it just gives it, the surface it takes a little bit longer to dry out, obviously, when that's happening. So uh, right now, sun is out, sun is shining in Houston, Texas, man. And uh we're ready to roll. I'm very excited, and we got a lot of things coming this week, and uh, we appreciate your involvement and, and getting a lot of our folks 
down here in the Houston, Texas area on the show. And uh, we, we are excited. It's going to be a very busy week and a very busy Sunday. So I'm glad that uh, I'm able to get some time with you because I'm not sure how much time I'm going to have towards the end of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we're, we're lucky to have you for a few minutes. So, so let's set up the schedule for the week. This will be the first week that there's actually going to be four days of racing with Sunday, the big one. So we got regular Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like regular post times on, on those days. Yep, so we'll do normal post times on Thursday, about 4 o'clock post time, and then on Friday and Saturday we'll have our night racing. And then, yeah, it's a quick turnaround from Saturday into Sunday. It's going to be uh, our still Saturday night program, and then we'll roll right into Sunday afternoon with our only Sunday afternoon program, the Houston Racing Festival. So, uh, might sleep at the uh, racetrack, you never know. But, uh, no, you got the day I, game after the night game, right? It's going to say, you not you don't get the day off like the ball players that play that uh, night game, and they don't get the day game, they get the Sunday know. game off. No way for you, see? But you wouldn't have it any other way with the, the awesome racing coming out there. And it's a great, great day just to where i mean you guys have done a good job of where it lays lies on the calendar right it's perfect we uh, a lot of us out there that are racing fans that like to play a few bucks we're sports fans we're football fans too we're paying attention when the football playoffs are going on i know you're a huge fan too chiefs right i believe uh and, yeah, and so you, you're, you're gonna be paying attention in a few weeks but that's what's great about this sunday it's the in-between week. There's no football game this week. There's no big racing any really where else on Sunday. Sam Houston is going to be able to get the spotlight of the racing world and even some of the sports world with the big, big barns coming in, with, with the big jockeys coming in, with the big horses coming in. Um, really excited for that. And you even mentioned there's going to be a, an extra wager added uh, on the card. Yeah, it's uh, so yeah. I mean, you you you've said it all right there. You couldn't have said it better than than I could say it. But we're we're excited about the the spot that we're in on Sunday afternoon, and I think that we're going to attract a, a lot of people to check out our signal and watch us. And uh, we are promoting the heck out of it. So I think that uh, it's not going to be for lack of effort. You know what I mean? We're we're mm-hmm. we're all working really really hard down here to make sure that we do. Uh, everything we can to put on a great Sunday afternoon, great week of racing, you know, not just Sunday, but just a great week of racing. Two stakes on Saturday. And also keep everyone safe, you know, and, and follow the protocols and, and do that as well. So we're we're working all those aspects. And then, yeah, you talk about the early pick five. There is an early pick five added um, on the program on Sunday. And you don't see that normally uh, through our schedule. So the, the little kind of uh, wrinkle there is the one thing that for your wagering audience to remember is that in the early pick five, so it'll start in race number one. That'll go through race one through five, obviously. Race six will start the um, the uh, pick six, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, 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 I think so. No, race five is going to start the pick six. So they're, they're Okay, and then be, six. So yeah, yeah. Gonna, so yeah, they're going to start the pick six. I, I'm they won't, math. Yeah, they won't, they won't overlap, though, the pick <laughs> yeah. five. Yeah. No, so the pick fives won't overlap. So you're going to end that first early pick five in race number five. The pick six will start there, and then you'll have the late pick five beginning in race number six. Now, if there happens to be a carryover after the early pick five, that is going to carry over right into the late. Oh, pick that would five. be great. So, that would be yeah. so great. So oh, yeah. that's that's just something to to keep in mind. And um, we had that, I believe, happen before, probably a year ago or something like that. And and we we hope that you know you have plenty of time to take a look at the card. So if there is a carryover, you're already planning on playing the late pick five anyway. Uh, if there is a carryover after that early pick five, then 
uh, it'll roll right into that late pick five. And that and, was me last year. That was, I was my fault. I should have hit that one. I hit the pick four <laughs> that day for 10 grand, but I messed up on that. Should have taken the whole pool. I still remember we as betters. We always remember those ones more than the ones we hit. Right. We'll always, right. Forget, we'll always remember the one that we would have, could have, should have, but, uh, Sunday, six stakes races, two graded stakes races, and we get some cool horses, some really big name horses. We have Latruska coming in, who has been razor sharp. You have last year's winner coming in. And what's great about this race is it's early in the, the year now, and both of these races, the John B. Connolly too, and the Houston Ladies Classic, the last few years, they've been serving as such a springboard for horses, right? We talked a little bit with Martha about Midnight Bisu and this is such a great spot on the card with where this could lead into some of these horses going to run in the big stakes races at Oaklawn. It seems like people are sort of circling that as as you know as a move now. They're they're using this race and they're mapping their calendar around starting at Sam Houston with the Ladies Classic. So it feels like you're getting just top name and big name horses each and every year now. Yeah, it's 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 grown, and I've been very spoiled as a, a track announcer to be able to get Midnight Bisu my first year calling the Houston Ladies Classic, and then to be able to get a uh, a four horse you know thriller to the to the right wire on the wire, yeah. And Lady Apple getting up, and uh, yeah, you sometimes have to pinch yourself and you just say, man, this is this is very this is great. It's great for the region. It's great for the racetrack. It's great for the state of Texas, and um, we've got some real quality quality fields on Sunday. And it's just going to help our overall product at Sam Houston Race Park for the season. And so we're we're excited about it. Um, I we've got a lot of people handicapping and giving selections, you included. Um, the the history behind the John B. Connolly Turf Cup and and Mike Maker is going for a, yet another one, and you'll probably see him. You know, very if if not with the top two choices, you know, he's definitely going to have live live shots in there. Um, and then, yeah, you talk about a horse like Latruska, and they, they probably are going to point to some grade ones after this race. And so, yeah, it's been a very good starting pot sp- uh, spot um, for those connections that are that are looking for some nice money, $300,000 in, in the Ladies Classic and $200,000 in the John B. Connolly Turf Cup. And don't forget about the Texas Turf Mile. I mean, that's yeah. going to be a race that really just, I think, is going to develop into something really big here in the region. I just think that uh, for three-year-olds on the turf going a mile, it's just a really really great spot unique spot especially during the winter to be able to get a race like that and i think you see the response you know you see, you see a full field and then also eligibles uh that's that's where we where you want to be as far as you know getting those horses entered and, and and finding these connections and so uh the horsemen have done their job and they they've responded and and they are ready to run i will tell you we're not handicapping a bunch on this you and i but no before the Connolly and before the uh, jersey lily it looks like there's a lot of speed in all of the races leading, I mean, there are it should be fair, that right? Love to be on the front yeah. end. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of horses that like to be on the front end. So, uh, I think you know the Connolly has not a t- there. There are some speed types, but I just didn't see that quite as much as I saw earlier on the card. I mean, I started taking a look at the the Pulse Power Turf Sprint, and, and I started looking at the Stoner side, and just you know, even the Texas Turf Mile. I mean, there's some horses that really like to be on the front end, and. I think that you're going to see them go, and that's going to be a really exciting handicapping puzzle for you and your listeners to put together. And, uh, yeah, man, we're just looking forward to a lot of the coverage and a lot of people getting involved, and I think it's going to be a really fantastic day uh, on Sunday. 
Now I just got to call the races and get it knocked out, right? I was going to say, and we've <laughs> seen horses winning from all, all like all over the, you really didn't want to be on the front end as much, especially on the dirt. Horses can win all over the place, um, you know, coming from off the, off the pace too. It just is it's setting up for a really great week and we'll sort of keep our fingers crossed. And maybe, maybe we got the rain out of the way last week. So that way we could have a really great week this week. Um, how it looks with, uh, with four days of racing with big, big action. You mentioned, uh, the, even the Texas turf mile we've got eight stakes races between saturday and sunday you got six on sunday we've got a total of two graded stakes races there are four stakes races over a hundred thousand dollars so big money up for grabs and uh, again we got to give it up to texas chris this is this is not the only big day of the meet the 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 big days coming up after when we'll have you back to talk about and we'll give some love to the texas breads because those are those are sort of the focus on some of the other big days throughout the meet but just everything that they've done, Texas racing in the the last you know year, year and a half, uh, two years or so, with the uh, the purse influx coming in, and and Texas basically saying, you know what, we are going to do everything we can to continue to improve this product. They the the way the coverage of Sam Houston was last year, the um, the elevated broadcast, the HD, the just the the social media, everything. I really got to give it up to Texas, and I know you and I talk about this a lot because. You know, in, in racing, there's a lot of things now. As things get smaller and smaller, we're we're you know cynical as horse players. A lot of stuff that we have to complain about. There's not, as a fan, I I can't really complain a lot about what Texas has been doing the last couple of years. They are trying for me, and that's what I want. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a great response. The the state of Texas has has given a, a real big opportunity for. Not just Sam Houston Race Park, but the entire state, you know, yeah. and, and just across the board year round. And uh, I'm happy to be a small part of it. And we are we are doing what we can and we're working our tails off to get uh, all the coverage we can because it the sport deserves it. You know, if we can if we can get to talk to as many connections and shoot as many videos and, and find as much insight as we can, whether you're three to five or whether you're 25 to one, you know, I think it's it just adds to the experience of keeping eyes on us and, and being interested in what we're doing. And as you pointed out, Texas preview day and Texas champions day, we're looking forward to that as well. And that's going to be later on in the meet. And uh, this is just a great way to end our month of January. And, and we're hoping that we do some uh, really big things and just have a really great safe on safe surfaces uh, racing on Sunday. And uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and we just can't wait to welcome some folks uh, there will be some folks that, that are able to attend uh, in attendance, and and you're uh, always reminding them to stay safe. I hear you. I hear you uh, <laughs> telling them, please keep the masks on. Yeah, you just want to make sure <laughs> that it's that it's safe for everyone that you can that they can keep coming and that more people can come in as long as you follow the rules, right? Yeah, you know, I shouldn't be even chuckling about that, but no, I did, but it's yeah, true. I, I do, I do, I do get a lot of text messages from people about like, <laughs> you know, Chris, have you reminded everyone enough? Well, <laughs> the truth is, you got. You, you, you have to, you know, yep. and, and, and it's it's important to, to remind and reinforce and, and just keep uh, keep everyone safe. And that's uh, that's where we're at. That's where I'm at. And uh, I'm happy to do my part. And we've got some real exciting things lined up on Sunday. And uh, I will do the uh, we'll have our pre-show and Jessica Paquette's going to do some some handicapping with me on our simulcast. And then Trey Styles is going to join myself and then. Uh, some surprises on the way there during our broadcast So it'll be exciting for everyone to check that out And follow along And hopefully get some winners Hopefully find some yeah. prices in there And make some money And just have a really fun day on Sunday It's going to be a, a really great one And like I say, I just appreciate your coverage And I appreciate the people that listen And I know you got people that like to bet And like to get involved And I just we, we appreciate those betters And we hope that the low takeout is appealing to you And uh, 
Let's let them run, man. Houston Racing oh. Festival is right around the corner. We're excited. But we're back on Thursday at 4 o'clock. Let's start yeah. there first, and then we'll, you will, go, and then we'll, we'll get st- to Sunday. We'll get, yeah, we'll get to Sunday. We're going to build the bankroll all week long. I've got Andy Villanueva talking about the Thursday races. I'm going to go through the full card Friday, and then Saturday, and then Sam Sherman's going to join me to talk about the full card for Sunday. We're going to go through all of those. So we'll be talking about uh, every single race for the entire week here from, from Sam Houston. All those low takeout wagers, even the, the new... Changed pick six, uh, even more fan friendly with the low takeout there. Chris, um, we're going to be following you along on Twitter at in the grandstand is where you can follow Chris Griffin and then where you can follow Sam Houston at SHRP. They are having videos out uh, all throughout the week, handicapping stuff. You get um, tickets from all of their different handicappers. I uh, wish the best of luck to you, Frank, Martha, the whole crew, everyone over there this week. I hope everything goes smooth. We're going to be watching. If you need anything else, you just let me know and we'll be firing away. Thank you so much, Gino. Thanks to your listeners and look forward to seeing everybody this week. It'll be great. Track announcer Chris Griffin. We're going to be hearing his voice all week long out there at Sam Houston. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back with plenty more on That's What G Said. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version, and even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view, and any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. We're all excited for the big week coming up at Sam Houston, and we're going to get to Saturday and Sunday Sam Houston in just a moment. Right now, let's uh, let's bounce around the country first and talk about some of the other stakes races on Saturday. Let's get to Gulfstream Park 
five graded stakes over at Gulfstream Park. They begin in race number four with the Kitten's Joy Mile on the Turf Course Grade 3 event. In the one horse, Chess's Dream is actually cross-entered in a race at Sam Houston in the Texas Turf Mile. So keep an eye. I actually think he's got a shot wherever he shows up. He's going to be in tough either way, but his and he's moving from Florida Reds to uh, Open Company on either spot. In this spot, too, it's going to be a, d- a difficult race, even though it's not a, a huge field. But what's sort of nice for him in this race is, you know, Kentucky Farrell's got speed. Never surprised is got speed. You'd imagine that original is, is not as quick as those, but is probably going to be close. I actually think original is sort of the, the wild card in here, just, you know, because you can completely excuse and dismiss his last race in the, in the Jerome, right? He was just, he was eased that day. So put a line right through it. And we're playing him obviously off his turf victory. He he's not doesn't seem like he's as quick as either of the other two to the outside who have more speed. So does he end up sitting third and maybe getting the jump on Chess's dream? And it's a gamble if they're going to come running late. Originals a so a total wild card in here. If you're playing any sort of early pick fives, I think you want to throw original in. I probably lean towards it's a gamble just. Because I feel like I know for sure that he can come running. He's he's good enough to compete with, I think, with the the best in here with the right kind of a trip. And that's the trip I'm envisioning. If if Never Surprised or Kentucky Pharaoh sneaks away, then it's going to be tougher. It's a gamble. I'm, I'm assuming those two are going to put some pressure on each other and not let either one get too far away from each other. And then when you throw... A horse like original into the the mix, the wrinkle, the fact that maybe he actually does show a little bit more speed than we think, and a horse like Chess's Dream has shown a big middle move. So if they're not going too quick, maybe he just decides to get aggressive and try to move into it, and then I know for sure it's a gamble is going to settle and make that one run. So I'd, I'd probably lean towards it's a gamble, uh, especially if you can get it like in the four to one ish range. Uh, let's move along to the next stakes race. It's in race number six. We've got the Grade Three Swale in here. Uh, I would just be using two. Two horses in the exotics, and the two is one of them. The six is, to me, the horse to beat by George, who's drawn very well. He had the deal with pressure to his outside. He drew the rail, and I don't think he wanted to be on the lead. They weren't even really going that fast. He sort of just got the lead by default because he was better, and he actually didn't have it for a while. He was about a half length behind and sort of pressing up from the inside and just decided to go. I thought it was a good ride, and, and how you're supposed to you know, ride a horse like this when you feel like you've got the best horse is just make sure to keep them out of trouble, and that's what By George was doing. I, I liked the effort, and that was going six furlongs. He's going to have to stretch out a little to seven. I love the fact that he's drawn to the outside, in particular drawn to the outside of Drain the Clock who and, and Poppy's Pride, who are probably the, the other pace factors in here. Uh, by George, he... No, he he is very impressive. Um, the the price horse I'm, I would include in some exotics is King's Ovation. So if let's say by George can't sit, maybe he is just a horse who wants to go to the front. By George ends up getting hooked up in a battle with Drain the Clock and with Poppy's Pride, and the three of them go you know crazy early on. Then it comes down to the three inside horses. Ultimate Badger, tough to really love coming off of those last two efforts. They were in tough spots, but maybe the turn back. 
you know, to seven furlongs could help. Good effort sprinting uh, when, you know, breaking the maiden at five furlongs. I kind of like King's Ovation, though. The the October 25th race I thought was really good. And it, he, he got going late. He started to get into a nice stride late. That's what I liked about the effort from King's Ovation in that one. So 6-2, and 2 really the, the key. He was in between horses, he was 6 lengths off, down inside, he moved up to 5th, about 5 lengths off, and it was a sustained rally on the outside, and then he really started to get going. So King's Ovation in here, 2-6 and six in race number 6 as we move along to the ninth for uh, the next stakes race, races 9, 10, 11, all graded stakes races there too on the five-bagger of graded stakes Saturday at Gulfstream Park. The two, three tipsy chicks feels like the horse if you're looking to bet. Uh, I don't know if she's, I mean, Zajil is the one to beat, right? I'm I'm not going to come on here and tell you to, to go bet the heavy chalk. I'll always tell you if I think a horse is beatable or vulnerable as a favorite. I don't think she is. If you want to single her in some sort of late exotics, I wouldn't talk you off of doing that. I do think she looks like the best horse and the most likely winner in this field. There are a couple other good ones. And, I, I you know, competitive speed is, is nice, no doubt. But I, I'm quite intrigued by three tipsy chicks who seems to be on the improve. Does she have to take another step forward here? Absolutely, but she's progressed nicely, and another one who, you know, if they just get caught up a little bit early on, Zajail sat uh, in her debut, but if she goes, you know, she wants to be more forwardly placed, if competitive speed, you know, is trying to, you know, get a little more aggressive, there you could see ways where there, you know, might be three or four horses here who end up going. So if that is the case, three tipsy chicks is interesting to me. And in, and let's say the opposite is the case, that you know that would probably steer you towards a Dial Twin or a, a Coach Jer's Joy, if maybe you know you think that there isn't as much speed and one of them could go. So I'd probably want to use combinations of you know Zajil, three Tipsy Chicks, and um, you know. Probably Coach Jer's Joy toward the outside if you're playing some sort of exotics. Three tipsy chicks if you're looking for a horse to win. If you're looking for the most likely winner of this race, it's you know I definitely think it would be uh, be the chalk from uh, from what we've seen so far. We get to the tenth race, the sweetest chant. Uh, I go to the five in here, White Frost. So she stepped on the grass on November 21st for the first time. It was actually in her third career start when she tried the turf, and she she just was much much better. She broke really well. She's shown a pretty good amount of tactical speed in all three of her starts. Even the the sprint races, she wasn't too far out of it. She was right with the top group early on, going long on the grass in November. She settled third, like in that third, fourth spot. She was on the inside, about three lengths off. She was tucked. She was in a tight spot, and she was just loaded, waiting for room, angled around, got going very nicely late. I, I was visually extremely impressed with white. Frost, the number five in race number 10, going to be my top selection in there. I'll make a, a win wager, uh, most likely on White Frost. Let's go to the Holy Bull. Uh, Muzdabek, unfortunately, was a horse who uh, 
I selected in a, one of my fantasy horse racing leagues and just came down with a shin injury, would have been in this race and would have been either favored or one of the, the betting choices in here. And so now it looks like Mustabik's going to be off the derby trail and will uh, they said a minor shin injury, but we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Hopefully we can see him back sooner than later. The horse that I'm, I'm the most intrigued with from just a sort of wild card, can I bet this horse? It would be the five Tarantino. I do think the prime factor is the most likely winner. And I would be, a, if you're looking for, you know, who, yeah, who you think is going to win this race, if I was forced to single a horse in some way, shape, or form, or just pick one horse, I think it's prime factor. He was, he was awesome going six furlongs. Now, again, stretching out from six furlongs to a mile and a 16th, completely different story. But I, I loved what I saw from him. And I'd have to expect he's going to be right on the lead or close to it throughout. Tarantino was the wild card. In the Baffert barn, out in SoCal, broke his maiden going long on the turf, which you just don't see very often for Baffert. Beaten just a neck in a stakes going long on the grass. Then change barns, come into, comes into the Brissette barn. Wins pretty easily going long on the turf at Gulfstream. And now they just say, hey, let's take a shot going long in, in the Holy Bowl here. In a race where... You don't have a ton of horses who have all that much experience going long. So, hey, why not? Tarantino. I would use him in some of the late exotics here. And then you got Greatest Honor, who feels like the one to beat. He's sort of been progressing. I mean, I, I, I like Prime Factor better. I think because Greatest Honor has is proven going longer, he's more of the, okay, he's the measuring stick, he's the horse you have to beat, Prime Factor is probably talented enough to run them off their feet, and that's what I would be banking on, but as far as what they've done, and the way this horse has progressed so far, in that sort of typical Suge uh, progression, just getting better and better with uh, a little more experience, greatest honor, so it is five, six, seven. they do seem to to make the most sense in here to me. I, I'd like the six. I'd have them stacked like six is the most likely winner. Five is maybe the horse to bet. And then seven as a, you know, probably a, a horse you wouldn't want to leave out of any of your late exotics. So to look at the Gulfstream Park stakes races for Saturday, let's ha- head on over to uh, Oaklawn. There's two stakes races at Oaklawn on Saturday. Let's jump to Oaklawn Saturday on January the 30th, and let's get to race number five. It is the Martha Washington Phillies, three-year-olds, $200,000 up for grabs, some of them on the uh, road to the Kentucky Oaks. It looks to me like Joy's Rocket is just a lot quicker than anyone else in this field. You look towards the outside, and... Sylvia Q has shown route speed. She's going to add the blinkers. Is she going to be even remotely close to Joy's Rocket early? I mean, has she dealt with anything like Joy's Rocket early? Can't, I mean, no, I don't think so. I don't think at least quick early-wise. Can she sit off? Sure. And she's, you know, lightly raced with talent. I, I don't think Lady Lily is quite as quick. And she doesn't seem to have the sort of class speed that Joy's Rocket has, I just, you know, and the question with her is obviously, can she get the mile? We saw her try to go a mile in the Frisette. That was against grade one company. She was behind day out of the office in Vquist there. So, a race that came back really good. I like the fact that out of that race, she won her next start going six and a half. 
So she proved that she can relax a little bit and get more than just a six furlong sprint distance. She was able to get more of an elongated sprint going to six and a half. And then at fairgrounds last time out, she beat Charlie's Penny, and Charlie's Penny came back to win the, the silver bullet day. Joy's Rockets got the inside draw. Send hard has to be the plan here. Try to open up on this field. Coach is a really nice filly. I just feel like with her, this can't be the race that she's cranked up and ready to go right now. She's got bigger fish to fry down the line. They're probably looking at her as a filly that they want to try to get to the Kentucky Oaks. And so I'd imagine she's going to be one that gets better and better. I think she could absolutely win this race, but I don't know if she will be... um, as good now as she might in her next race or two With uh, you know this not being the goal The other one for me would be Will Secret Who, again you look at horses like this When they're 2 and 3 A lot of times I really like horses that just show that natural progression Even, I'm not, I'm not one I'm much more of a visual handicapper than a speed figure Plain and simple handicapper But when you can see the pattern of the improving speed figures And then it matches what you see with the the replays that you watch That's when I really like it And you sort of see that with Will Secret here Who has just shown a, a lot of improvement And ran into a nice one uh, in, in Clarier A couple starts back Broke the maiden last time out This is a good spot for Will Secret If they do go a little too quick early Let's say Coach and maybe Lady Lily, maybe Sylvia Q, maybe Novel Squall, they all have the idea where, hey, we can't let Joy's Rocket go. We have to ask our horses for a little more. Will Secret is not quick enough, I don't think, to be even asked and keep up with them. So she could be the one that would benefit if things do get a little crazy early. I have them stacked 1-4-3. Again, nothing really against Coach in here, just that I think she uh, will be a little bit better with the race under her belt and, and probably not quite... Um, pumped up for this race with uh, with bigger races down the line. Let's get to the eighth race at Oaklawn on Saturday. It's the American Beauty six furlongs the distance. Now, I, I this is an interesting race because the major contenders are all really really fast. Frank's Rockette gonna get a ton of money. She faced the boys in the Breeders' Cup Sprint and was only was less than six to one against the boys. Now she's in here, but she's facing Amy's Challenge, who's really, really fast. Amy's Challenge is very quick. Ladies Island to the outside, really, really quick. Sunny Dale, not slow. She can she can sit. I don't think she's as quick as some of the others, but we're not exactly talking about a slouch here. She's so majestic is another one who... At times has shown a lot of speed And wouldn't be shocking if she was In the mix So It looks like there's going to be at least Three pretty Pretty good speeds in here And then maybe two other pressers Who are going to be in the mix early I'm looking for the horses who are going to be sitting Mid-pack to off the pace The two that I'm sort of drawn to The three and the five I prefer the five Wildwoods Beauty Because I just don't know if Magic Dance is quite good enough. She should fall into a just a great trip here, though. So I would use them both in some of the late exotics. I would probably bet Wildwood's Beauty to win the number five if we can get anything around five to one. She had a wide trip last time out. She took a big shot at Amy's Challenge. Amy's Challenge just snuck away, though. And Wildwood's Beauty moved up to second, early stretch. It just had. Had no pace to run at 
tried, could very easily have a much quicker pace to chase in here, and that result could be a lot different. She's really honest, Wildwood Wildwood's beauty. And if you look at her record, she's a five-time winner with eight seconds. I think a lot of that has to do with just the fact that she is a sprinter who doesn't have speed or doesn't have, like, legitimate sprint speed. At the very most, she, you could say she's maybe tactical. But she just runs into fields a lot of the time where if they're faster than her, she's in trouble. She's also faced some tough company. Bell's the one, Serengeti Empress, Gorana, Mia Mischief. I mean, she was in back-to-back group ones after, you know, placing in back-to-back graded stakes races uh, earlier in 2020. This is a quality animal. She's got just a, a, some ability, and she should get a really nice trip in here. So I'll be using the, I'll bet the five to win. I'll be using along with the three, Magic Dance. Those are the uh, two stakes races at Oaklawn Park over on Saturday. Tons of rain expected in Southern California over the weekend, so they canceled Friday racing at Santa Anita. They have now had a Saturday card drawn that's only going to have eight races, but there's still two graded stakes races at Santa Anita on Saturday in the 5th and the 7th. Let's talk about those two real quick at the past performances out. So the 5th race, unfortunately, a really small race in the San Pasquale. But it's kind of interesting just from a, a, a wage handicapping standpoint. I don't know about a gambling standpoint, but just how is the race going to unfold? So you've got Tis a Magician from the inside who's really quick, and he's he's gotten pretty good in his last couple starts now. You'd imagine he's going to try to send hard. You've got Idol, who I just did not like the ride on him last time out. I, I thought he was probably the best in there and should have won that race. I, I definitely needed him uh, for a, a quite a bit of money that day. Uh, King Guillermo, who should take a massive step forward off of his last start. You can excuse the uh, the race a little bit too because it was in the slop. He hadn't raced from May to December and he was facing older in the Cigar Mile for the first time. Uh, the race has already come back live with Performer coming out of, it to, uh, out of it to win. So he's interesting. And then you have Express Train, who's always teased of ability, cross out the turf start two back, and you know, you're left with a horse who hasn't done a, a whole ton wrong and just chased charlatan around the racetrack, and maybe he's ready to to step forward now as a four-year-old. I thought it's a small field. I don't know how the hell you bet the race, to be honest, because like, how, how is it? Is Tizid Magician going to be able to sneak away from this group? Is King Guillermo going to let him go? Is King Guillermo faster than Tizid Magician? So if those two hook up, does it just perfectly set up for a horse like Idol? Um, and then you throw Express Train, who's just a total wild card, but he's going to be a wild card at like, you know what, 2-1, to 5-2. to two. So we're not talking about the kind of wild card that you really love because that's what's hard when you have a, a short field like this. It's just, There's nobody that's that's an enticing price to play. So I just do think the, the more I look at the race, I'm intrigued by all four of those contenders. And the more I'm talking about these four, now you know what's going to happen, right? Like Zestful will just win. But Zestful's speed is what throws a wrinkle into you know, getting confident about playing either Tiz a Magician or King Guillermo. Because Zestful from the outside with Maldonado, he's not going to be in here to just sit. He's going to at least make sure this pace is honest. And and so does that make it more difficult for Tiz a Magician and King Guillermo? Does that mean Idol just ends up sitting the perfect trip? I thought he probably should have beaten a group that 
I, I guess I don't know if that last group was better than this, to be honest. Um, it, it we're not taught. It was a, a field of of six, and it, you know, it's not a group that uh, this one actually may be better. So, Idol probably gets the trip, but that's what I'm saying. You see, you see how like unexcited I I feel I sound to want to bet this race. It's just it's sort of an interesting race with uh, some horses who want to try to stamp themselves as contenders now in the older horse division. Let's move to the seventh race. Kentucky Derby points on the line here in the Bob Lewis. So you've got the Baffert Medina Spirit from the inside, who is going to take a lot of money coming off of uh, his runner-up effort behind Life is Good. You've got the other Baffert Spielberg to the outside, who is now uh, now a multiple winner. He's a graded stakes winner. He won at Los Alamitos in the Futurity. He beat Next Out winner in the Great One. You'd imagine the, the Bafferts are going to take a lot of money. You've got Rombauer, who comes out of the Breeders' Cup. Um, he was good in the American Pharaoh, uh, when second uh, in, in that grade one, two back. He was fifth in the Breeders' Cup. He was behind Hot Rod Charlie, who ran really well at 95-1. to 1. So, you know, those two are going to take some money. I actually like a couple others that I didn't even mention. Uh, the two that I'm the most interested in in this race are... Wipe the Slate and Roman Centurion. I don't know if either of these are Baffert's best. I think he might have three or four that are better than this, uh, which is really saying something. It doesn't mean they can't win this race, but I, I just wouldn't want to take a short price on either. I'd love the way Wipe the Slate won. He broke on top. He sat in the three-path uh, while a couple horses inside ended up shooting to the lead. He just kind of sat there patiently like he'd done it a, a million times before, a three-wide trip all the way around. That was going seven furlong, so he went from six and a half to seven. Now this stretch out to the mile and a sixteenth shouldn't be quite as difficult for him. Uh, speaking of the stretch out, the horse who I may bet in here, uh, if he is over five to one, would be Roman Centurion. He took back at the start. He was looking for somewhere to settle. He ended up ninth in between horses, about five or six lengths off. He moved to the three path. He was asked for some run. He made a huge four wide move, and it was a big sustained rally where it felt like he did start to get into his best groove late. So I think distance, he should be able to run all day, beautifully bred. They paid a ton for this horse. They've got high hopes and high expectations. The number five, Roman Centurion. 5-7 for me in the Bob Lewis. And, and, and actually, for as short of a field and as difficult as a race to bet that the fifth is, this is the opposite. This is a really good derby prep for this time of the year. All of the horses that I mentioned have quality. I mean, Parnelli's a horse they spent 500000 on their high on. Medina Spirit, Rombauer, Parnelli, Hot Rod Charlie. I like Roman Centurion. Wasprint, you know, he feels like he's going to have to step forward a little bit in here. Wipe the slate. I like quite a bit. And then you've got Spielberg, who's the great stakes winner on the outside. So a pretty strong group for a grade three early prep race in the end of January there, especially at Santa Anita where the fields are short, especially at Santa Anita with a a bad weather weekend expected. So that's a, a better race than I expected there. In the Bob Lewis Let's go over to Sam Houston now And continue on this Saturday horse racing train So let's flip to race number two The opener's uh, Arabian racing uh, race So uh, I thought the seven The perfect samurai Deserves another shot on the dirt His uh, his race back in June uh, On the grass at Louisiana Downs Against open maiden specials 
makes sense when compared with this group. There's just not a lot in here. He cuts back. We haven't seen him since August, but just a pure giving this horse who's shown something on the grass uh, an opportunity to show us a little more on the dirt. His two dirt races were separated by a layoff, so maybe you can uh, you can build excuses for both of them. The logical is to me the three American code blinkers off who, who comes over here and you know obviously was in the, within the Baffert barn, so makes a ton of sense. And then you got the uh, the the five extreme fours, but he he dropped in for maiden seventy fives and. You know, and, and couldn't get the job quite done over at Churchill. Now that's probably a comparable type spot as to to here. So it's not as much of a drop as a lateral move, but um, it, I, I'm not in love with the five nearly as much. Maybe the one from the inside, a couple multiple winning sibs, but the draw won't be easy. I would use uh, three seven, um, you know, to kick off any kind of uh, an exotics there. We move to race number three, the one button mushroom. Is just exiting some open races. These are for 5,000 claimers, which have not won two races since July 30th. Uh, we just don't know where those Essendaboya Downs races are going to stack up. I think at a price of around 5 to 1, she's a worthy wild card to throw in. Oh, the number three, AJ's Grand. I needed uh, her last time out. I had her connected with a lot of different exotics, and she opened up and just looked like she was going to win easy and and just really no excuses, just, just got beat. AJ's grand. She'll, I'm sure, win this race when we needed her last time out for a lot, and she'll come back and do it at like four to five here. Um, one, three over five and six. I sort of look at as a, uh, you know, the, the six Kona Katie, a lot of people will use. I will probably use on one or two tickets. Uh, I don't completely dismiss him her in this spot it's just not the strongest group in the world and the five Sundance seven actually has a race back in February of last year that you could go back to and and would be pretty competitive in here so one three for me above the tier of five and six if you want to go a, a little deeper we move to a stakes race in race number four it is the Darby's daughter division of the Clarence Shorber Jr. Texas Stallion $75,000, five and a half furlongs I thought the four, Bebop Baby she was wide and in between horses against Open Company last time out, it was her first start since August, now she's had over a month to to recover from that, she should be plenty fit. She's gonna go second off the bench. She's back in with Texas Breads. I think she makes a, a lot of sense in here. The number five Wink Texas is fast, and you know she was she was really quick from the inside. Three others went from the lead, and that just really hurt any chance that she had in winning that race. Another one who's been facing open now back in with Texas Breads. So I go four five. The one the wild card comes in from Canterbury. Um, and what's interesting about this as a stakes race, she is two for three. She's won her last two starts. And the rest of this field, so the two, three, four, five, and six, are all coming out of races where they didn't even hit the board. And she's won two in a row. So if you just look at it from that like simplistic way, Star of the North is probably hard to completely dismiss. And then what do you do with Great Affection, who's now coming into the, the Pish Barn and is a stakes winner against a similar group back in July? We just haven't seen this one since August. So item stack four, five, one, three there in the fourth. In race five at Sam Houston, 15 claimers, not uh, non-winners of four. I'm going to the eight. I just think this is the speed. 
Love my honey from the outside. She ran really well in her first start since September. She came off the bench on January the 21st. She was involved in the pace to the outside, going six furlongs against First Level Allowance Company. Now she's going to be in with the the 15 non-fours here. She's going to go from the inside to the outside. So she has shown us that she can sit off the pace a little bit if she has to. I don't think anyone is quite as quick as she is in here, at least with a, a sprint speed kind of quickness. Let's go to the eight. Love my honey, a horse who I'm willing to single in some early exotics, maybe the single to end your late pick four. I would play the eight on top of, obviously the four is a a logical contender. The one, two, and seven would be other horses. I would maybe throw in uh, if you were going a little bit deeper. But for me, I'm going to single the eight horse in race number five, Love My Honey. We get to the sixth race. This is your second stakes race of the two on Saturday, and then six more for you on Sunday. I'll go back to the eight here with Carbon Striker. You know, he was part of a group of five that all went for the lead in his last start. He won that battle. He just got the lead at the top of the lane and got a little tired and faded late in a race that set up very well for the horse who won that day, Ultimate. So Carbon Striker to the outside now. Uh, Carbon Striker with an opportunity With that race under his belt To be a little more fit in here The one Island Sun first time gelding And another one who's coming into the pitch barn Treating him like a wild card in here And then the four, Dustum Who has been facing open company in the last two And Dustum will come running late So 8-1-4 for me in race number 6 at Sam Houston Let's go to the 7th race Start a year late pick four, a mile on the turf course here, optional 40s. I will lean towards the seven Brave Nation, and I'm looking back at that October the 17th race, going the mile in the 16th. Settled in the inside, was fourth, was a couple lengths off, and just had nowhere to go, got backed up into, and that was in a race behind a horse named Tut's Revenge, who's a horse who's going to be really tough to pass on the front end, especially when you're getting backed into and you're getting in some trouble. Brave Nation, sneaky in here. Throw the seven in your late pick fours. The horses that, you know, are probably pretty logical and going to be on a lot of tickets. The nine, Sunlit Song. And the uh, eight, I'm sure, will be on a lot of tickets as well. You've said it all. I've got seven, eight, nine as my top tier of horses. The four, the layoff lines concern me a little bit with real story. Yes, uh, he does have an opportunity to either steal this race or sit close if he wants to. And then the five, uh, Redditory, is one you know who's very familiar around these parts and, and definitely capable of jumping up and winning. He just might not be in his current best form right now. I had him stacked 7, 8, 9 as a top tier uh, with 4, 5 below them, 7 as the one to play. In the 8th, I went to the 5, Sheriff Brown, second off the bench, the you know I I think that this is a a spot for Fincher where he's got competitive idea who is going to show some pace in here and Sheriff Brown should get a very nice trip if a couple other horses want to go with competitive idea early on and on paper I think it looks like you're gonna get some pace from Gold Crusher and if at least those two end up going then Sheriff Brown. You know, second off the bench. Look at some of his races too. Like, let's cross out the race two back behind Sunlit Song, who we just saw talked about. Tuts Revenge, Mister Misunderstood. That was a good race. Before that, he's behind Hunka Burning Love. You see Night Ops. I mean, we're talking about some pretty tough races when you know when stacked up with some of the company that these have uh, faced. Sheriff Brown, 
I, I like him a bit. If he's in anything over like five or six to one worthy of a win wager, I had five, four, three rotation who won recently and maybe was able to get back uh, into a nice form off of a, a couple of clunkers after facing tough company. And then, you know, the question mark, what do you do with Van Glider, the seven? I had him five, four, three, and then question marks on the seven. In the ninth race, I thought the four is going to be really tough in here. Clay's Moonstone was scratched out of a a race on Thursday for this spot. Going to be dropping in class and just feels like a a great spot for Clay's Moonstone in a rate in a spot where I don't love anywhere one else. Catskill goes to the outside. It'll take some money, but Clay's Moonstone going to be the single for me in some of the late exotics, and that'll just sort of give me the opportunity to spread out a little bit if I want to. Uh, uh, on uh, in the 10th race because it feels like just a wide open race the 8 tie break has the turf experience and then you start looking at the 2 who you know will try grass for the first time the 3 has been on there before and has probably faced a little bit better the 4 interesting trying the grass for the first time bred for it the 5 is another one that's bred well for the grass trying it for the first time the 6 wouldn't completely shock you in here a first time starter uh, the, you know, I mentioned the one who's damn won uh, twice on the turf and has bred well for it. So, yeah, I think you could start using combinations of a ton of horses in here. And we should have the ability to do that because I, I think we have found a couple singles uh, that we can use before. So I had him 8, 2, 4, 3, 5, 6, 1 to close things out on Saturday at Sam Houston. Over at OldSmokeClothing.com, you can find horse racing t-shirts, hats, zip-ups, hoodies, tank tops, long sleeves, quality clothing. A place where you can create custom designs, whatever you want. They also have special collections that you can check out, like the Kentucky Derby Collection. Represent some of your all-time favorite horses or some of your current favorites. Tis the law, Midnight Bisu, Authentic, She Dares the Devil, horses that have made you money over the last few years. Show the horse racing fan in you when you use the promo code G-I-N-O. It gets you free shipping on your order. There just aren't a ton of places out there where you could find really, really good horse racing swag to, to show off how big of a racing fan you are. OldSmokeClothing.com, promo code G-I-N-O, gets you free shipping on your order. Now we head to Sunday. Ten races on the card on Sunday at Sam Houston. Six stakes races, two graded stakes races, and Sam Sherman back to join us again. He's been so awesome in the the first couple times he's joined us this year to talk Sam Houston, so we had to have him back for the big day. We spend about 45 minutes going through all ten races on the card for Sam Houston Sunday. Get those past performances out. Let's follow along. It is Houston Ladies Classic Day over at Sam Houston. The big day there as you hear the soothing sounds of some of my gardeners uh, in the background right now. Uh, Sam Sherman joins me again to talk about the big day from Sam Houston. I had to bring him back. He's swinging a hot stick over the last couple of weeks. It doesn't matter what track you're talking about. Sam Sherman's one of the hottest handicappers, gamblers out there right now, dishing them out left and right. Sam, uh, we got a big one coming up. Uh, awesome card. We've got you know, graded stakes races. We've got stakes races. We've got cool local horses, big horses shipping in. A little bit of everything for you on Sunday. Yeah, this is my favorite day of the year at Sam Houston. Um, I mean, I think there's the potential for some serious prices, um, especially in the multi-leg wagers. I mean, most of these fields 
have nine, 10, 11, 12 horses. So if you can, if you can find the winner, you could be in for a big payday on Sunday. And uh, our buddy Chris Griffin let us know that there are going to be two pick fives on uh, on Sunday. Also, there will be an early pick five with races one through five. There will be an all stakes pick five with races six through ten. So, if for some reason that early pick five were to carry over, it would carry over straight into the late pick five, which would be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll jump right into race number one. Sam and I are going to go through the card uh, race by race. Going to give you some thoughts on each horses to play, maybe horses to play against. We kick things off in race number. One with a four to five favorite for Asmussen from the rail. These are maiden fifties. This gal is going to be dropping in from the maiden special weight race where she was a third place finisher back on January the 21st. So what do you do with red bottom rebel to kick things off? Uh, which directions are you leaning in the opener? I mean, I, I toss red bottom rebel. I don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't have like her at all. Yeah. Um, I bet on her last time and I was at Sam Houston. I mean, she, she never looked like a winner. I mean, she's technically, Dropping in for maiden fifty, but I mean, she's she's run for maiden thirty, maiden twenty at Churchill. So is and it really race, a drop? Maiden you know? special race we we talked about. It wasn't the strongest. She had like a real pace advantage in that race too. There were a lot of question marks with the ones that, the horses that beat her. Norma Jean B had no speed from the rail. Via Angelica was one of those horses that was like looked a little bit weird coming into this spot. That that was a great spot for her last time out. Definitely. I think, you know, one of the themes of, you know, what I say on this podcast is probably going to be, you don't want to be on the lead at Sam Houston. It seems like the only horses that have, you know, wired the field um, have just been absolutely much the best and usually much the best against a field that, you know, hasn't really done much at all. I kind of keyed in on two horses in here. Um, Lovey Dovey, which I think is a five and I think it's a donation on the outside. Those were two that I liked. I watched Levy Dovey's replay. Um, I mean, she broke awful. Um, you know, the form says sloppy, but I, mean, I think sloppy was an understatement. You know, some yeah. tracks might not even have uh, not even have run on that day. Um, the jock that was on her is a 5% jockey. You know, Sorensen's not doing well at the meet, but he usually does okay. He was 13% last year. She gets Lasix. I think this one's interesting. Also, maybe the outside. Um, so, the, the program says it's trained by Joaquin Garza. That's actually Danny Pish's brother-in-law. So, you know, kind of Joaquin, kind of Danny, you know. <laughs> so this one might be a little bit of a price. She's been off for over a year, but I really liked the move that she made in that race back in December of 2019. Um, it's really just a matter of if she's fit. So those are kind of the two that I'm looking at in here. I'd probably lean towards Levy Dovey just because she's run more recently. Yep, um, I'm going to play in the pick fives I'm going to be no one and I'll be using Two, five, and eight uh, A lot of the reasons you mentioned, lovey-dovey Step slow in the slop Then in the ins- then was moving up the inside in a tight spot Ends up getting shuffled back, loses like three or four lengths Loses all momentum And then she closed pretty well up the inside And she got into a nice stride late She's beaten ten lengths so it doesn't look that great But it's actually sneaky good as you mentioned If you go back and take a look That was against Open Maiden Specials at, at Hawthorne So this is probably a, a comparable type Spot in here I think the wild card And the one that you if you're playing against the one I think you have to throw in the eight think it's a, don- a Donation uh, we haven't ra- hasn't Raced since December of 2019 But did race against maiden specials and you Mentioned with the Danny Pish connection Here you have to feel like this is a, a This is a 
Mayor that's at least going to be ready To fire a big effort on, on this day And then the two show me the best If the one red bottom rebel goes Show me the best might be able to sit right behind her She actually beat red bottom rebel When they faced back in October Now that was just red bottom rebel's debut But show me the best has a little something You mentioned I'm not sure if being Close to or on the lead is the is the place to be In here but if show me the best is going to be Two or three times the price of red bottom rebel I'd much prefer the two So yeah I'll use five two and eight to start the uh, the pick five, you and I are definitely both uh, um, not uh, not needing the uh, the heavy favorite right off the bat. Yeah, the only concern with me on the two is the jock. Um, I think mm-hmm. he rode for me once, and he's been an apprentice I, I think since 2018. So it's not um, getting a lot of mouths, not winning a ton of races. Exactly, but I mean, I think you're going to get you know every bit of nine to two. I mean, you might even get a better price. So I'm not going to talk you off of that. We move to race number two at Sam Houston Maiden Special Weights going a mile On the turf course in here uh, To me the horse who I'm going to uh, Start with Sam uh, I thought it's a little interesting Is the seven Gray Storm Fincher has been awesome so far Throughout the meet Gray Storm debuted At six and a half at Remington Park behind a Horse that you know pretty well Texas Bad Boy that was one of your uh, good plays And that was a race that Stacked up across the track I mean they were going four or five deep All the way across the racetrack Graystorm was part of that battle And what I loved is he actually kept trying Really hard even after it looked like he was done Texas Bad Boy we know Came right back to beat winners next time out The dam of Graystorm Zardana was a multiple stakes winner On the turf and she was really good Going long turf synthetic All of her best work was long Both siblings that tried the turf have won on it I think Graystorm is going to take a big step forward here I wouldn't be shocked if he's right on the lead Or sitting close to it Six and a half is not an easy distance to debut at So a lot of times you get a little tired late I'm expecting a lot of improvement From the seven Gray Storm, who are some of the horses you're like looking at in the second? So I kind of like a horse in here that's 30 to 1, uh, the three gods pick. Um, it's Mindy Willis, Lindy Wade. I watched the first race. It was in here against a couple of them. Um, it says hes- hesitated start on the form, but I mean, this horse was almost, I mean, it could have been declared a non-star. Just ease almost. Just, yeah, basically. It just sat in the gate. Um, it made an okay middle move to kind of get back in contention, but then got tired. Um, I liked two of the horses that finished ahead of them, um, but I don't like their prices in here at four to one. Uh, I think the other one's eight to one. I mean, I think you're going to get, I mean, you might get more than 30 to one on here. Uh, Mindy Willis is a really good turf trainer at Houston. Lindy Wade, um, decent start to the meet already has four wins. I just didn't love anyone else in this field. So I thought if you're going to take a shot with a price, this might be one. I also looked at the jock who was on on God's pick at Remington. I mean, I think he's won one race since November, um, and that was on the morning line favorite. So I think, you know, Lindy's brought a couple big prices home. I'm hoping this is another one. You know, blinkers on. That might be help him get out of the gate. Um, and then right after that race in October, Mindy worked him out of the gate. So I'm hoping those gate issues are fixed and he can be, you know, in closer contention throughout this race. The four whose uh, turf race at Churchill um, it was okay back in October. Like he can come running and pick pick up pieces. I'm not I'm not like as cold on him as I am on some of the other favorites. He wouldn't be as shocked to, to pick him up. Uh, for me, the eight quiet pair, the damn uh, quiet prayer, her damn his damn one on the grass. Temple City also could go uh, all day long. Um, the 10 and 11 were other horses I looked at Declaration of Speed actually got a lot of action uh, Going seven and a half furlongs on the turf at Remington Park And 
was in the two path was pressing on the lead and just faded late. You do get Rye to jump aboard, so that that's probably a positive. I thought the eleven was another one who you know just coming out of the Keeneland and Churchill races for Moquette. Maybe you, you'd give a little chance here with some upside, but yeah, no. Um, I, I like the seven in here after Gray Storm. It does feel like the type of race where you were mentioning a bomb God's pick. Where yeah, th- this feels like that kind of race to. Um, maybe maybe you spread out a little bit in the pick four. Any others to mention? No, but I mean, if you'll indulge me for I don't know thirty seconds, there's been Please. two just huge pick fives at Houston. I think one's paid. I mean, four Sam Houston. One's paid twenty two thousand. One paid forty four thousand. And I mean, the theme in both of those are Asmussen favorites who've been beat. Um, in the forty four thousand pick five, they got paid out. The highest price was seven to one, but it was just a theme of Asmussen favorites getting beat. I think he's going to be favored in the first race. Like we said, we both don't like it. I think he's probably going to be favored in here, too. So you don't even have to find a bomb to hit some of these pick fives. I mean, if you just find a horse that can beat the Asmussen, I mean, he's like four to one. You can make money on these multi-leg wagers. That might even be more important on a day like Sunday when you have more people watching and playing Sam Houston than they normally do. Because what do they do? They go, oh, with Asmussen, we know Asmussen. We know Stuart Elliott. We know these connections. Let's throw those... Like they're gonna be on almost every pick four or pick five ticket. Anytime that there's an Asmussen horse that's live, they're on someone's pick four or five ticket. When you can build them around beating those horses, just like Sam said, that's where you're gonna make money. And it doesn't even you don't even have to think of it like, oh, I, I need a twenty or thirty to one. It's just I need to beat a couple of these favorites, especially the big barn favorites at Sam Houston. And who is that? That is a lot of times Steve Asmussen, Diodoro hasn't had that great of a meet so far. Broberg's been a little bit cold. So right now, Asmussen's the key. He's the name everybody knows. He's the guy you have to try to beat. And uh, we'll, we'll, we think we can do that in the first couple. Because, yeah, I don't – like, Gold Vermillion was fine. Um, I, I just think there's others with better prices with much more upside in, in race number two. So I had him stacked 7-4 sort of as my top tier. The other two that I mentioned, 11-8, I'll definitely throw uh, the three gods pick onto a, a pick four or two that you mentioned at that type of a price. Let's move yeah, on to the. I mean, oh, go ahead. You yeah, really, ahead. I mean, like you just need to find a third choice in these races. So I mean, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't have to dig too, too deep. No, we move to race number three: Texas bred maiden special, maiden special weights, three-year-old, six furlongs. The distance here, we've got a field of twelve. And just a lukewarm three to one morning line favorite. And one of the races that we'll start to see throughout the card where you have horses that are coming, you have a couple horses in each race that are coming out of a, a race before where they raced against each other. You know, you have uh, Bonham who hooked up with Carrie Stone here. You have Texas Prado and a couple others who come out of that uh, brother Robert race. Where do you start in the third? Uh, this is probably my single. I think I singled a three Bonham for Gustafson. Um, really liked this effort the first out. The form says rallied five wide, but I mean, <laughs> he was more like seven or eight wide. I mean, and I don't blame the jock. That was kind of the only option that he had. I'm not even sure the horse knew he was in a race until it was halfway over. Um, I actually talked with Gustafson a couple of days ago. He said he likes the way the horse has been training. He said Ray Luz liked it, um, you know, in the morning. So I think Bonham's probably my single. I would toss the pitch horse in here, Texas Prado. Um, I had a horse, you know, in his first race, Gushing Oil, that beat that beat Texas Prado. We thought Gushing Oil was going to be, you know, a superstar, and he's done nothing since then. I don't really see. I mean, I just think, <laughs> I think his horse is going to be overbet. You know, he was less than even money in his first Texas Bread Maiden Special Weight. Didn't run a step. So I think Bonham's probably my single for the uh, for the early pick five. 
if I have Bonham on top and I would not talk anybody off singling him, I just couldn't get around I start eliminating horses in here. I mean, I'm watching Imperial Flyer. Like maybe he broke with the leaders. He had speed in between. He was in tight. He kind of backed out of a spot. He couldn't re-rally again. If you're looking to go deep in this leg and throw a price in, I would include him. But I I couldn't get past the three and the five. And I, I definitely lean towards Bonham with the upside. He was in between horses. He was back to five lengths off. He angled out. He really got going late. He's got some ability, no doubt about it. You could see that in his in his race. I'm Probably willing to give Texas Prado more of a, a shot back in here And a lot of that has to do with how I'll build the uh, the tickets Because I don't really like the chalks and the opening two I'm okay with using Texas Prado in here And I think the one reason why I'll give him a shot on the jock change I didn't think it was the greatest ride And I, I'm expecting a little bit better with Luzzy jumping aboard He was a step slow from the inside And then he kind of settled forth And he was he was just kind of running in, in a spot where he had nowhere to go I don't think he would have won but I think he would have been able to finish a little bit better He kind of lost a couple lengths He lost some momentum And I'm expecting just a better uh, a better ride in this spot So I will use the 5 with Bonham And I, I gave looks to the 7 Imperial Flyer Who I'll probably throw in on one ticket But I would not talk anybody off singling Bonham, just like Sam said, especially if this is a race where Texas Prado goes off favored. Bonham's your second choice, and we're going to be taking shots against some of the favorites in, in, in at least one of the first couple races. This would be like to get through this race with Bonham singled after beating the Asmussen in the first race. That's exactly the type of pick five you're talking about that, that pays like, at least in the couple thousand range. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if Bonham, you get a better price than 7-2 to two just based off, you know, the buyer speed figures on the form. You know, he got a 36. I think Texas Prado, I mean, has four four speed figures over that. I mean, I, I think Texas Prado is going to be more like 7-5. to five, And, I mean, he's been, you know, favored three times and 2-1 to one another time and just burned money. I think you're right. You're going to get a better ride with Leslie. I mean... You know, Sorensen and Leslie both ride for Pish. I mean, I don't think Sorensen has ridden a horse for me in two years. I mean, there's a reason why. So I think you're right. You probably are going to get a better ride. I just, I just don't know if the horse is good enough. Yeah, and it's a, and and when when you ever have to question what Sam said, and you're doing that with a short price, those are the horses you don't need. If you're talking about a horse who's ten to one, and you say, you know, I don't know if he's good enough, well, those are horses that you can still throw in on your tickets because you're really not trying to beat them. But when we're talking about a horse who, I mean, it wouldn't be shocked if he's under two to one, and if he's ending, if he's eight to five or so. Now we're starting to say, okay, do I need this horse? Those are the horses who, in the long run, you're better off not using on your ticket if you. You gen- genuinely just are are fifty fifty on them. So um, yeah, no, no, you don't have to play scared a lot of the time. People do that way too much and play way too defensively. Um, as we move along to race number four at Sam Houston, we've got optional fifty non twos in here. So uh, the one good with numbers was favored on January the eighth in a race with canoodling that a couple of these uh, all come out of. And good with numbers didn't have the smoothest trip, but. Um, the the concern that I have uh, with her and is that she sort of had like that inside trip where she got a little trouble. I don't know why her trip today is going to be all that different than the one she got last time. She's not the fastest. She's going to have to try to work out a trip from down there. Um, at least she's not an Asmussen who will will probably be you know a four to five. But um, you got the two inside horses that are going to take some money here. Who who are you looking at in the fourth? Yeah, so I really do not like the Asmussen horse in the rail. Um, she was nominated to a stakes race that one of my fillies ran in. So I really, you know, went through the nominations. I watched her maiden, you know, it was a maiden 150,000 at uh, Keeneland. So, I mean, it's really a maiden special weight. 
but there aren't, you know, just monsters in there. And I thought that number she ran in that was just totally fraudulent. Like, I mean, there's all the horses that came out of that race have done nothing. Um, she didn't have to, I mean, do anything to win that race. And as you can see, you know, I think I was right. She's kind of hasn't yep. done much since. Nope. Um, I really like fashion moon in here. The two for J.R. Caldwell, he's hitting at 26%. Um, that's a little bit of a misleading 26% because he is 0% with first time starters and he's had yeah. a handful in here. So with older horses, I mean, he's probably hitting at something like 35%. Um, I really, <laughs> I wasn't a fan of the ride in here. I'm not sure how much I can get into this, but I mean, Ivan Ariano's not allowed to ride at Houston for the remainder of the meet. Um, oh, wow. Probably can't say why, but I mean, getting just an upgrade over Ariano, who I mean, this horse had every reason to win. And I think she just got a garbage ride getting an upgrade to Gonzalez in here, I think will make the difference. I really like Fashion Moon in the fourth race. There's only two horses that I'm using in here. The two is one of them, Fashion Moon. The other one is one that I did not like at all. I definitely played against her last time, but she had a tough trip. I'm talking about mostly distorted. What I love about her is she goes from the inside to the outside, and she had that down inside trip where she was close up early. She got shut off on the inside. She had nowhere to go. She lost all chance. But she kept trying she, she she could have easily just backed up Packed it in, backed up, and just lived the fight another day But she kept trying She ended up finishing fourth that day Now she goes inside to outside What I like is that she's got speed So if they want, she can be close to the pace in here I think she's probably going to sit second or third There from the outside with Rye And I just much prefer the draw for her So I'm going to use 2-7 in all of my exotics Fashion Moon for a lot of the reasons that you said To me, she's no doubt the one to beat Of the horses that I think will take money I much prefer Fashion Moon over a horse like Good with Numbers um, Who, you know, Fashion Moon was good She she ran a really good race She was the best of the horses that were battling And that were showing tactical speed She just lost to a horse who came from off the pace too Who got a better trip You mentioned the ride We should get a better one in here So 2-7, I have 7-2 uh, in all the exotics here And uh, Sam's very strong on Fashion Moon in this spot Because, you know, when I'm looking at a race like this I looked at underneath And it would be the next, like Ring of choices I don't I don't like doing that using four horses That are all going to be like A, B, C, D I couldn't get to Princess of Shy town or Samborita In here so uh, hey little shout to Hooked on a kiss that was a uh, one of my I think one of the only really good horses I've had In your contest so far <laughs> where I had Hooked on a kiss uh, <laughs> to close out uh, On uh, opening day I think and, and get me a nice like $35 winner so We move on to the Pulse Power Turf Sprint Unfortunately uh, it's no longer the FU Turf Sprint which was always uh, a great A great name for a race Sam the old Frontier Utilities Turf Sprint now it's the uh, the Pulse Power Turf Sprint where are you starting in Race number five So I think I've you know been down On Aspie Center for the first four races This is one where I actually really like his horse A lot share the upside um, This one's Made me a lot of money at Lone Star Remington. It's three for three on the turf. Um, I think, you know, he probably just tried, you know, those dirt races towards the end of the meet just because there weren't any turf races available at Remington at that point. Um, I mean, there might not have been any <laughs> turf races available anywhere in the country. Um, I think this one, you know, not, I mean, he needs the lead to win. He might get it. I think share the upside in here is probably the one I'll take. But I mean, I'll be honest, this is not. A race where I have a really strong opinion If I was playing, you know, early pick five This would be the race where I would Really spread pretty deep Um, I don't love 
I, I don't love Fast Boat, and there's been a lot of stuff going on with Joe Sharp Barn mm-hmm. recently too. Um, they said they didn't think Fast Boat loved fairgrounds and comes over here. If, if he ends up taking money, I, I can go elsewhere. I do need the horse you mentioned. Share the upside. He, he lost to Welder. Welder is a 26-time winner. Like Welder's yeah. so cool. He won five more times in 2020. The horse who I really like, and I will be using the two and the three as my top tier. Caratory. I've followed and sort of uh, been on this horse a, a bunch of different times here. He's got speed, but he can sit. When you go through his entire career, race by race, it all makes sense. Every time he runs poorly, he's got like a legitimate excuse for the reason of running poorly. You can put lines right through them. You see one of the races back in May where he didn't run all that well. He had some trouble and it was coming off of a couple month break. Since then, he's run pretty good races. Uh, on September the 4th, he actually again had trouble. He was behind Diamond Oops in a, a pretty tough, like a much tougher race than this. Kiratori's best efforts, like something we saw on. August the 2nd, some of the things we saw in early 2020, January, March, those races, they absolutely beat these. And what I like is that he's got the speed to stay close, but he's also got the ability to sit off a little bit and pass some horses. So I'm going to use Caratori everywhere, the number three. If I can get like five to one, I'll definitely make a win wager on him. I have the two and three as my top tier. Uh, other horses I would look to, as you mentioned, it was sort of a spread out race. Uh, it depends on what you want to do with the seven. I thought the 12 as sort of a horse with upside I don't like the draw obviously it's way out there And uh, you've got a pilot who um, You know might might be a difficult task Trying to work out a trip from out there Going five on the turf But he's got some upside He's got some speed And from out there at least he has some speed To maybe either flee that post Or secure a nice spot Uh, I have three, two, over um, in 12 And then question marks on whatever anyone wants to do With the seven But for me I'm all over the two, three here in the uh, the formally named Fu Turf Sprint, <laughs> <laughs> got to be able to say that as many times as we can. Oh yeah. Let's move to the late pick five, the sixth race. It's the Stoner Side Sprint, uh, seventy five thousand here, and you have another Ask Me Sin horse who's going to be taking a lot of money. This one from the Rail Nitrous, who does come out of some of the better races in here. Where do you stand with the one Nitrous? I think you're just single Nitrous. I mean, I agree. Like, I agree. I mean, I don't. I think just looking at the entries in here, I think none of the other connections thought it was even a possibility that Nitrous would show up at Sam Houston. He's here. I mean, he is the prohibitive favorite in a race like this. He's I think faced he also- so much better. I mean, yeah, so yeah. much better horses. I And it's funny that I think win or lose – it just kind of shows you that it's probably a race to to uh, to, to maybe to do this because I can't remember very many times when the three times that we've talked where you and I are both like you just need to single this favorite and move on. This is definitely one of them. Um, I just couldn't like who else are you going to to make a case for? And if you're trying to, I guess the horses would be like the four, five, and six. You know, they would be like the most intriguing with upside. I don't really like the nine at all going six furlongs. I I think that's a little bit like a little bit. Beyond where he's best at his scope He has one going farther But I just think he's better going five, five and a half Like I played Skyride last time out And he's got a little bit of upside Just in that he's a price And he could maybe fall into a nice spot I just can't see Like Bourbon Cowboy He's got some huge races back in 20 Like from 2015 to 2019 And the barn thinks that he's You know he's maybe on the way to getting back there So I wouldn't be shocked if no bourbon cowboy ran well But what what is well for any of, of those horses Like if they run their career best And Nitrous runs like a C- minus, He still wins this race 
Yeah, and I'm hoping, I mean, he's at eight to five morning line. He's going to be more like, you know, four to five. You might yeah. actually, they might play up in the pick five, though, just because people are generally scared about getting knocked out in the first. Right leg, off the so bat, like, right? Nobody wants to single yeah. right away and be done. Yeah, uh, I'm not scared. I mean, Me <laughs> if he loses, I'll just move on, move on to the next race. It's but well, I think, actually, um, at Sam Houston, when the when everything's twelve percent, right? Like when you're playing at another track where they've got the twelve percent pick fives, and then they got twenty five percent pick fours, you want to make sure that you don't get knocked out as much. You're like, okay, I don't want to have to come back and and lose like half more of my money in the next wager. Sam Houston, if you play a pick four and you get knocked out, you come right back and play a twelve percent pick three, or you play a pick three, you get knocked out, you come back and play a twelve percent double. It it doesn't feel any different. Like it doesn't feel like you're getting uh, you're getting robbed. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think. <laughs> I mean, he's just so much the best that it's hard to really even make a case for anyone else in that race. I agree. Yep, we're nitrous, singled, move on. I had one over uh, five, four, six. if you're looking to play him on top. Or maybe you want to play one small sort of spread ticket and, and say, hey, maybe if he does get beat, I could be alive for uh, for big, big money. The Texas Turf Mile. What a race here. We have just a massive field. We've got 12. We've got a couple also eligibles here. You got Mark Cassie, Brett Calhoun, Asmussen, Pletcher, Pete Erton, Mike Maker, Keith DeSormo, Frank Lucarelli. You name it. It's a who's who of Barnes. This is a really cool betting race with lots of different directions to go. Fighting Force who comes in from Gulfstream Park was a runner-up against Stakes Company last time out. Is the lukewarm favorite on the morning line Win from within uh, The other Pletcher was impressive Winning in his turf debut uh, Those two will will take some of the money in here Where are you starting? Um, I'm tossing both of the Pletcher horses um, The reason why is There's a grade 3 at Gulfstream In a couple days And I mean both of these Pletcher horses Were nominated um, You know if they were like Pletcher's a turf horses they're not coming to houston they're running in that graded stakes race um so i think these are you know pletchers like b or maybe even c horses mm-hmm. um, and they're just going to take money because you know it's it's todd pletcher and I mean, when's the last time todd ran at sam houston i mean maybe never um the horse i really like a lot in here is on the rail palazzi i think is how yep. you say it we're in some um, trouble yep we're together here Todd's, again yeah, so impressive really, right uh, yeah, they, they tried to get him on a turf two back, um, you know, didn't run that well, but it was washed off. Finally gets on the turf, second time Lasix. I mean, does not break well, um, has a weird trip. It says, you know, he only won by one, but I mean, he never looked like a loser down the stretch. He was kind of geared down to win by one. If, if Ridman really like wanted to, he could have won by three. I think, you know, everyone's going to see this troubled trip, so I don't think, you know, we're not saying anything that other people can't see. I just think if you if you get past the Pletchers, that's probably the one I like the most. Hundred percent. I mean, he it was it was interesting because he immediately took back and he crossed over uh, to save ground. He was thirteen in a field of fourteen, and he was legitimately fifteen lengths out of it, like that far back. He ends up kind of angling to the two path. And then all of a sudden it was like boom, Bridge Mahan like pressed the button and this guy just went flying. He made a five wide move all the way, absolutely inhaled the field. M- one of my notes was just wowza with a couple exclamation points <laughs> afterwards. Like it was that kind of a, a a race. And this would be the type of a horse in a pick five who I'd love to single to. You can get a little bit of separation or a start of pick four on one different ticket if you play a couple. I usually play a couple different tickets. This would definitely be a horse who I'd love to single to start a pick four. Because the reason you mentioned too, there's just enough big other barns where 
He's not going to take a ton of money. Both the, I mean, he's going to take some money, even if people see it. But both the Pletchers are going to take money. Excess Magic is going to take money off of a big figure last time out. Um, I think you have to use Palazzi if he's if he's over like seven to two. I'll probably make a win wager on him as well. Uh, you mentioned the five, and I'm I'm like I'm Luke Luke on the five. If you're looking for a price. I did think the eight chess's dream is a little bit interesting. Now he's coming off of a win against Florida Breads, but if you look previously, he has competed fine against Open Company, and he was sixth last time out in his start at Gulfstream. He was about five off on the inside. He was behind horses. He was loaded. He was just waiting for room, waiting to go, and then he angled around easy and won. It was like a big confidence building win. I have no idea how good the horses he beat were, and this is no doubt a, a step up. But if he's I don't think he'll be twenty to one because of the barn and the and just the jock with Maker and Leperow. But if he's ten, twelve, um, I think he's he's a he's a fun horse to maybe throw into to one of your pick fours there. Um, mention Excess Magic, who has actually crossed the wire three times tracking from the inside. He would he would be a, another one um, there. And then your buddy Texas Bad Boy. I mean, he he's been awesome. This just feels like a, a tough task for him uh, with 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 a, in a pretty deep and tough group. Yeah, this is probably just too tough of a race for Texas Bad Boy. Um, I, I don't like any. I think there's three kind of local-ish horses in here. I wouldn't use any of the three. Um, I don't really love Excess Magic or Invincibility. They came out of the same race. There's a six-horse field. I didn't. I didn't see a lot there. I mean, at what point did you know Palazzi was going to win that race? I mean, there's probably like three furlongs left. You're like, boom, he's the winner. He's the winner. He was yeah. the winner. I mean, he just looked all the way around. And like you said, it was. He he like he pressed the button and then he started yeah. to go and then he didn't even ask him again. And it was just yeah, like was- he completely went by them and sort of was like looking. And I think it was just like, oh, I don't I don't even have to ask at all. It was like I'm just along it was one of those like along for the ride <laughs> pilot piloting, you know, experiences. A hundred percent. It was I mean it, it it was one of the more impressive, you know, turf races for a young horse that I've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. Palazzi, a horse that we're definitely uh, high on In the Texas turf mile We move to the big one, it's the start of the late Pick three and you've got the Houston Ladies Classic, they're going to go a mile and a 16th $300,000 up for Grabs, we have last year's Winner, Lady Apple, and I gotta Say, uh, I do not like her uh, In this spot, she won Last year, big victory It was a, a race where it was A very spread out field And they were all in it till very late And then since then she hasn't won And it, it almost feels like she's been It kind of took something out of her a little bit um, her, In her most recent start At Fairgrounds it was just a field of five She was third on the inside She was behind horses She actually broke well but she she took back And then she, she angled to the outside She had dead aim She just really couldn't quicken I don't love her in this spot um, I guess from from like a conversation standpoint We should probably start with Latruska Who is a multiple graded stakes winner Who just won a grade 3 by 6 plus Blinkers off gave her a career best buyer speed figure Last time out From the outside she looks like the one They'll have to catch and beat Yeah and I think this is what I mentioned earlier You know one of the themes of, of the handicapping on the dirt Is I'm not sure that you want to be No On the lead um, I mean she's the horse to beat There's no doubt about that I mean she's even money morning line She's going to be more like four to five I tried to find you know a couple of horses That could come off the pace and beat her I think the one I like the most is Ujai, the three. Mm-hmm. She just ran third at Aqueduct. Um, and it, 
she lost to two really good horses. Thankful Miss Marissa, they're multiple winners in, um, in 2020. I mean, she looked like she was just getting there. Wasn't quite good enough. You know, it's kind of a weird day at Aqueduct. It says it was fast, but that track is just really deep. Um, I know that Raylu likes the two horse jeweled princess. Yeah. Um, she ran, you know, three wins out of her last four races at Rivington, same sort of deal. You know, she's going to come from off the pace. I think, you know, those are the two that I like other than Latruska. What I'm hoping happens is motion to motion and Latruska kind of get in some sort of pace duel and set it up for someone else. I mean, exactly. Latruska's, I mean, like I said, she's she's the horse to beat. Respect Latruska a lot. I think, you know, if I was going to try to find someone else, I'd probably use the two and the three in here. Yep, completely agreed. For me, it's I'm looking at the race exactly like you are. If motion to motion, she is no doubt the key to this race. If she doesn't break well and go after Latruska, the race is probably over. Um, if she breaks well and with with the morning with the work she's had in the morning and with Aspen saying she's been working so great she's been working really fast she's got enough natural speed too with the inside draw to make things difficult on Latruska. I mean look at some of the races motion emotion is coming out of too. She was beaten by Midnight Bisu in her last few. So you know she's the key. If if we're and if we're handicapping the race that way I think that the two horses that you really lean on are the exact two that you mentioned, the two and the three, because I'm cold on Lady Apple. I just don't, I think she's going to take a lot of money. And if she wins and she's around like, anywhere from five to two to five to one, she can beat me. I, I, I would just want more on her right now with, with her recent form. Um, Jeweled Princess is the one who I slightly lean to. She's just, she's on the improve right now. She snuck through the rail on the inside and she held off a flying, uh, a filly who was flying late last time out. If you can just excuse the September race at Remington, where um, she just, she's had a wide trip. She was, she was four deep early and she was, then she was inside behind horses. What she's done in her last five or six are really, really good. Um, upside on the improve, Ujai feels like one who could fall into a really nice trip as well. And then depends on what are you doing with Latruska. I'm going to make Jewel Princess my slight top selection. The the four horses that we mentioned are the ones that I'm I'm you know either going to be using or to me are the ones that I would think about using one, two, three, and seven. I don't need Lady Apple as much, and I am a little worried about motion to motion. Like I don't know. If she can get the trip she needs to win this, I think she could. She can definitely have a big say in what happens in this race with with how they handle her. Yeah, you know, I used to really be high in motion to motion, but she she just hasn't gotten better. She hasn't progressed. Like. Yep, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, jeweled princess. She's you know, like I said, three out of her last four in the Remington Park Oaks. I had a filly in there, um, but the winner of that race, Ebutant. I mean, it's just like she's just a freak. So yeah. losing to that horse, you know, isn't something to be ashamed about. Um, I'm, I don't think Lady Apple, I mean, I, I, she's going to be a bigger price, I think. I mean, it looks like Steve's been trying to figure out what to do with this horse since she won the Ladies Classic, tried some, you know, better graded stakes races, didn't run at all. I eventually tried the turf at one point. Um, I think, you know, she's just not good enough anymore. No, so I think that- those are the three horses we talked about are probably – the ones to use. I mean, I think you either single Latruska or try to find a couple others. 
completely agree. Trusca and other horses, that's just wasting money. I feel. Like. Yeah, that's not the way. That's not the approach in here. It's either do Latruska or if you're trying to beat Latruska, and then you'd you'd probably look towards Jeweled Princess Ujai. If you're trying to beat Latruska, you'll probably even throw in a horse like Motion of Motion, hoping that she could get back to form. You know, if you're going against the chalk. But two two for me, no doubt about it. Two three, we're looking at as sort of the horses who could uh, who could be your best value and could get the trip here. Let's go to the John B. Connolly race number nine, mile and a half on the turf course at Sam Houston. Another graded stakes race here. Uh, where do you begin in this marathon turf race? So this is kind of you know similar to the turf sprint. I thought this race was just really difficult. You know, we talked about the first couple legs of the pick five. I feel like I might go single, single, two deep. And I mean, this is one where I mean, I, I'm not gonna hit the all button, but I mean, that's gonna be. It's going to be pretty deep in here. I mean, the one I guess I thought I'd talk about was Tut's Revenge, the four. I think, you know, he's never run this far. I mean, not even close. But I didn't see a ton of speed in here. And maybe, you know, maybe he'll be able to wire the field. Um, you know, I think Tenfold's going to take a bunch of money. I think there's another Asmussen that can be beaten. You know, Mike Maker wins this horse, it seems like, wins this race, I feel like, every year. I mean, I think that this, you just got to go I mean, really deep in this race to move on. One of the horses who I really like in this spot, and I think um, I, I make sure to throw him into some of your tickets, is Marzo. You could do a little digging with Marzo, and, um, and you can make some excuses for his last few. So uh, they took a shot on the synthetic, said that he just absolutely hated the synthetic, and they were just they just used it as a as a workout. No no issue there. Two starts back at uh, Saratoga, soft turf in August, and they were sent to the bench for a few months after. So I think you can just put a line right through that. If you put a line through the last two races. Now and you're tossing December 31st You're tossing the August 29th Look at the form prior to that and that string Of like five races even the fifth In the Bowling Green when sort of Runoff speed early that was a Just a different choice of tactic that Day the races where he was sitting Just behind those aren't bad I mean he ran into a, a sharp factor this Who's a tough horse when he can wire a field This is a, a horse Marzo who was your favorite Last year in the John B. Connolly And was only beaten a length and a half and ran and ran pretty well Bema's boy came out of that race to win I think there are a string of races That are definitely good enough I mean what he did in the Sycamore in 2019 Would no doubt win this race The question is when a horse goes off form like that Are they still some of that same horse I'm I'm willing to to gamble on it When they're the price like this When they're Six, eight, ten, twelve to one. I think Marzo will be in what's a, a really spread out race. Um, I, I don't really love the five uh, conviction trade as much, mainly because the horse who beat him last time out, Sir Anthony, he just came back over the weekend at, at Gulfstream Park. He ran sixth in the Grade Three McKnight. Um, and, and just if you're playing like the common rival game, if you go over to Spooky Channel and you look at some of the horses who he's been facing, you look at Largent and Doswell. They both came back and ran really well over the weekend. Largent was second in the Pegasus World Cup. Doswell was third in that same grade three, and he actually should have won. He got a butcher job (laughs) of a ride that day. I was not too happy, but nonetheless, those horses are just a little bit better. So I think Spooky Channel is is a he's not a favorite. We talk about favorites that I'd be wanting to just completely chuck out. That's probably not the case here. I don't think he's one that you completely just toss out of your exotic. So I will start and sort of on my top tier. I've got six and ten. You mentioned Tut's Revenge, who's just really, really sharp right now, and uh, he will probably be on the engine here or, or close to it. Um, 
I think there's a bust out long shot. Okay, are there two horses that are if you're if you're spreading out deep in this race, if you're you know sort of a playing an approach like Sam said, where maybe you have a couple singles early in the pick five or pick four, and this feels like a spread out leg. There are two bombs that I, I thought were interesting. The nine of Vittori Kin. So this is a eight year old now. He has not won in quite some time. He's over his last thirteen, but. He was a group one winner going a mile on the turf in Brazil in 2016. He's a grade three winner in 2018 here in the United States. 0 for 13 since that grade three win, but now it's second time Stidham. He was behind a horse named Logical Myth last time out who has actually won his second race in a row. And Vittori Kin was down on the inside, and it was a race that had really no passing. The top three horses in, in that race that finished one, two, three. They were one, two, three all the way around the track. Logical myth just kind of snuck through on the inside. So Vittori Kin now, second start off the long layoff, second start in the Stidham barn with a horse who has some back class to call on. I think if if he's going to show some improvement, this might be the spot. And and this might be a spot at a huge price to show a little bit of improvement. I don't think Stidham would just put him in this race unless he he was liking what he was seeing with him recently So um, I, I'll throw him in And then my other big bomb in here um, Was the 12 Henley's Joy Who I love horses like this Who he, he's over his last nine But look at some of those races Talked about Logical Myth Who just came out of that race to win again He's got Zulu Alpha twice when Zulu Alpha was really good He's got a sharp factor this Who comes out of that race to win He hooks Mo Forza in back to back races And Mo Forza comes out of both of those to win So he runs into some really really sharp horses I mean he's capable You can see on the bottom of the page The Belmont Derby win He's capable of jumping up with a win Good enough to beat this group He's just not consistent But at 15 to 1 You don't really need as much consistency You just need him to, to be good enough on this day So 9-12 were some of my bombs To throw in for uh, for folks who want to go a little deeper Yeah, I mean Thank you because I mean, I'm mean i going to be going super deep In that race I, <laughs> yeah. I, it, that's just, it's just really tough I feel like it's tough year after year Just because you know, there just aren't that many, you know, mile and a half turf races, first of all. And then second of all, I mean, there's none down here. So that's it's probably the race that I have the biggest difficulty in year after year. I, yeah, and I, and I just don't see a prohibitive favorite either. We move on to the Jersey Lily turf to close things out. So we have uh, Joe Sharp horse from the rail catch a bid who is seven to five on the morning line who came into the this barn now from Chad Brown. Um, and again, I mentioned earlier, there are some issues with the Joe Sharp barn. So with a horse like this, you wonder, I mean, he's going to be a short, she's going to be a short price on, on paper. It looks like, it looks like there are three that are going to just take a lot more money than the rest of, uh, of these. Uh, it's catch a bid, it's stunning sky. And then it's sort of the up and coming morning Molly for Tom Proctor. You've got catch a bid who we haven't seen since. August you've got stunning sky who's a closer who doesn't always get the pace to run at and then you got you know the seven who who had came off of a really long layoff was just beaten last time out um I guess we'll start talking about those like top tier of horses so any of those that you like don't like using tossing yeah I mean I would probably toss the rail horse catch a bit just because I don't see anyone moving up a horse off Chad Brown on the turf and I mean I that's just one where I feel like, you know, seven to five morning lines, he's probably going to be every bit of it. And I just, I just don't see it of the three, you know, favorites. I probably like morning Molly the best just because she's really consistent. Um, you know, 
three wins and six races, two seconds. It kind of makes sense now that they're going to come to this race. You know, she's kind of been running an optional claiming race as a handicap. It's time to try a, stirk, a stakes race. They're not going into graded stakes. I feel like they've been trying to like, you know, she's already five years old. So they're trying to kind of progress her consistently. This is probably the next step in the progression. So I get why they're here. Stunning Sky. I don't love when, you know, she kind of ran all of her good races. They were restricted to three-year-olds. And now she's four, having to go against older horses. I usually like to, you know, have them prove it once against older horses. You know, you just see Oaks, Oaks, Oaks. Um, so of those three, Morning Molly is probably the one I like a lot out of those. You know, I think Curlin's journey's kind of interesting. It's, um, it's just a, we, we talked about numbers. Sophie, and she just been struggling so much. You know, and that's the and and I completely agree with you. Like she looks like she's going to fall into a great spot. Right, like yeah. if you can just excuse her last race, and and that was against tougher. Like the Delica Secret Message races are are better than a lot of these have been facing. It just it's it's hard with Sophie, who you know you and I were talking about. She is someone who's generally like between a ten to fifteen percent rider, and for the first few weeks of this meet, she was at like zero. I mean, we're talking not like low percentage, just not winning at all. She finally got a victory, but with someone who's struggling, do you want to? Now here the, the positive is Curlin's journey is going to be 10 to 1 plus So we're not talking about um, Having to accept a very short price but Can she can she navigate this trip Going long on the grass against some good Horses when she's struggling a little bit you know That's something that, that definitely is worth taking into account Yeah and I mean I think you know If you look at the form it just says 15% last Year but I mean what it doesn't tell you is She was riding first call for Danny Caldwell and Via Franco at Remington and I mean that guy I mean he just celebrated his thousandth thousandth win of his career as an owner so i mean he you know he had multiple horses in every day she was riding first call for you know the one of the best barns there so she's 15 percent. but i mean if she's not first call for caldwell she's i don't know eight percent um i mean nothing against her personally i just think she's you know kind of on a cold streak here so it happens in every I, sport right with every yeah. athlete we see it with everyone and then you start you start struggling and you get in you get in your head a little bit right you start thinking about it like oh no am i going to i got to move a little early here i got to move late and then what ends up happening it's like if you're a baseball player every time you step in the box it's o2 when you're struggling it's like how the hell did i foul off a ball and then i caught the bad end of like a corner strike it sort of seems like that when you're and you're in racing like you, you you get out of the gate and you're dead last or you get stuck down on the inside like every single time trying to get out and then she'll she'll start to win and then rattle off because she gets in good enough mounts too where she'll start to win and she'll rattle off a good streak in a row but you know when you're when you're it's just always something to mention when someone's going hot someone's going gold cold jockey trainer anyone in this game especially it's such like a cerebral game and it's it's i mean if you're good you're winning at 20% you know right. like you're you're losing 80% of the damn time so that's you know it it just is a men- such a mental game here but i i i you know, all that being said like i would not want Curlin's journey to be sitting like second or third And I'm trying to close out a pick four or five And I don't have her on my ticket at like 15 to one Right <laughs> yeah I mean I th- If you're going to bet on a horse like that You want you know you want 15 to one You don't want to bet on someone who's cold at five to two Yeah um, so it makes it makes sense I mean like I said to I me mean, she's a she's a good rider She's eventually going to win um, Just how much do you want to bet on On that you know If you'd bet on her in the last 26 races you won You won one of them so you got to Take that into account 
I think you need Morning Marley in here You mentioned she, uh, And keep in mind Morning Molly She was coming off of a long layoff In her last start there at, at Tampa She hadn't raced from March to January And she had a trip on the turf That gen- generally does not work She was kind of stacked up wide Two, three deep That's a trip that works fine on the gr- on the main track On the dirt But when you're like that on the grass when you're When you're losing ground all the way around That rarely works She actually moved up to the lead She took the lead and and she just got a little tired late. She absolutely needed the race, and she should step back, uh, you know, and and be a little more fit in here. So I think you need the one to try to close things out. Um, yeah, I've chased Stunning Sky so many times that, <laughs> because she's the type of filly with her running style where she comes from behind a lot. Where you watch a lot of her trips, and there's like trouble, and you can say, oh, okay, I want to better back next time. Oh, okay, she got into trouble. I want to better back next time. My concern with this race too is like. There, it doesn't seem like there's that much speed. I think we got a couple, you know, elegant de domino, maybe quick, quick, quick. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if catch a bit is like close from the rail. That's sort of why, you know, I'm fine with Curlin's journey and morning Molly, who I think could maybe just be sitting in front of some of the deeper closers in here. So, um, yeah, uh, to close things out, we'll see. Maybe this can be the race that wakes it that uh, that gets uh, Sophie off the sh- off the schnei, kind of wakes her up a little bit. Maybe she'll have won a couple others earlier in the day, and and she'll be feeling it here with with the five Curlin's journey. Um, but just I don't. Uh, this isn't a, any race where I would say single catch a bid or just single the eight stunning sky. Those are two short price horses that I'm I'm not in love with. Yeah, if I was going to single one in here, it'd be Morning Molly. Um, I, I'd probably, you know, this is another race where I probably tried to go pretty deep. Like we talked about, you know, the first two legs of the late pick five, we might go single, single. So you'll be able to, you know, to spread a little bit. Um, I think, you know, there's questions kind of about every single horse in here. So it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, yeah, you got to use a few in here. I think. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. You know, the yeah. five and the seven, Curlin's Journey, Morning Molly are probably the ones we like. I'll probably try to find a couple more closer to Sunday. Um, it's just a tough race. And when we do uh, want to find out more information from you, because you're someone who's great on Twitter, on social media, posting throughout the uh, the race dates. So you and I are recording this early on Thursday, um, so you're a great follow for you know, just like you said, you you'll continue to post selections or throughout races if a horse feels too high of a price, somebody else to look at. Where can we follow along and uh, and uh, and see what you're working on? So on Twitter, it's at Sherman underscore Sam. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'll be paying attention. Uh, to Sam Houston, you know, from today, Thursday, all the way through Sunday. Be interesting to see how the track plays. And I mean, once again, I mean, I think there's probably five or six Asmussen horses that are going to be favored on Sunday. If you can find a way to beat them, um, you're going to be rewarded. Sam, I really appreciate it, man. It's been so much fun the last couple of weeks uh, talking with you now, back and forth, handicapping the races with you. You are uh, are doing a hell of a job, and so now it's the big one. Hopefully, we can uh, we can lead the the folks out there to some winners. A great follow on social media, and uh, definitely a great ambassador for Sam Houston and for racing over there in Texas. Good luck this weekend, Sam. Uh, I'll talk to you again soon and, and see when we can link up and, and bring you back for more because the folks just love it when you come on and we're able to go through the the full card. So just thank you so much for your time. Really. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Sam Sherman, folks, you heard how to follow him on social media and a huge Sunday coming up. We're going to be talking all about it on Twitter uh, with all the Sam Houston racing on Sunday. Don't go anywhere, folks. Plenty more on That's What She Said. 
Another great chat with Sam Hopefully we led you to a few winners For the big Sunday I am very excited about an interview We did earlier this week With Cindy Carava One of our sponsors Full service realtor I'm going to put that on one of the episodes Of That's What G Said next week Because we have a little that we're going to add to it But if you're looking for anything In the world of real estate Cindy Carava is a full service realtor Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, C-A-R-A-V-A Dot com That's the website You can get all of the information there She can help you out with buying With selling With leasing She can help you find vendors, handymen, painters Landscapers, she can help you get pre-approved For a home loan and connect you with The uh, the lenders that she works Closely with CindyCarava.com If you have any questions, that's the website You can get all the information there Find all the listings and we're going to get a bunch of info About Cindy next week on That's What G Said Podcast Right now you're going to get a bunch of information about this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper We recap AEW Dynamite and then we give a little Royal Rumble preview We talk about the men's and the women's rumbles there with Chad Cooper About a half hour of wrestling talk coming your way This week in wrestling with Chad Cooper And this week in wrestling is probably one of the biggest weeks of the entire year in wrestling that we'll have to talk about It is personally my favorite. I got to say, WrestleMania is awesome. I love it. Uh, but when it comes to the Royal Rumble, Chad, this is the event for me as a kid, the one that I've always loved the most. I think a lot of people probably feel similar. You get the 30 men in one ring, now 30 women in, in one ring. We've got two Rumbles. You get the excitement of not knowing who's coming out at which number. You got the excitement of not knowing, you know, there's still 10 guys that we haven't had a had entrance. This has always been a show that I love, and I get really pumped the week leading up to the Royal Rumble. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, and I 100% agree. You know, with WrestleMania, you kind of know, you know, we know the matches, we know the storylines, because it begins basically this week. Um, And, you know, the countdown, uh, of course, we're not going to have fans in the building as we did last year. So I'm curious if they take it, if they do anything different because of that, right? Yes. Are there different guys or gals that they say, okay, hey, their reaction, we don't have to worry about the reaction they're going to get. So we can can bring them in here or maybe vice versa. Is there maybe someone that they want to wait on a little bit that they choose not to bring? So that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's it's you know they can try different things. Uh, you you can see debuts, um, and we'll get into that in just a second. I'm sure we're going to see a couple of debuts from NXT uh, up to the main roster, and then uh, you know we'll have our 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 normalcies. But uh, yeah, it's always exciting to do the countdown right and ten nine. Yep. You know, and, and hear everyone joining along and see who's going to come next in the entrance. Does somebody take off running? Does Titus O'Neil fall again? You know, who makes their mark in the Royal Rumble this year? It's always fun. Okay, we're going to get through uh, what happened real quick on AEW Dynamite, and then we're going to spend most of this time this week talking about the Rumble since the Rumble is the big event coming up, and, that, and that'll kind of uh, encompass everything that was going on on Raw, SmackDown, and even some NXT stuff. So a uh, few things to mention from AEW Dynamite. Uh, at the beginning, we had uh, Kingston versus Lance Archer. We're looking like this feud is continuing on. Kingston had the uh, um, the what, the what spinning back fist with the knuckle. D- I love the knuckle duster, right? It's, yeah. no, it's not the brass knuckle. Though it's the knuckle duster, the knuckle duster. Yeah, it, it, it's always good to see the bunny, right? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, you know, back to that gimmick. Um, 
I, I, I like, you know, I like Me Eddie too. Kingston. He cuts great promos. I'm, you know, I was, I was fine with this match, and this ought to be a, a very physical feud going forward. We had Chris Jericho and MJF, and they keep going. MJF takes the mic, and he, he says he wants to talk to Sammy, and then he tells uh, Griff Garrison that he beat him previously, and he <laughs> tells Griff, hey, if you just want to just quit right now, you know, and just, like, save everybody the time, which was, like, if somebody else grabbed the mic and did that, it would come off sort of stupid, but it just hits so, so perfectly with <laughs> M- with MJF. And, uh, and then you could tell that in some way, shape, or form, Jericho was definitely reading the internet chatter about that lion salt last week because he yeah, he, he had a damn good one as sort of like a hey just <laughs> shut up all you fans out there I can still do this lion salt yeah I'm I'm still here I'm a little bit older uh, <laughs> and you did know, you see the pose I, I, that he had on his uh, on his Twitter picture where he like <laughs> he made the like the six pack sort of chest like yeah flexing. I, I did. That was fantastic. It was and, and just and just when you you know you count Jericho out and you go, oh, he's getting pummeled on Twitter, blah blah this. He comes up, you know, that's why he's one of the best. You know, he, he just is. Him and MJF, their personas have been this has been a home run for AEW putting those two together. It really has. Uh we got some uh post match um stuff with MJF and Sammy a little bit. Um we got some uh um. Uh, oh, a, a promo from Pac sending a message to Kenny Omega. Uh, which is which is cool. Anything with Pac, uh, I absolutely love. So we're starting to get the build up for uh, Beach Break next week, and and then here we go. We got Shaq. Shaq's <laughs> in the mix with AEW. Shaq challenged <sighs> Cody Rhodes to a match in March. Uh, Arn Anderson comes out and cuts a pretty cool promo where Cody was about to cry. You know, he's talking all about how uh, he remembers when Dusty was, you know, wrestling the the when Cody was about to be born, and he says, "I know you've got um, a kid on the way, and you may have a couple of different things that you're juggling, and your focus might not be there." Uh, and that sort of set up for uh, Red Velvet to to come on out, and so now we are going to have uh, it looks like. The tag here I I don't think I think this was the only way they could really do it Brandy's pregnant now So the original plan was going to be Cody and Brandy versus Shaq and Red Velvet I don't think Shaq is capable Of doing a singles match I think they want Shaq in there for maybe One spot and so I'm assuming now with the way this is set up, and I, I think Red Velvet cut a pretty damn good promo. Uh, I thought when she came out too, she was pretty impassioned and uh, and pretty fiery. So this is right now, like this happens in wrestling sometimes, right? Somebody gets hurt, something goes wrong, card subject to change. This is what this is. I think the best like fix that they have for that. And I, I think this is going to be a match where the women probably do a lot of the work, and we'll get some sort of small Cody Shack interaction. Yeah, you know, we we were introduced to Jade a while back, and uh, you know, we saw you know Jade and uh, you know with uh, slapping Cody and 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 yeah. people, you know, with the uh, Britt Baker show. Um, yeah, I, I could see Jade and Cody, you know, doing a couple of moves. Because um, <laughs> she's know, gone after Cody too. Yeah, yeah, it, she's yeah. So in. so I I could see I could see a Hurricane Rana there. I could see you know some different interaction there. And AEW is is not afraid for any type of intergender type stuff. They don't care. But uh, yeah, you're not going to see too much with Shaq. You know, it's curious uh, they're waiting until you know March for this. I assume you know Shaq has obligations, whether it's NBA on, on TNT or whatever. Uh, Maybe it's just giving him a little bit of time to get in shape. Yeah, to get Six prepared. Weeks, you know. You know whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, they have a pay-per-view at the end of February, but this, for Shaq, you know, 
network, this needs to be network TV. This doesn't, I don't think needs to be on paper. I don't think anyone is, is going to buy uh, a pay-per-view that normally does not because Sha- Shaquille O'Neal is there. Th- this is a has to be on network TV type match. And uh, you, you'll get a lot of mainstream exposure with that. So good call there to, to put it on TV instead of pay-per-view. Absolutely. And this is like, this is the kind of celebrity use that I'm fine with that I like. It's away from the title picture, right? It's, yes. it's like in its own world. And Cody's the good, like someone who's good. He's going to do the, get the best out of this that he can. You sort of need someone in the ring, too. Cause keep in mind, the, the four that'll be in the ring here, we've got three of them that are pretty raw, you know, yeah. you know, oh. both Red Velvet, Jade, and then obviously Shaq. So, um, yeah, it's not going to be, I, it's not going to be like the most technically sound match <laughs> probably, but it, it should be a lot of fun. And hey, Shaq's a big damn deal. So getting him on your show and having a, you know, like a month, month and a half to be able to promote this on TNT and, and Shaq having a couple promos where he's talking shit to Cody. Like, I think that that actually be really good for them. Oh, it is. And like I said, it works out for network TV and it works out for mainstream media taking it, gives him time, you know, to, to run the ropes a little bit and for them to come up with something. And who knows, you know, somebody else could could help Cody out here, a bigger guy or whatever it is. But now, now I'm, I'm OK with it. It's a little silly, but I'm OK with it. it. It's not supposed to be a five star, but I'm OK with it. Yeah, me too. Um, we move on. Oh, we got to we got to look at uh, Dolph Ziggler's brother here. Yeah, right. Ryan he, yeah, he, you know what? He it's funny. You if you didn't know, you could have figured it out in about five seconds, right? Yeah, like, you could have got the look, <laughs> the moves, even the way he was, wow, baby, like the kind of like he was like saying stuff in the ring. I was like, holy smokes, this is Dolph Ziggler, and he's got some ability, no doubt about it. Like he's he's got something there. Dolph is very good for as sure. much crap as people give Dolph. Like Dolph has been one of the best workers in the world for over a decade now. Like the guy can absolutely go. So this was fun. It was fun to see him. And I think they're telling a cool story with Hangman sort of. I I think it's a long-term story because they keep talking about how, you know, he he, not with the elite anymore and he's not going to be with the Dark Order. But now Money Matt Hardy's trying to kind of bring him in. He said he was was that like a a joke on the Miz? Like you're out there dressing in the in the you're not in your dressing room. You're dressing out there in the in the hallways, (laughs) like which they used to say about the Miz way back when like nobody would let him into the dressing room. (laughs) I I was like. You know, and that's the one thing I do like about AEW. They're not scared to make fun of what has went on in the WWE yeah. story, WWE <laughs> locker room, without exposing too much, too many of the boys, whatever it is. I thought so too. Hangman's, you know, has kind of been that drifter, even in uh, Ring of Honor, a little bit. And now, you know, you've got Big Money Matt Hardy, you know, off. You know, I'm going to give you some time. You know, you're in catering by yourself, blah, blah, this. I, I like it. I like Matt Hardy. If he, if Matt Hardy's not going to be in the ring, this was this is what he's best at is, is cutting promos. He's entertaining and fun. So I, I, I like this segment a lot. I got a long-term prediction coming that I think will okay. happen. And uh, I think we're going to get – so I think Paige will end up with the Dark Order. I think, I think Hardy – is going to keep trying to get Paige. He's not going to want to go with him. So then maybe Hardy and Private Party start to attack Paige. Dark Order comes out and saves them. So now Paige decides he wants to go with them. And I think six months down the line to a year down the line, the guy who eventually beats Kenny Omega, I think is going to be Hangman Page 
with the backing of the Dark Order to get them there. Um, sort of on this Brody Lee kind of run push. He's he feels like a guy, like I'm looking around the company and it's like it's not gonna be someone like Jericho. It's not like some who who's because I'm looking at Omega sort of how I'm looking at Roman Reigns now in WWE. Eventually they'll have to lose. Who's gonna be the one that beats them? Who's gonna be that baby face that can be like the company saving guy? I think it might be Adam Page, and I think if they're able to tell the story with him, like a long-term story, where for a few months he's not even involved with them, he's got nothing to do with Kenny right now and the Bucks or any of that stuff, and he can sort of build himself up to where a few months he goes, I got to go after Kenny, like I got to be the guy. Remember, this was a guy who we thought might have been the first ever AEW champion. He was in that match with Jericho. You took the words right out of my mouth. That's who I, you know, me and several others thought this company needs to put the title around this guy. He was he was really, really hot at the time. Not that the Bucks and Kenny Omega wasn't. I understand why they they put it on Jericho. They wanted the, you know, the big name pop. But I but I thought the first AEW champion should have been Hangman Page. And I can definitely see that storyline. And I buy it. I like it. Me too. I, I, it's slow burn, and he just kind of—he's able to stay in his own world for a, for a little while, for a month or two, sort of build things up, and, and then get back. Let Kenny and and Moxley sort of finish up what they've got going on here. Um, oh man, this next match was awesome, and I, the song "Oh, oh, 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 oh Tarzan Boy" it yeah. reminds me. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but it reminds me of freaking Beverly Hills Ninja with Chris oh, Farley absolutely. and yeah, Chris Rock. Sure. Because the song keeps playing while Chris Farley is trying to like teach Chris Rock the ninja stuff, and they're <laughs> swinging on this palm tree, going back and forth like oh, oh, oh. I, I just always reminds me of that when I hear. But this song is great. This song fits Jungle Boy. We've been saying it for a while. Um, Jungle Boy is so damn good, and this might have been one. Like I, I, the the match with MJF stands out to me, and any yes. of the stuff that he's done with him, this is on that short list of some of the best work we've seen from Jungle Boy. I mean, this was a fantastic match, and it just shows you uh, he ends up winning by submission. The song is gonna be awesome. Like the when when there's crowds there and a oh. bunch of people, they people are gonna be loving to be singing along with this guy. I mean. When eventually they put the title on MJF, this is going to be one of his major challengers for years to come. Like, I get goosebumps thinking about these two guys, if they stay healthy, what they could be. Because he is such a pure babyface. The size, the way he sells, everything about him. Facials, act, like acting, all the stuff you want from a babyface. He's got a connection with the crowd. It's it's awesome. Like I love this match. I love Jungle Boy. Every time I see him more and more, and I just want to see more of him on my TV. And this song puts it it's, puts it's so good more over the top. You know, more over. And I've been a big fan of Jurassic uh, Express since the the you know since day one. And Jungle Boy is one of the most talented wrestlers, not on that roster, but uh, in professional wrestling. And uh, this was a very solid match. I normally don't like when they break up solid tag teams up, you know, like FTR. You know, we've seen some of that in WWE. I was okay with this, and I love the old school, you know, Tully Blanchard throwing, the, you know, the, the powder in Luchasaurus's face. You know, it ha- kind of had that o- old school feel. I thought this was one of the high segments of this show uh, on Wednesday night. I agree. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Really, really good stuff. Uh, then we get... Uh, 
the outside uh, Daly's place. We get uh, Sting and Darby Allen. They're talking about their upcoming street fight. So at least we got some progression here over the last couple of weeks. I think one thing you and I have uh, have griped upon is that okay, Sting just shows up, doesn't do much, doesn't say much, nothing. We've at least got something that we are building towards now with him and Darby in this like abandoned warehouse. He just <laughs> throws like the skateboard, skateboard through the window. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's getting there. You know, it. This segment was better than better. Thing, you know, in, in, into uh, a promo backstage or promo in the ring. So this, this, we're getting progress. It, it's slow. Uh, we're getting progress. I was okay with it. It was much better than last week. And like I said, any any time we can get Sting outside of the, you know, outside of a, a promo and something like this, this was better planned and it came and it was more believable and it came over much better. It's much smoother. We can talk about the other uh, part of this too. So we we did see later in the show backstage team um, team Taz with yeah. with Starks and with um uh with um th- their crew and I don't, yeah. who who threw who that's why I was getting tongue tied. They pulled the uh, the NWO Rey Mysterio <laughs> lawn dart move when they threw <laughs> when they threw one of the guys like headfirst into the uh, the the truck on the side, which made me which made me chuckle. I I did I do think that. Like of this, like if you're looking at these two, they seemed a little bit more badass. It, it, these guys did than Sting and and, uh, and Darby did. Yeah, they did. Uh, you know, I, you kind of often wonder. Okay, this was a weird pairing at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. I understand putting Taz with uh, with with Brian Cage. Brian Cage is not the strongest on the mic. He doesn't have to be. He has the look. He's a monster, you know, in the ring. So I'm like, okay, you know. And then you bring in a guy like Ricky Starks, who is. Super freaking talented, especially on the indie scene. This guy was hot. Saw him in Texas several times. Um, he gets signed, and then you go, okay, this doesn't work. You know, you put Ricky yeah. Starks with Taz and Cage, and it's like, eh. Then it starts growing on you. Then you start to like, you know, kind of love to kind of love to hate them, and you want to see them together. And if you know Ricky Starks, if you see him on social media. Yeah, he's got these little, ooh, gross promos. This guy's got the old school Dracar polo, you know, cologne ad looks. And I really popped last night during the, you know, all Wednesday night during that segment. I liked it, and these guys are growing on me. I've never been the biggest Taz fan. I just wasn't a big ECW guy. But this little faction right here has grown on me, and uh, I thought I, I thought that I thought the Lawn Dart was fun. Yeah, it it was really fun. You and I keep singing the praises of Britt Baker. Um, she's got a big one coming up with Thunder Rosa, but she's definitely she's the most over absolute woman on the roster for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, when she cut the promo, you know, when when she went full heel, I guess in 2019 or whenever it was, maybe it was early 2020, uh, 2020, in Cleveland, and she said a real Baker is here. That okay, that solidified her. Then her and Tony Schiavone, you know, had their, you know, great. Their, you know that that was fun. She's strong. Thunder Rosa can work. Um, it ought to be an interesting match next week. That match is next week. Uh, so yeah, you know, Brits, you know, the the top of, of what they've got. Uh, Thunder Rosa is probably one of the best female wrestlers in the world. Um, so that's going to be an interesting match here to see how, uh, how that finishes, but uh, yeah, it's good to see them back and getting, you know, some women on, uh, AEW dynamite instead of just being all on AEW dark. 
Got the Blizz Clears to close things out there <laughs> with the the Young Bucks and the uh, and the Good Brothers versus the Dark Order. We had the the fun interaction backstage with Callus with the it was like this tape on his face. It was like he taped a piece of paper on his face as like a bandage. And he's this stuff is pretty funny. It's been a little bit, I guess it's been a little bit harder to follow though because the Bucks are okay. With Kenny and the Good Brothers, but they're not okay yeah. with Callis. So it's a little like if you've been just kind of following the last couple of weeks, it was it may have been harder to to follow. We can see obviously they're not going to get along at some point, and we know what what's happening behind scenes. I do think like I like the Bucks. I like I like all of these guys that are in it. They're all pretty talented, so I'm willing to give it a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. And um, uh, so even if it's a little convoluted here and there. It, it like I kind of I just laugh when Callus comes on my TV now. Mm. You know he's like become such an over the top guy that I just sort of start laughing all the time. He's like such a caricature. And we got the Young Bucks win. Um, they the Young Bucks and the Good Brothers win via pinfall, and then they set up everything that's going to happen uh, on a big show next week. So um, I do think like you and I talked about last week's show, which was not good. I do think this week's show was much better than last week's show. Much better, uh, better matches, uh, better organization, uh, better segments, and uh, it sets up for a, a, a very good card next week. Uh, when you have, you know, Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers are going to be in the ring against uh, Mox, uh, uh, uh Pac and Phoenix, uh, and, and expect probably the, the Young Bucks to get involved in that match somehow. Let's jump over to WWE and talk about Royal Rumble 2021. The Two Royal Rumbles now for the fourth time um, we, we got the Women's Rumble started back in 2018 So on the men's side, I believe we have 18 participants announced I will go through them and we'll start to, to talk on who some of the possibilities are Daniel Bryan, Bobby Lashley, AJ Styles, Randy Orton, Otis The Miz, Jay Uso, Cesaro, Jeff Hardy, Sami Zayn, Dolph Ziggler, Nakamura, Biggie, John Morrison, Edge, Sheamus, Mustafa Ali, and Elias those are the 18 so far for the men's and i think uh we can we can probably look at you know like elias don't think so mustafa love love what he's doing recently promo wise i feel like he's going to have some sort of a feud with kofi going when they come back um morrison miz and otis wouldn't really make a lot of sense with any of them they're you know otis lost the money in the bank the miz has like i'd be i think i said this earlier i'd be actually less surprised if miz Cashed in the money in the bank Than if he won the Royal Rumble Yeah you know you and I both Know are both love the Miz I mean he's great at everything he does It would not make any sense I mean nothing nothing Makes any sense anymore but he's he doesn't Need to win it Um, and just Just the the guys that you named Off right there that's that's a solid Rumble in itself it is I I mean yeah Mustafa's Not going to win it uh he he's gonna he's gonna have a fantastic feud with Kofi when he comes back. Um, don't see him winning at all. You know the odds have shifted this week. You know there was a lot of pop on Keith Lee. There was a lot of pop on Big E. You know the the odds have shifted, and now Daniel Bryan is currently here. Here we are, a uh, week of a few days out, is now the favorite uh, to win the Royal Rumble. I could see it happening. That'd That's be awesome. Pick. I'd love it. Yeah, I'd love it. I just my, pick, my concern um, with and, and the only thing that worries me is that like Daniel Bryan's on the creative team now. I could right. totally see him saying, "No, I don't need it. You guys can let somebody else do it." 
Like right. he's that type of guy who's like, no, like let's let let's get somebody else over that way. Like I'll be one of the final four, and they can eliminate me or you know whatever. Like he's just like that's what he's been doing with Cesaro and with Nakamura recently, trying to get like to get those guys rehabbed and and back over. So I I love like I I think Daniel Bryan is so perfectly set up to enter this thing number one or two and to go and to be there in the final four. Yes. Right, like those are the best rumbles when someone comes in at the beginning that you think can win, and they're there the whole time. People would stay interested in this rumble all the way through if D. Bry's in there at like one through five and and making an Iron Man run. And you got to remember, the winner of this match is going to headline WrestleMania. Will there be fans there? Probably some. It's looking like that as we get fans in, you know, NFL games, playoff games, and, and stuff like that. Would I be okay with it? Yeah, we've kind of been there, done that. I'm going with an outsider who we okay. haven't we haven't seen for a while. The biggest name probably there is out there. And if you think about it, it probably makes sense. Roman Reigns is going to keep the title, right? He just yep. Drew McIntyre, I do think, keeps the title, even though yep. I would not be surprised if Goldberg wanted to put the title on Goldberg at WrestleMania. But I think... You have Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman. So what is the obvious answer here? Brock Lesnar. Vince loves Brock. He comes back. He wins it. I mean, him and Reigns, Paul Heyman, you know, you won't have him every week on Raw. How does Brock work in in, in the, you know, the Thunderdome setup type aspect? I just think Brock Lesnar is the safe pick. He hasn't been around for a while. And I think he comes in and wins it. I think it's him and Reigns at uh, WrestleMania. Brock makes so much sense for either side. He sure, could yeah, Goldberg. Won, look at Goldberg or or McIntyre. Or, or McIntyre. Any one of them. If any one of those guys won, he could say, I'm going after them because I've got unfinished business with them. Sure. So I, I, that would not shock me whatsoever. And it makes a whole ton of sense. Some of the guys that we didn't mention, and then we'll get over uh, into the women's side, that – I'm expecting combinations of these guys in the Rumble. We'll probably get Ray and Do- uh, and Dominic. I wouldn't be shocked if we get like Dominic eliminating Ray okay. or something like that. Uh, you mentioned Keith Lee. What about the Fiend, Ricochet, Apollo Cruz, Andrade, uh, Adam Cole, Samoa Joe, Wade Barrett? Could we see them come in off of the announce table? Uh, Damian Priest, Finn Balor from NXT, Cedric Shelton, MVP. What about the Hurt Business, Bobby Roode, Xavier Woods? Uh, and then you know you have some of the uh, the John Cena, The Rock. CM Punk types that you always got to mention You know you sure. always got to throw them out there Who knows Who knows if they would be at a rumble With no fans that feels like it would be a waste <laughs> To have them show up in a spot like that The me Who I'm going to put my money on And okay. I'm try- I'm like talking myself into it Is Rollins um, I think I would love Rollins To come out He wins the rumble There's no fans there Next night on on Monday Night Raw He cuts his promo and he says hey listen I was an asshole last year and now I've had a, and I've had a baby and now my life has changed and now I'm a dad and I see what Roman Reigns is doing and I know Roman better than anyone. I can beat Roman. I am going to save the WWE from itself. He's the guy, you know, what's funny. He's, he's like this in real life. Like this is who he is online. He's the WWE, like, like sword bearer. He, yeah, he the defender up, of arms. Right. Yeah. Like he yeah. sticks up for them so much. This could be his, and maybe it's just because I want this. This yeah. could be the the actual Seth Rollins babyface run that makes sense. He makes sense with Roman. You put him in there. He's one of the few guys that you could say, "Oh, you know what? He could beat Roman," and, and it would and it would fit, and there would be story. 
and I, and then if it's Daniel Bryan or if it's Edge and they win and they went on, that would be fine. I'd love it. The only thing, concern I have is I sort of feel this way. Whoever beats Roman, I sort of like I was saying with Adam Page beating Kenny Omega. I want it to be someone who's going to be still in the company and who can can take it and run with it. Like Edge or Daniel Bryan, they don't really need to be the guy to beat Roman Reigns. You know, like this unstoppable Roman Reigns. Someone like Seth Rollins, someone like Big E, someone like Keith Lee, they could use that, and that would be huge for them. I could 100% say it. We talked about it. We we love Seth Rollins coming back. Uh, he's the figure. Um, there's Becky and the baby standing by his – not that it would happen, just, you know, standing yeah. by his side, uh, cheering Seth Rollins now, who is a father – uh, love the baby face turn and love, love to him, love for him to, to chase that and, and, and put the gold around his waist. I'm 100% okay with that. I, in fact, I, I would love to see it happen. Let's head over and talk a few minutes about the, the women's rumble. Just a couple more minutes here with Chad Cooper, our good buddy. So for the women's, they've only announced 12. Nia yeah. Jax, Charlotte Flair, Bianca Belair, Bailey, Mandy Rose, Dana Brooke, Peyton Royce, Alexa Bliss, Shayna Baszler, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, Tamina. And I'm looking at Lacey Evans, Naomi, Rhea Ripley, Trish Stratus, Io Shirai, Ember Moon, Billy Kay, Tony Storm, Lita, Michelle McCool, Lana, Mickey James. Those are all names I threw down that wouldn't be that much of a shock. And then there are obviously the two big names when we're talking about the Women's Rumble that have everybody will want to speculate about. Becky, who just had a baby sure. six weeks ago. Is that enough time for her to come in? Oh, oh, if she and again, does she want to come back? You're a mom now. Is her whole like what is she, what's going on in her head? We don't even know. Same thing with Rhonda. Like Rhonda left to go be a mom. So those two, who are two of the biggest women stars in probably wrestling history, right. um, if either one of them come back and they're in this rumble, they're probably winning the rumble. Yeah, and it makes you would think it would make more sense for Rhonda to come back, just to the simple fact that I think. Earlier this week, she laughed at the fact. Trolled. That, yeah, yeah, right. And, and that's a WWE type move there. Really uh, you know, any, you know, look, I love Charlotte Flair. I think one of the best. I, I don't need to see Charlotte Flair winning the Royal Rumble. Give me her in I, the final four. Yes. And then have Rhea yes. or whoever's eliminate her. You yeah, know? don't don't bring Rick out there and help her. I, I don't want to see that. I would rather a Ronda Rousey return, a Becky return, or somebody new uh, to return. I, I just don't. We don't need to see you know been there, done that. We just don't need to see Charlotte Flair. I, I would you know I was disappointed that Alexa Bliss did not win the title on Raw. I I I, I was okay with the ending. You know, um, I did like how they went back and forth with Alexa Bliss and her two. Characters, maybe we get both of those characters in the Royal Rumble. Right. We get like a faces of Foley thing. Yeah, yeah, we, we kind of do. And then comes back as the other Alexa. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing Alexa Bliss winning the Royal Rumble, and maybe that happening, and, and, and she turn it again. But anybody, anyone, I, I know I'm going to get some flack on this, but anyone but Charlotte Flair. No, no, you're right. It's just not her time anymore. Charlotte no, is. Not. She should be used like they use Roman now in the Rumbles yeah. to like to get to build some heat. Right, like, because yes. everybody's gonna want whoever Charlotte's going against to win, and, sure. and I, I'm hoping that's Rhea, and it could be Bianca. She's she's that's the hot name, right? She's the name that that wouldn't like. I mean, when you're really making a list of all, like, it's not gonna be 
Nia, Mandy, Dana, Peyton, Shayna, Liv, Ruby, Tamina. It won't be them. No. It, it, it's like of those announced, it could only be Charlotte, Bianca, maybe Bailey. I don't even think Bailey. She felt like she had her good run, and she's kind of in this to put Bianca over. And then, right. and then Alexa. I, I mean, that's like that's really it of those that are announced. So, to do we see for the first time ever somebody come straight up from NXT and win this thing? Rhea Ripley. She proved last year in that match with Charlotte Flair. That's one of my favorite women's wrestling matches ever. Time. It was so damn good. Is she going to come up and win this thing, Chad? Uh, that, you know, Bianca and Rhea are the hot names, right? You, you know, you have uh, Damian Priest, who's probably going to make his uh, presence known in the men, on, on the men's side. But Rhea Ripley winning it is uh, very solid. Um, she hasn't been on NXT, um, you know, since she lost the match. We know that was her send-off. This is the time for her to do it, prove herself, and uh, make a run at this. Bianca's the hot name. That just kind of seems too easy for me right now. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's I, just that, that's too safe. It's too easy. Does she deserve it? Man, she's great. She's very entertaining. She is a beast. She can go. I, I love her attitude, her promos. It just seems too obvious. And, and I we don't could like get, We could get Bianca into the title picture at Mania very easily. Without winning Without the Royal Rumble, if they want, they can have her beat Bailey, and then that'll that'll like put her on the the um the 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 plane to face Sasha. And w- I could even see Rhea doing something like sh- her winning and saying, "I want Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania." You know, like I don't yeah. even want the title; I want Charlotte. I'm gonna beat you, and then I'm gonna go after the title. Who knows? But give me Rhea. And the only thing I think, if we don't see it in this match, I'm gonna let you go in a sec, Chad. If we don't see Lana come in and and, and <laughs> eliminate Nia Jax to at the very least put some sort of a, a, a like a bow on that whole storyline where she got thrown through the table like eight weeks in a row and then they yes. just dropped it. They, they have to give her at least a moment somewhere, right? This would be it. This would be the feel good, the send off. Let she Lana have to win. She could just no. eliminate her, and you don't yeah, have to just put come a title in, on her, her or anything. You know, and she gets eliminated right after that, or she could walk out of the match. You know, or you know, let her have a run in it. Let her start eliminating people here and there. And of course, she's not going to win it. But oh man, you bring up a great point there. End this. Put a cherry on top. End it. And uh, we can finally put that to rest. Chad Cooper, this week in wrestling. Every week here on That's What G Said Podcast He's so awesome helping us out With AEW, Raw, Smackdown NXT, a little bit of everything Uh, We're expecting to see some NXT uh, Participants in the Rumble Chad, this is one of our personal favorites And we will be going back and forth We we sort of went over the undercard You know, when we were talking about it Like we've got, I can't expect Roman loses And I don't think Drew loses either um, Either one of them And and with the Rumble, it's always About the Rumbles, it's about this event it's not net usually about the undercard It's about, hey, this is going to be damn fun We're going to have 60 people coming out In these two different <laughs> rumbles Surprising And uh, I look forward to uh, texting back and forth with you on uh, Over the weekend as I'm, uh, as I'm drunkenly watching the Royal Rumble <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be fun I'll be on Twitter uh, with, with all And where can we find you on Twitter? At the Chad Cooper on Twitter, I, it, it'll be hot take Sunday night, Royal Rumble Sunday night at the Chad Cooper on Twitter. Uh, let's have lots of. We'll have so much to talk about next week, Chad. So uh, really look forward to uh, to everything that happens, and we'll have a, a lot to digest next week, buddy. Thank you so much. I know you're busy. I know you're on your way. You have a great rest of your day, bud. Sounds good, bro. 
Koopa Loop, always a fantastic job helping us out. You know where else they do a fantastic job? SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A Candles.com, those all-natural soy wax candles. None of those toxins or carcinogens or pollutants that a lot of the other candles have. Maybe your your wife, your girlfriend, your husband, uh, one of your friends burns candles. If you notice, it, let them know about these Sarah Candles that are healthier, they're better for you. Same great sense, they're longer burn. Burning, and because of that soy wax that they use, they've got a really good Valentine's Day box coming up for $20 plus your shipping. You get to pick two of the Fresh Roses, Tuxedo, and Date Night. And out of those three scents, you pick two, you get it in a nice little Valentine's Day box. You use the promo code GINO, it gets you 10% off your purchase. Follow me on social media. I'm going to be posting some videos throughout the week and show you what those Sarah Candle Valentine boxes look like. Right now, we close things out with the old wrestling rewatch. It's Andrew Champagne. It's Darren Zocali. We're talking Royal Rumble 2002. Enjoy. Oh, yeah. Old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> it is. It is Rumble season, yeah, and we are talking about another Royal Rumble here on the old Wrestling Rewatch. It is, uh, it's been a while because we, since we recorded one of these, I had a few of them stacked up that we did, um, but we are now back and we are getting ready for the Royal Rumble coming up this year in 2021. So we're going to go back and talk about the 2002 Royal Rumble. And in my opinion, I think this is probably a top five Royal Rumble event. And this year in particular, guys, as Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne join me like they always do, this DZ is such a big year for the WWE 2002. We've got the year that it actually changes and pivots from WWE to W uh, from WWF to WWE. This 2000 Rumble in uh, 2002 Rumble in fact had the biggest buy rate ever because for the first time the UK fans were actually having to buy pay-per-views and not just get them for free on TV. We got the NWO coming in shortly. We've got Shawn Michaels coming back in just a few months. This is really like the end of it for Austin. He's got another, you know, a little bit, but this is really sort of it for him too. Um this is a big time and just by the the crowd and how into everything they were. I mean, wrestling was was gonna start to tail down. Like this is sort of the end of the real like the the attitude era, the the real like wrestling craze. But right now, I mean, the people were hot. And just looking at the who's who of stars on this show, like big names. I mean, if you're making a list of like ten of the biggest names in wrestling, you're gonna have half of them from this show right here. Yeah, it, it, it's a good show from top to bottom, uh, and. I won't say that every match is a great match, but I'll I'll say there's not a bad match on the card in my in my view. Um, you know they they all bring different elements of of wrestling. Um, you know you get some ridiculous stuff, but it's kind of funny. You get some great matches. You get some great spots. Um, you know, and the Rumble match itself for me was really interesting because it's a really bottom heavy Rumble, and by that I mean like the last like eight or nine guys, it's just like, you know, okay, we're just going to stack the end of the rumble with all the guys that might actually win this thing with the exception of like one or two, which is not really something that we've seen before where every guy that comes out from like, you know, 22 to 30 almost, you know, you could conceivably say, all right, well, he could win. All right, well, he can win. Right, and that's pretty much what you get here, which is kind of cool. Uh, and then there's some other wild spots with Taker that we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, for me, 
really enjoyable pay-per-view and a real easy watch from start to finish. I liked this show. That is, however, not to say it was perfect. The Jericho Rock match is fantastic. The second half of the Flair McMahon match, when the tide completely turns and Flair just starts beating the hell out of his boss, <laughs> that's great stuff. Edge Regal, I thought, had some really cool moments. You could tell Edge was sort of learning how to be a singles guy at this point because yeah. there were some really cool spots, but there was a little bit of trouble in linking those spots together and having that kind of a flow. I wish we had gotten 2007 Edge wrestling this match because that would have been freaking fantastic. The shorter stuff, it's not overly offensive. It's fine. Darren mentioned how bottom-heavy the Rumble was. I think that hurt this Rumble considerably. Now, WWE got away with it to an extent because even the mid-card guys were completely over. Yeah, Al that's Snow what helps. comes out early in the match. Al freaking Snow. And if you carry that pop into a Royal Rumble from recent years, it would be a top five pop in the entire match. That is how over the entire roster was at this point, and it's a good problem to have. The problem was, A, there were times where I completely tuned out because there was nobody in the ring that I cared about 20 years down the road, and you got some really big-name guys near the end of the Rumble who were in the ring for three minutes. You're telling me one of them couldn't have come out at number three and gone the 30-35 minute route and gotten put over despite not winning the thing. There were some questions that I had, and we'll go in depth on that when we get to the Rumble. Having said that, on the whole, it is indeed a very fun show, and it's a good look back at a time when WWE was red hot. Yeah, I think there there's some things, there's some holes we can pick when we get to, to the Rumble, and uh, as as every Rumble, there's there's really never one yeah, that's, that's Andrew perfect. Picking holes in right. hindsight, I know what a shock. Let no, me but show I you no, I agree. Shocked face. I agree with some of the things you said, and I would, yeah, I think my only counter would would just be some of what you mentioned in that. They were able to get away with it because these guys were over. You know, the the little part of like the early part of the match. Okay, you got up until Taker comes out. You got Goldust coming back. You've sort of got some, you know, up until Taker's there, not a whole lot. But then Taker comes out, and you know that's sort of the next part of the match from the, up until the Taker Maven thing. And then even when the Godfather comes out, sort of as like the bridge up until up until some of the what Austin stuff. So at least like they had some fun spots and parts that they were like they were waiting for. But, but I agree with you in that it felt like I didn't. It felt like Taker, and then after Taker, kind of what Darren was saying. Then it was like okay, now in the last third. There are a lot that are coming out that feel like they could win. Then it, once it hit Austin, Triple H, and we're getting to Angle, even like Kane and the Big Show every time. Heck, Mr. Perfect, who came back, like I don't think we thought he was going to win, but he was in the final three and he had a hell of a run. So, yeah, I agree in that there were some lulls in the middle to early. I guess that helped the end of it feel a little bit more important. But yeah, there were a, a lapse or two, maybe. Uh, in the middle when they were trying to showcase some of the uh, the more mid-card talent So we are set for Royal Rumble 2002 Let's get into it The uh, the intro package, it was I thought it was really good 
Going through the history of the Royal Rumble Starting with Hacksaw You get cuts of Gorilla and JR's voices Through the different years, through all the moments Thought it was excellent And it gets us all set up for Royal Rumble 2002 And boom, we get right into it With the Dudleys and Stacey Keebler Versus Taz and Spike Dudley And you know it's 2002 King Jerry the King Lawler and uh, and Jim Ross are on the call And Michael Cole is doing some uh, reporting He's going to be backstage He's going to be doing some reporting in the aisle way uh, So you know we're going to be talking about puppies And King's talking about Stacy's curves immediately This uh, yeah, this was a quick this was a quick match And all three of the first three undercard matches Whereas I, I would not say any of them are bad And I would say they're just the, These first couple are sort of short I don't know how much more Taz had left at this point Do you guys remember? I think he was sort of banged up Yeah, he was pretty much done Yeah, because it felt like it the way the match was booked too Like Taz is out of the ring early They, Spike gets a ton of bumps You know, and then Taz comes back in For the, the a few big moves at the end And, uh, and the Taz mission spot Uh, the crowd wanted tables early I mean, the heels just immediately isolate Spike Spike, Spike hits his bulldog off the ropes The ref Always uh, letting the heels cheat But won't let Taz in Even though there was a clean tag I mean the Dudleys DZ What I liked about this And just entertained me is Spike Man that guy would just get tossed around And and the Dudleys would just Fling him into the mat Into the ropes They would throw him over the top rope They all had chemistry They all trusted each other But this dude Spike Man I forget And then every time we watch Like how much he just Puts his body on the line He can't weigh more than I do I mean at 155, 160 Yeah I mean you, you know that's what's coming with him I mean he You know he just The word bumping doesn't do it justice I don't even know no. <laughs> it's, like, it's like It's like supreme bumping There has to be another term to describe Assault and battery. Assault and battery is probably is probably pretty fair. Script, script accurate. I would say <laughs> scripted assault and battery is probably pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is a fun show. This is a fun match. Uh, you know, it only goes on for five minutes. Like we said, you know, Taz at this point can't do much. Um, you know, Spike just kind of gets tossed around, and then you know, somehow, some way, obviously, miraculously, you get the Taz mission and they get the win. Um, look. Uh, Stacy Keebler at this point is just she's I think 22 years old here you know probably in my opinion one of the most gorgeous women you've ever seen in in professional wrestling and that's right. great Jerry Lawler is just completely over the top here oh my gosh I mean I'm not going to get into like all the stuff that he said but some of it is just awful like just he not- is in rare form in this match in this form. show between this, even what he says with Snow, with Al Snow comes out, the stuff with Trish. I mean, <laughs> no, it's nonstop. It's like it's like he took a Viagra two hours before the show. I know. I was thinking I mean, the same thing. It was like he's on something right there. Yeah, because yeah, it's literally all he talks about the entire yes. night. Um, you know, he, he gets he, Jr. into the act a couple times too. You know, when like Jr. just kind of has to agree with him on something yeah. to get him to shut up. Yeah, but it's like I mean, there were some cringeworthy comments, and I'm not going to get into them. But uh, yeah, but like you said, it's just a fun match. You know, Spike gets thrown around. Um, you know, the, the, he actually hits his finisher twice during the match in five minutes, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you get the result that you expected. I think everybody expected at this point. Um, you know, Spike and Taz go over. I don't know. I don't remember how much longer uh, they hold on to the belts. But, yeah, fun little match. And like you said, whenever you got the Dudleys involved, 
Uh, you know, no tables, which is always unfortunate because that's what everybody wants to see. But it was it was a fun, energetic way to start the pay per view. Yeah, this wasn't great, but it was short and it was entertaining. And that's what was great about WWE at this time. And we've mentioned this on a number of rewatches. If something was bad, chances are it wasn't on the TV for very long. That's not to say this was bad. It just, it wasn't great. It, it was just didn't six get minutes. To, yeah, that's all it, it was, was supposed to be. Yeah, it was fine. Um, Darren has a couple of very valid points about Stacy Keebler. Gina, you're the <laughs> shortest of the three of us. I think her legs are taller are tall, than you. No uh, doubt about if, it. <laughs> if not, it's close. Um, What's the other line from Let It Ride? My legs, they go all the way up to my neck. You know, Jennifer Tilly. They ass all the way down to the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a great movie. What a great movie. Uh, now, Stacy, I think, takes the best bump of the match in yeah. this one. Because yeah. Taz gets the Taz mission. She gets bumped off the apron. And she sells it like she has been shot. She goes down and doesn't move for a good three minutes. Stacy Keebler is not a trained wrestler. There were certain things that she did as part of the show, but she was not in there to go bell to bell. She just wasn't. She did her role. The wrestlers in the ring did their roles. Check the box and move on. It's nothing you're going to go out of your way to see, but as energetic openers go, it served the purpose. We get backstage. Uh, first, we get some footage for the Edge Regal match coming up the, and the buildup for the IC title. Now, remember, a lot of these matches now were into the start of 2002, and in the middle part to the late part of 2001, it was all invasion stuff. WCW coming in against WWF. So we're getting a lot of these feuds at this show in particular that have sort of been going on for a while. Edge and Regal had been going back and forth a little bit too. Um, we get an Edge promo where he's backstage and you can just see it's still early Edge. And what's funny is, you know, as these guys get older, especially guys like Edge and even Orton that we see, like Edge has had more acting classes. He's been in some movies and some TV shows and stuff. And he's just an incredible promo nowadays. He's this isn't bad. He's still learning. He sort of gets his point across what he wants, and he says, you know, you want to play dirty. He gets his, the chair. And he says, I can play. Uh, I can play with the best of them. So we uh, we get the IC title, William Regal versus Edge. We get the same start of the Edge music. You think you know me, but it's not the uh, on this day, which is top five all time. I mean, the the combo of that intro and then the. The, on this day for Edge is great Still working out the tweaks with the Edge uh, Entrance music, what would be his greatest That we know now And we get Nick Patrick searching the ring uh, He's searching in Regal's tights For the brass knuckles, we all know that William Regal loves to cheat This actually really made me laugh This little King and JR back and forth here He says, what's fair about another man Sticking their hand down your pants <laughs> And, 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 and JR says Unless you're Siegfried or Roy It could be a little disconcerting Which is a little sad because didn't Siegfried just pass Recently? Yeah, lousy uh, timing For that one Right, but I mean that's crazy that we heard that And he just passed, but I, I definitely chuckled when, And then Jerry says I like Siegfried and Roy You know, like he kind of like was surprised that JR said it And he, you could tell he kind of chuckled a little bit and then at one point later on in the match he said jerry said something again about you know he was referencing a certain type of pin and he said was that a siegfried and roy pin which i you know it was just it was just a little funny because when he's he's putting his hands down his pants and jr says or what is the king says the first line uh what's fair about another man sticking their hand down your pants i just busted up on that one so um 
you know, this is this is fine. I think sort of the same thing. It was more about the like exp- um, progressing the storyline than this was about letting these two guys go out there and have a fifteen to twenty minute classic. It not it was not bad at all, but it was all about Edge kind of trying to play dirty early because Regal's been the dirty cheater that that's trying to cheat to get by Edge. So. We get the Regal double underhook slam He's in charge early, Edge hits the DDT on the ring apron At that time we didn't see a whole lot of that So that's a pretty big spot There weren't really bumps on the apron that much There was a nasty looking spot Where both men seemed to sort of bump heads And they were out Um, Regal hits a German German suplex But then Edge explodes out of it with the clothesline Regal hits the, the Regal stretch He locks it in and Edge struggles over the ropes to break the hold Edge tries to lock in a Regal stretch But he can't really get it locked in And then this is another one that made me laugh King calls it finish infringement <laughs> Which is great um, he, he was like I know you know like the more and more I think about it He was definitely pumped tonight you know like just going back in some of the shows we've listened to in this era he was this is like one that it really stands out for like how he was really really amped um edge gets a spinning heel kick off the top rope edge goes for the spear but regal pulls the ref in front so edge ends up spearing the ref so while um edge is trying to get the ref back regal grabs something in his tights he knocks out edge with the brass knuckles for the win and we have a new IC champ And uh, Regal's talking about the power of the punch Afterwards to Michael Cole who interviews him As he walks down the aisle So, uh, And Cole was looking goofy as hell With the tight shirt and the bleached hair And the earring at this point um, DZ, this was fine And I think and They do this at the Rumble a lot of the times too Like The pay-per-view of the Rumble is so much sold with the Rumble that they can they can have matches on the undercard that are good, but that are still like getting storylines across instead of what we're sort of used to at big pay per view events like the built like the blow off of of big you know big feuds. Th- this isn't the case. You could tell these two guys still have a lot more moving forward. Yeah, and like I said, not necessarily a, a slate of great matches, but th- there's not, in my opinion, there wasn't a bad match. It's less than ten minutes. Yeah, and they're and it's fine. It's above yeah. average for sure. Yeah, it's fine. You know, three three and a quarter, three and a half stars. Um, you know, there's a really good. There's a couple of cool spots early on. Regal goes for like this European uppercut. Edge gets him with a backslide. Then Regal comes back, hits him uh, with a right hand, puts him in a face lock, and then Edge hits him with like this kind of. It's like a short arm step up in Zagori that was really cool. Um, it, it was kind of a it was kind of a strange variation of the move that that I found uh, interesting. Then you had Regal go into this uh, crazy half Nelson suplex that just dropped Edge on the top of his head, which was like kind of almost scary looking. Um, you know, good sell there by Edge, uh, and and there's just a lot of good wrestling moves here back and forth. Um, you know, th- then there's a really funny line later on in the match. So <laughs> Edge. Edge goes up to the uh, to the top rope, and, uh, and, and Jr. says uh, Edge would really like to work on that nose of Regal because they were talking about the fact that you know his nose was broken and they had to get fixed like three four operations, and Jr. goes maybe scattered, covered, smothered, and chunked before it's all over with, and King goes what smothered and chunked, and Jr. goes 
Yeah, King, that's a Waffle House reference. This <laughs> 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 totally random thing yeah. that just cracked me up. But what you smothered once you covered like my Waffle House hash browns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned all, all the moves there towards the end. Um, re, you know, Regal's nose smells the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, JR- his whiffs when he takes a whip. Yeah. Oh my God, it's just it, great. It, it, you know, it, it, it was kind of like ridiculous, but really funny commentary that, that was worth pointing out. So I got a kick out of the commentary. The match was good. Uh, and then, yeah, I nearly fell over laughing when Michael Cole appeared on the scene looking like, you know, the lost member of New Kids on the Block. We need to talk about Michael Cole a little bit more before we go on with my thoughts on this match. So Michael Cole comes out, and I'm going to try to play this completely straight. Remember. This is as it happened. This is me just accurately relaying the situation as best I can. He comes out with blonde frosted tips. <laughs> but, yep. but it's not like spiked. No, it's, like, it's, it's curling onto itself. Like the fro- when you did the frosted tips, which I did in the like the late 90s. So I did like, it. Yeah, I did it. But you normally had it like you're spiked up, sort of like the top of your spikes, you know? Not just your hair, where it's just completely like combed over two-toned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we have that to digest. We have the Smedium t-shirt. That's the only size this can possibly be. It is a Smedium t-shirt that looks like it was painted on, and it looks as though Cole's kind of having trouble moving. Like he's kind of doing the Vince McMahon walk where his, his arms, arms are, are stretched stuck. out, and he doesn't His arms move. are stuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, look, watch the match for sure. It's a good match with some really good spots. And you can tell that they think Edge is a prospect to keep an eye on. There's a couple of really good moves in this match. Uh, Gino mentioned a couple of them. Edge got this spectacular top rope leg lariat that nobody else was doing at this time. There were some really good moves on Regal's part two. He got that great release German suplex. They do the psychology around the finish. That's pretty good. I just wish we had gotten both guys five years later when the psychology was there on both of their ends because that would have been just absolutely outstanding. But Edge was in a completely different place at that time. Regal was doing a different thing. So that's we got what we got. Now, the match is good. The post-match interview is freaking outstanding and needs to be immortalized in some way, shape, or form. I'm very surprised that they haven't done a Michael Cole retrospective of his early years where he's getting punked by DX and all of the... the rock. Yeah. yeah, And all of the appearances that he made. It's just... uh, It's special. Let's put it that way. It's special. I lit up when I saw it. I was smiling so much. I forget about it every now and then because we just see normal Cole and then he comes up at this time period. It's like, oh my God. Yes. You know, can I just say the worst moment I think in the history of us doing these podcasts as of right now is us talking about the correct way to wear your hair when you <laughs> the bleach. And I want it known, by the way, I left I left the floor to both of you on that you because did. I never did it. I you was did. smart enough to avoid that craze entirely. <laughs> I was, in my in my defense, I, I did not do it in normal circumstances. I actually did it on a cruise ship while okay. pretty, pretty well intoxicated. 
Okay. Okay. I, I think it might have been on a dare as well, if I'm not mistaken. There okay. are two. No, I was, there are yeah. two acceptable reasons for this. One is a dare. Two is a woman. <laughs> definitely, definitely wasn't a woman. <laughs> I, and, and this is the last tangent on this. I, before we move on, one of the years. So normally I would do it fine. Like I would just do the top. I'd have the the brown roots, and it wouldn't look terrible. You know, it, it'd be okay. You just one of the years I decided to go full slim freaking shady and my entire head was bleach blonde and then you contrast that with my eyebrows oh my like I didn't realize how bad it was gonna look I was like 13 or whatever I'm like oh this is gonna be great like and I'm looking at it like oh my god there's no like this is brutal I had I was so glad once it grew back out a little bit and I I couldn't even I shaved it but it was still oh, I was just terrible so uh yeah I, again um, Michael Cole looked horrible. <laughs> that was our point here on, on all of this. We did uh, have a point. It, it was out a, there. We just needed to find it. We just had to circle the drains a little bit. So uh, <laughs> we get to the women's championship match now. We get special guest ref Jackie, who was looking quite busty um, in, in this one. Uh, Jazz versus Trish for the women's title. And we get footage of Jazz destroying Trish's hands week bef- uh, weeks before. So Trish's hand is all covered up. She is just getting the Trish push now as a legitimate wrestler. She's They only go short here in this match. And you wouldn't really, if you just had this to, to show for it, you wouldn't realize how what they were trying to do with her. Because honestly, I mean, this match isn't really even much about Trish. It feels like it's more about the Jackie uh, Jazz stuff going on. I mean, Jazz attacks Trish before the Trish can even get her jacket off. We get a big splash from Jazz, a sunset uh, sunset flip from Trish, really quick pace to start, and and a lot of intensity, which I liked. Jazz with a forearm. I mean, she's aggressive. She's a lot bigger and very athletic. She's just jacked, like she's mu- like muscular, built up, and she starts to slow it down a little bit. She hits a, a leg drop for a, a near fall for two, and King is freaking out, worrying about Trish's body getting beat up. He uh, at the one time at the very beginning, of course, he's going crazy for the purple puppies. He's asking King to pl- to Jr. Please let me say purple puppies. And so he's going crazy. Um, so Jazz and Jackie get into it. Jackie, uh, Jazz actually has Trish pinned, but Jackie won't count. So Jazz continues to work on Trish. Trish hits the Stratisfaction. Jazz counters the pin. She actually hits a pretty nasty DDT. And then she just tosses Trish around the ring a little bit. And then sort of out of nowhere, Trish hits a sloppy bulldog for the win. It wasn't... I mean, it's three minutes. And it's again where it's uh, 340. Scan where it feels like it's more of an angle than really even a match. But DZ, at this time, they were starting to try to get Trish wins over... like. Large or bigger opponents To try to make her seem like she was a legitimate wrestler And she gets there I mean damn the times that we've seen Trish come back Even now she still does a phenomenal job In the ring She was still It's funny you look at her you look at Edge And you can see big stars on the move They're not quite there yet They're 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 get, they're on the way there Yeah and this is nothing against You know Jazz or, or Trish But you know going back and watching This match and, and compared to what you see the women doing today, it's it's it, it's so weird to watch because, like I said, for the time this was not a bad match. 
Um, you know, they the pace, hit a the pace was really quick to start, and Jazz quick. is aggressive and big, and Trish will, will take bumps and flop around the ring and and like throw herself out there. So it just, yeah, I mean, we're gonna get a. This was three forty five. This same match nowadays would be thirteen forty five. That and that's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah, it, it's just it's just a different mold of women's wrestling. And and you have to remember, I mean, this is now almost twenty years ago, which is hard to believe. Um, but and a lot'll happen in any sport, and wrestling is, you know, no uh, no exception over a twenty year period. Um, you know, there's a couple of nice moves. Trish hits a draw a jawbreaker. Um, you know, they have the, the the story like you talked about there between Jackie and Jazz. A good, you know, good psychology there. Trish is selling some good stuff, uh, flips out of a suplex, and it, it, it's kind of funny because so she hits her finisher when she flips out of a suplex and hits it. It actually looks nice. And that's not the finish. It's a false finish because Jazz kind of just rolls through the pin and actually almost gets three count herself. Then Jazz hits that DDT that you mentioned, hits a clothesline out of the corner. Trish goes in, uh, goes in for another, but then, you know, Trish gets like the boot up and then hits the bulldog, which kind of looks like stratisfaction, but it's kind of awkward. And like, they're talking about it, and I think Jr. even says, "Oh, it's a bulldog," and J- and and the king is like, "Oh, it's satisfaction," you know, like, like like trying to like pick it up. And by the time he's saying satisfaction, the ma- the match is over. So the ending was a little bit sloppy, but they they try to cram as much as they could into less than four minutes. They did an admirable an admirable job. Wow, I'm losing my words. Admirable job. Uh, again, you know, certainly by no means not a great match, but it's it's decent enough to watch. Jazz came about 10 years too early. Um, watching this back and watching a couple of other early 2000 shows that we've watched, she didn't fit in with the rest of the women's division. She was a worker. She was not a lingerie model who was right. out there as eye candy. She was completely different. Now, had she come around in 2012 as opposed to 2002, she'd have torn it up in the current women's evolution that's going on right now, she'd have had tremendous matches up and down the women's roster with pretty much everybody. It was just sort of like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole with everything else the women's division was doing. On that note, Jerry Lawler. Real quick, real quick. It just, yeah. a, I, I looked it up because I, while you were talking about it, she actually recently had a mat, um, had some, did some work in impact. Yeah, Jazz. I saw that. Yeah. And, and I remember because I was thinking about that when you were saying how she would fit. She did pretty well. She worked like Jordan Grace and a couple other. Um, so if you like jazz and you see it, like she actually did a pretty good job recently. Just like just over the last couple weeks, um, matches and impact, she's had a run. So you, you're actually very right on that. She's done pretty good. Twenty years later, I mean, AEW's women's roster doesn't have the most depth. No, nope. they could fit. use someone like her. I'm for just sure. saying. You just to get some people over, right? Yeah. Which is like a name. Oh, hey, this was a legend jazz from the, and she, she's got the look still. She's a badass. I agree with you. Yeah. So sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt as you were going to talk about King. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Because what we're talking about is far more distinguished than where I was going. So (laughs) King asks, can I say it once? And then he (laughs) says purple puppies approximately 93 times over the next five minutes. It, look, I understand it was King Shtick. It, uh, again, this was 2002. I was 13, 14 at the time. We're all red-blooded males. We loved seeing what we were seeing on our television at the time. Having said that, 
thank goodness WWE wound up growing up out of this stuff. It's it's uncomfortable to watch in hindsight. Uh, as we move on, the next part's a little bit uncomfortable too uh, to to watch. We see uh, Coach backstage with Ric Flair with yeah. his son Reed uh, and his daughter Megan. Um, Reed is Rick's son who is no longer with us. He killed himself, right? Uh, I believe. And um, accidental overdose. Yeah. And um, what's what's really just like just fascinating about this this whole thing. So you notice Rick's Rick's there. And he's there with Reed and he's there with Megan We don't see Ashley Who we know now today as Charlotte Because Charlotte really didn't get Along that well with her dad when they were younger um, And she wasn't that big Into wrestling So you can see the two that he's got with them Are the ones that are at the time Really interested in wrestling In fact Reed wanted to be his dad And Megan Is actually now married to Conrad Thompson uh, Who hosts all the podcasts Um, So they they were really interested in wrestling at this point. Reed wanted to be Rick, and we don't see Charlotte around be- Ashley because she didn't like it. She didn't want to be in wrestling. She wasn't interested. It's fascinating now that she is one of the biggest stars in wrestling and will maybe go down as the greatest women's wrestler of all time when she finishes. And the reason why she's a wrestler is as a tribute to her brother. Like she picked up wrestling and started wrestling because she wanted to get to where what her she wanted to basically like. Fulfill her brother's dream Of becoming the next big star In their family And I, to me I get goosebumps just thinking about it Because you could see in 2002 like She's not here, she's not interested in this And now she's a big star and she does that For her family um, This is a lot just to take in You know like looking back at it Knowing everything that happened moving forward So um, now, I mean it's, it's very short But to me it was like I, I had a lot of notes about this point Because it was like wow so much Real stuff has happened for this family in the last 20 years Yeah Yeah I, I thought the same thing The minute Reed walked through that door backstage uh, You know you kind of go oh man you know um, And it's funny You know you watch this stuff in real time And you don't you have no idea You know where where these people's lives Are headed or what's you know what's To come so yeah I mean I wouldn't Say it's uncomfortable but you know It, it mm-hmm. kind of you know, tugs at your heartstrings a little bit Yeah um, I'll be honest with you, I don't remember ever seeing Charlotte ringside. The only time I remember her is is in the match where his retirement match with Sean is the only time I remember seeing her. Um, and there, there may have been others that just not coming. That's the only yeah, one. Yeah, I think that- there was once or twice that they show where she's sitting at ringside with the rest of the family and stuff, but she was never like in, in hearing them talk about it. They they didn't get along that well. I think yeah. they had some issues with her knowing yeah. that. Rick I mean, kind of screwed around all the time yeah, Rick, and stuff. Rick, yeah, you know, Rick. Rick was not a model exactly, father at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. Rick was not exactly the model husband and father. Okay, let's just you know, you know, yeah. this is not we're not breaking news here on on no. that's what he said. No, uh, with that, and I don't think you need to worry about getting sued for slander no. because you know Rick will come out and pretty much say that himself now. Um, you know, and and, and so yeah, I, at this point in time, I'll tell you one thing though. You know, I. I Man, did Rick? I know he wasn't young, but compared to Rick, man, did he look young? Yeah, I was gonna say, it's <laughs> so weird to say because he's he like, he's he probably look, fifty, but it's like fifty-three. So yeah. yeah, but he looks so young. He you know, he looks super young. Yeah, he looks yeah. yeah. Um, without getting too far into some of the stuff that's gone on, Charlotte's gone through some shit. Um. Yeah. She and her dad co-wrote a book and 
Rick's stuff reads a little bit strange, especially if you read his first book, which I thought was very, very good because so much stuff changed between when his first book came out and when his second book came out. But Charlotte, between her dad not really being around a whole lot when she was young, to not wanting to be a wrestler, to her brother dying, to wanting to be a wrestler... Um, who was she, yeah, who she engaged had, to, right? She, one of the guys from that, like, was like beating her. I, yeah, I think it like was, she was, uh, it was, it was rough. One of the guys um, that wrestled in TNA too. He actually was yeah. around for a while too. So she has, yeah. she's um, resilient, man. Like I, I, and we're yeah. on a little bit of a tangent, but we're talking all about this. I absolutely love Charlotte. I know she gets I a lot love of her too. from yeah. her people because they feel like she gets shoved down or, oh, it's Charlotte again, this or that. It's like, Every match she's in, she makes feel like a big deal. She's yep. phenomenal at what she does. She and and then you add the flair like mystique to it. Um, every I, every time she's in the ring, I pay attention and I and I, and I care more and more. So I'm glad you brought yeah. that up because um, she's definitely uh, been through it. Bringing it back full circle, I mean, there's a lot to be said for the fact that maybe she's turning into, in a lot of ways, the female version of her father as the standard bearer for a division, yep. as somebody that can have a good match with anybody. Yep. Hot take, the bridge between lingerie model and world-class athlete, I don't think it could have been anybody else but Charlotte as the figurehead. I think she hits all of the check marks that anybody great would look for. And yep. then you get... Some of the stuff between Charlotte and her dad outside of the ring, there's an episode of WWE Ride Along on the network where Charlotte and her dad look like they've got a lot in common. And you can tell because the last five minutes the cameras are on them, they don't speak because they're both really pissed off at the other one. So (laughs) it's funny where time takes you and the decisions people make along the way in response to everything that's gone on around them. Yes, we went on a little bit of a tangent, but it's relevant here because this is Flair's first match outside of the WCW brand since he was in WWF 10 years prior to this. And he's in this not with a full-time wrestler, not with somebody that he's going toe-to-toe with in a dream match setting. He's going toe-to-toe with Vince McMahon, and nobody was really sure how much of a full-time worker Flair was going to be at this point. Yeah, He was 53 years old. Nobody was sure if he even wanted to continue wrestling. Flair had some crippling anxiety at this time. And even a little bit after this, he said his match with Taker at WrestleMania a couple months later actually got him back in the swing of things. But here he comes out and very quickly you realize why this is the nature boy and this is one of the best to ever do it. By the way, I, I, I guess I should have saved my Ric Flair story for this. Uh, yeah, you should have. What the <laughs> hell were you thinking? Um, but, but one thing I'll, I'll say, so we talk about Flair and uh, Rick and, and Charlotte, what they have in common. So um, my wife and I, when we went to the WrestleMania over here at MetLife Stadium a couple of years ago. I think it just ended 15 minutes ago. It did. It did. <laughs> I, 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 just made it, I just made it home in time. For the um, so... When they, you know, the main event, obviously, with the uh, the triple threat with uh, with Charlotte, Becky, and and Ronda. So um, when when they had Charlotte flying in the helicopter, now my my wife was not a NWA WCW person. She was all all she did was watch, you know, WWF. 
So like she like she goes she goes what the hell are they doing with the helicopter? And I went and I and I immediately went oh Great American <laughs> eighty six. <laughs> she, she's looking at me. She's like what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> They're redoing Ric Flair's entrance. This is so good. Yeah. I was like I was like my head was exploding. You know, <laughs> and then, like the really cool part of it for me, which probably not a single other person in the entire building cared about. Was they actually landed in the valet parking area of the old Pegasus restaurant at the Meadowlands Racetrack? Oh wow! <laughs> Which I was colliding. <laughs> uh, all my worlds colliding in one one like amazing moment. But I just wanted to bring that one up. Um. So we're up to the video package now. Flair versus Vince, and uh, Flair bought the stock of the company. He remember Flair didn't come over initially with the uh, the invasion, and and actually at this point Flair has not wrestled since the last match of WCW. His last match at WCW. So we're talking about eight to ten months ish, or eight months about or so right now since he's even been in any ring period. Um, and Vince, holy crap. We'll talk about how big he looks in just a second. Who's got more steroids, Vince McMahon or Barry Bonds? Oh my god, this is no doubt the biggest that Vince ever was. He was so goofy with the poses and stuff too. We'll get to which are just laying it on thick, and and the King is just oozing how big Vince looks and how much he loves it. The one line I loved in the build-up package. From Vince where he's you know mocking Flair I thought the package was actually really good It showed a lot of the, the history and everything leading up to it He says I enjoy destroying lives It turns me on <laughs> Which is just such a Vince line you know So I, Vince Is massive This is 56 Year old Vince McMahon Who is the biggest we've ever Seen him I mean If you ha- aren't, have not watched this show in a while and you don't remember what I'm talking about with how big Vince was at this point, please go look because this was, I can't ever remember him being bigger than this actual part right here. This is unbelievable. Uh, Flair's 53 and a big pop for Flair, a, you know, real King. Oh my God. He's so huge. Look at how great he looks. And JR's tech, man, this is a little too much here. King, you know, you're, you're a little too interested in how good the boss looks. <laughs> we get, uh, we get most of Vince's matches. were pretty much the same. It's almost the same template for all of them where Vince gets some stuff in early. He'll, you know, play t- super heel headlock, slow moves, and he's doing the poses. Every time he'll like push Flair down And he's just doing a real I mean just hilarious And um, I think Andrew Sort of hit it earlier The first few minutes of this match They're pretty slow It's setting it up We get the asshole chance um, As Vince mocks Flair the Flair and Vince exchange some, some chops And then they're in the aisle Vince is using the trash can Immediately Flair is bleeding So he's just gushing right off the bat And Vince locks in the figure four Almost Flair almost gets pinned a few times where he's on his back. Then he turns it over, and then things change. Uh, Vince ducks out of the ring. Rick goes to work, chops, punches like crazy. He uses a monitor from the announce table to just nail Vince in the head. And the match really, really picks up when Flair's in control. The crowd starts loving it. Vince keeps begging off. Flair nails Vince in the head with the lead pipe. He locks in the figure four. Vince is all bloody. He tries for about 10 seconds to to fight off the figure four. And then he double 
hand taps out uh, on the floor and uh, and this match is over. Flair's the winner. I mean, most Vince matches are this way. They're entertaining. They're way more entertaining than they have a right to be for two 50-plus-year-old men going at it. And Vince, who's not really a trained wrestler. I, I honestly can't even remember one of these matches that Vince has that didn't at least do what it was supposed to do, DZ. I mean, he's been doing this from Austin. And then think about it. When it started with Austin, it's basically been how many people throughout the years. He dragged his... Old ass out to the ring a few years ago And did this stuff with Roman Reigns You know what I mean like to try to get him over Too so uh, I will say the Boss for as much as you hate him as much as People give him crap he Will take a beating and he Will do whatever he can to get a storyline Over or somebody over and That was what we see here with Vince and that's what we See with most of Vince matches Yeah I would agree I would say the one caveat For me the, the one with Bret Hart was terrible Yeah yeah that's probably true it was just it was slow. We tried to get the family yeah. thing involved, yeah. and it was yeah, it was yeah, too much. One, yeah, that one was too much for me. because it oh. it didn't do what all of his other ones do, where they just let Vince beat up the guy for a few minutes and then let oh. the other guy beat the crap out of Vince for the final five. Right, and that's exactly. that's that's the hits. Just play those hits. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, I'm I'm a 37 year old guy. I go to the gym five six days a week. I I keep myself fairly physically fit. I eat healthy. I'm six feet tall, 185 pounds. At 20 years younger than Vince is at this point, I don't know what it would take for me to come close to looking like what this guy looks like here. I mean, the amount of steroids that have to be pumping through his system right here, I you, you can't overstate how completely jacked out of his mind this guy is now it's almost to the point where it's like scary it's like um, silly it is yeah. almost like laughable where it's like what is going it's on here absolutely absurd i mean you know i'm surprised vince didn't tear both his quads here um because there's just no room in his body outside of his muscles um but yeah i mean early on in the match um you know as soon as you start to see vince hitting flair with like that sign then he throws him into like the thing and the camera goes away you're like, oh, you know, when it goes back, Flair's going to be a bloody mess. There's going to be blood. <laughs> now, I mean, Flair has bled quite a bit in, in some matches, and it looks monumentally worse for him because of his white hair. Uh, this was a lot. <laughs> yeah. He's a bloody disaster. This is early, too. He early. was bleeding two and a half yeah. minutes into this match for about yeah. 10 straight minutes. Yeah. yeah, this is like, yeah, exactly. This is like a 10, 11 minute long blood fest for him. And eventually, obviously, Vin, you know, Vince is going to take the lead pipe to the head, which surprisingly doesn't crack his skull open. It just gives him a little bit of a cut in his forehead because, you know, that's what, that's lead, what, pipe is, do. You know, that's what lead pipes are known to do. Kids, don't try this at home. Um, you know, look, it, obviously, it's not a wrestling match. The stuff that they do with the fight with the figure four is pretty cool. Um, I, I will tell you one thing. I absolutely love the finish. I love the 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 way that that Flair applies the figure four and the strutting around and how he's just completely like flipping out and everything. I love the finish of the match. Um, there's not a lot of technical stuff to talk about. It's basically just the street fight slugfest. It's everything you would expect that to be. Uh, but you know what? It was entertaining. You know, probably one of the more entertaining ones that I remember Vince doing. I had fun watching it. It did the job. It checked the box. It was supposed to check, 
And uh, yeah, like I said, it, it, I remember being back then watching Flair and having Flair back. It was it was cool. I can't add much more than what Gino and Darren have already said here, other than to say JR has one of my all-time favorite lines during this match, and it sells what happens during the first half of the match where Vince McMahon is beating Ric Flair to a bloody pulp. I don't think McMahon has any heart. If it does, it's blacker than sin. Yep. Perfect. Just a perfect King. line. Gets yep. over a heel in 10 seconds. King says That's... something like, uh, I'm going to tell the boss or <laughs> something like write that right afterwards. It, it's great. It, it is. And he's such a wordsmith, JR. Yeah. He just, he leaves you with something just like that. Exactly. And JR has obviously known Ric Flair for a very, very, very long time. In addition to wanting to do what he can for his company and for the people that are signing the paychecks, he's also got a vested interest in getting people to buy into Ric Flair as a part of the company. So they bring Flair in, they do the consortium of investors bit, and if you've ever seen the gif where Vince McMahon's kind of grabbing his ear and wondering what's going on, it's from that segment because he realizes he is, of course, partners with Ric Flair. So... Flair wins this match, and after this match, Vince McMahon decides to kill his own creation and inject it with, say it with me, guys, a lethal dose of poison. The N-W-O. Yep. <laughs> and that, of course, gave us the promo where, like, he spun the chair around and the letters NWO were in a weird alignment, and you weren't quite sure what to make of that. With one exception, that bombed, but that one exception was Hogan Rock in the Sky yeah. Dome. Yeah. So that, that outweighs a lot, to be sure. But this match is fun. The first half of it's kind of slow because you're like, oh, God, why are they putting Vince McMahon over? What's going on here? Da, 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 da. Then the last six minutes or so, when Flair gets the upper hand, just starts no-selling everything and just starts <laughs> beating the bloody crap out of his boss. That's good stuff. Who doesn't want that, right? Who doesn't want to a, a right. little want to live vicariously through that just a little bit? Listen, for for the record, I have no problem with my bosses. I don't want to beat them. <laughs> well, this what's great is that I'm my own boss, so I guess I'm gonna beat the crap out of myself. <laughs> and, like, and my he, boss doesn't listen to the show, so we're good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> liar, liar, or uh, be myself and Irene. Irene, I don't know, one of those two. Three guys, uh, three guys talking about each other's bosses. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now we are uh, We're backstage And Stephanie is talking about Triple H And how he's going to win He just made his return from injury uh, He's going to destroy everyone Especially Stone what? Cold What? Wife what? 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 <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Stone Cold the, the funniest part about this Is when Stone Cold walks in doing it Every time he would do that, you could see him almost like Jimmy Fallon on Saturday Night Live, you know, like start to break character a little bit. He's just laugh like he can't help it but creep because, like, you know, you hear Stone Cold tell the stories about how some of these things came, you know, came to fruition. It was just him and Christian and Edge on the road, and he'd just do this crap in the car with them, and they were just laughing and what, 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 and they just did it in one promo, and it just gets over, and you're you got the whole crowd chanting just what, what, so. These were funny with Austin And it's great because Austin's the badass But like this goofy version of Austin It didn't last for too long So we don't 
we don't have to remember like Austin as this, but it was funny because you look back at it now and it's like the guy is a damn good performer. He and we and we can see now with the way he hosts podcasts, TV shows all over the place. He does a damn good job interviewing people and just relating with people. And that was that was really all what like what Austin always did. He just related with you. He didn't feel like you know, like the playboy Ric Flair Who people wanted to be He was just the everyman And um, this was, this was great stuff here The crowd is, is hot for Austin All throughout the night And uh, and we get the build up package For Jericho the Rock This was a really important time for Chris Jericho You know, before we get go into ahead. that yeah, quick, go ahead. Quick, quick story True story So I'm like 18, 19 years old In the, in the lunchroom or cafeteria At St. John's University and there's a guy who I'm talking to a couple of friends and we're talking about, I don't know if it was Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or a pay-per-view. We were talking about what went on in wrestling the night before. And some guy would come over and he, and he, and he said something to the effect of, come on, he's like, you're, you know, you're in college, you're grown-ass, man. How do you still watch that shit, you know, whatever? And, and I said, look, I said, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, in, in what other form of entertainment or sports can, can you give me an example? Where one word, just one word, could create mass hysteria and a global trend that would just, you know, just cut through everything. And he went, what? And I said, exactly. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he's looking at me. And I just started saying to him, what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> he had no clue. He had no clue. So great. Because the guy never watched a minute of wrestling. And I'm just this guy in space for like a good 30 seconds. And he had no idea what's going on. Oh, this is great. That's outstanding. That was good stuff. (laughs) What? Yeah, just laughing. Stephanie, my uh, girlfriend, was like, "Ah, this gets a little annoying, doesn't it? I was like, no, never. What? 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 (laughs) You're a poor, poor child. So, um. For Jericho at this point, we're in 22, 2002. He is just now won the undisputed title where he beat Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock in the same night to win the undisputed championship. He's got both titles, WCW, WWF title. Remember, maybe six, eight months before this, he's kind of floundering. Um, he's they just he, he's fine in the mid card, but they don't really know what to do with them. He hasn't had any like as very many of the awesome matches that we would have thought. He came right in and was involved with The Rock, and then since then he's not really been in the main event picture, more of like a mid carder to upper mid carder. Then he got involved with Team WWF in the Alliance, uh, WWF versus the Alliance, all that stuff, and now he's actually like sort of. I mean. I remember that night, uh, the night when they had both of the matches, and it was it was a uh, Rock versus Angle, and then it was uh or it was a uh, Austin versus Angle, Rock versus Jericho, and then the winners faced off afterwards, and then uh, Jericho beat Austin out. I remember like, you're sitting there going, "There's just anybody else could win, but there's no chance Jericho's winning," right? Like when you're watching that at the time, like there's right. no way Jericho is winning two matches in a row and beating those two guys. You could tell me any of the other three. And I wouldn't be surprised. The fact that he is the undisputed champ right now with all of the other talent on the roster is pretty absurd, like to think about it. You know, Triple H is back. You got Angle there. You got Austin. You got Undertaker, Kane, even someone like Big Show. And we've got The Rock right here. And Jericho beats The Rock in the main event 
of three out of four pay-per-views from the end of 2001 into 2002 and he's doing a great job playing this this heel and the nice part about Jericho is he's always going to be able to give you a really good match too. I forgot how good it was with these two guys this particular match. This might be their best match together. It was really damn good. We get the build up package and this thing all started back when they were on team WWE. Um uh, the Rock in my opinion when he, his walk down the aisle when his music hits like the 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 walk that he has, the way he looks around, the confidence, the pace that he walks at, like that's how a wrestler's supposed to walk down the aisle. He just like he's like it's not even like it's like you're in his world. He's not in your world. <laughs> he's like, well, it's so great just to see him walk down, like look around. Oh yeah, I'm the man. I am the effing man here. I like there's very few people that command that sort of presence when he walks down and hey, oh yeah, 20 years later, he's if not the biggest movie star in the world, like on the top five list of biggest grossing actors, like every single year now. So this guy had it, whatever that it is, fast art. Y2J mocks The Rock And Rock just goes crazy early Uh, Jericho ducks out Rock goes chasing after him We get a spear by The Rock He is super intense That's what I love Intense right off the bat And it feels like These guys have been feuding for a while I hate it when there's a third or four match Match between someone They've been feuding for a while And the match is kind of Slow At the start Doesn't I want these guys to go at it they they hate each other right now Jericho keeps cheating the rock out of the title He should be pissed off uh, as he starts this Spinning heel kick from Jericho And a suplex Jericho exposes the top Turnbuckle a little something that we just He did but we didn't see Or hear about for the next 10 minutes Again I love when that stuff happens in, in Matches you had that little oomph And then oh it's like we forget That the turnbuckle was exposed because it didn't get Used immediately right here So Jericho slows things down A little bit headlock Match like a little crawling for a few minutes here as Jericho controls uh, and the rock is really selling. And then we get a small flurry from the rock, superplex off the top rope, and both men are out. And then then it really starts picking up. Rock hits an overhead throw. He hits uh Jericho hits a bulldog, then the lion salt, then another lion salt for two. I thought it was kind of cool that right after he hit the bulldog, King actually calls for it. He goes, What are we gonna get? The lion salt coming here? Perfect. And then it does. It was it was kind of cool. Um Jericho's trying to to met, uh, At this point Jericho starts screaming at Earl Hebner And he pushes Earl and then Earl pushes Jericho back Jericho's trying to measure the rock off the top But he misses and the rock hooks in a sharpshooter the, the ugly looking sharpshooter I love you rock but it's no Brett it's no Owen sharpshooter Let, Let's be honest here uh, Out come Lance Storm to distract the ref Jericho's tapping out But the ref can't see it Christian comes in to help Jericho And then uh Jericho ends up hitting a rock bottom for two Another ref comes down and chases back Lance and Christian So we still get the match going on Chris Jericho setting up for the people's elbow But the rock with a nip up He catches Jericho in the middle And he just tosses him over the top rope Which was cool Both men are battling outside the ring Now they're on top of the announcer's table I like this spot too Both of the announcer's tables got cleared off And Jericho looks like he's going to hit a rock bottom But The Rock is able to fight out And counter it So they go from one announce table to the other With a rock bottom Jericho through the announce table I thought it was a really cool looking spot He, uh, He tosses Jericho back in the ring For a two count Jericho locks in the walls of Jericho Rock powers over the ropes He breaks it Uh, Jericho tries to lock it in again But The Rock grabs Jericho with an inside cradle for two 
uh, Jericho ducks a, a flying uh, flying forearm from the Rock, and the and then we get a bad ref bump. The Rock uh, hits R- Earl Hebner, so Hebner is out. CJ Chris Jericho calls down for another referee. Here comes the dirty ref Nick Patrick. We just get a two count. Rock hits a DDT, but Nick Patrick refuses to count, so the Rock takes out Nick. Uh, he, he then hits a people's elbow But there's no referee to count the pin Jericho with a low blow And uh, the rock goes headfirst into that Exposed turnbuckle There it was 15 minutes later He ends up using it Then Jericho rolls him up So that the cheating for, for Jericho to win this match At the end You get the, the refs out Obviously he doesn't count the pin he, Jericho's already tapped out earlier Then he hits a low blow he then sends the rock headfirst into the exposed turnbuckle and he rolls him up and uses his feet on the ropes. I mean, DZ, there was, for a heel cheating, it was pretty phenomenal to see the lengths, like six different things he's doing to win this match. Yeah, pretty much, you know, win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat, you know, to perfection. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, look, you hit on everything. Um, you know, at, at one point in the, in the commentary, um, King says, uh, hey, JR, are you okay? And, and JR starts to talk, and he goes, it doesn't matter if you're okay. It was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they just, you know, King would come up with that stuff randomly. Um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the background a little bit. So you talked about, you know, the, the match at Vengeance. Um, you know, Paul Heyman, I, I watched him uh, speak once where he was talking about, you know, how, how do you shock people? You know, you shock people by doing one of two things. Do something that you just nobody expects is going to happen or do something that has never happened before. You know, having The Undertaker lose to Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Shock people because, of course, The Undertaker is going to win at WrestleMania. You know, having Goldberg beat Brock Lesnar in, uh, you know, a, a minute and a half or whatever it was, you know, shocks people. Um, one of the times that I was shocked was at the Vengeance pay-per-view because... Not only did you get, um, you know, the way it was set up where they, they were kind of, you were going to have a unification eventually, but it was kind of set up like this mini tournament where you had one match for the WWF title, and then you had a match for the world title, and then you had the unification. So you figure, okay, the first match, Stone Cold uh, beats, beats Angle, then you get Rock and Jericho, and you say, of course, they're going to do Stone Cold Rock again. You know, after WrestleMania 17 earlier that year, we're gonna we're gonna bring that back, and then Jericho beats The Rock, and you're shocked. I could not believe it. I mean, still now I can't believe it. Even and, <laughs> and you're saying to yourself, "All right, well, he's definitely not beating Austin." You know, I mean, obviously Austin's gonna win, and then he beats Austin. So now you're really shocked, and 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 there was like this period of four to five months here. Where you just expected him to lose all these matches because, like, he's like, All right, well, now he's gonna face the rock here. All right, he's gonna lose to the rock here, and you're gonna get, you know, maybe Rock Austin again at Mania. You're gonna get Rock Taker, Rock Triple H. And he's and beating, like, on Raw and SmackDown at this point, he's beating, like, Angle one on one again. He's beating yeah. Big Show. He's, like, just beating everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 100%. 100%. And then if you remember, after he beats Rock here, he goes to the next pay-per-view. I think it was No Way Out, and he beats Austin again. Um, yeah. You know, so it, it, it's kind of like you're, you're really scratching your head. And it was wild because, I mean, Jericho, now granted, he came in before, you know, TakeOver. Obviously, you know, he was a WCW, WCW guy that came in, I think, around like 98 or so. Um, but, you know, this is kind of like the anti-Vince move where you have a guy who was a WCW guy for many years. 
who's beating all your big names repeatedly. Like, he's become the guy. Now, obviously, eventually he's going to lose, but, you know, he gets a hell of a run here. And it is one of the times that WWE, WWF, really shocked the hell out of me because I did not see it coming. And that's no disrespect to Jericho, who I love. I loved him as a worker. Obviously, I love him on the mic, and, and it was a fun time. I mean, what, what what would we have had to believe in his previous two years of booking that this that they were ever going to do this with him? No, exactly. exactly. It came out of nowhere. I, I remember like it was kind of like just an afterthought that he was even in the thing. You know, the, the, that those, yeah, those like, why is he in there and it's not like Taker or somebody else, like, you know, whatever, for yeah. whoever else. Yeah. Whoever. Triple A, whoever. Yeah. You know, and you just figure it was just a way to, you know, get the rock over without having to, you know, beat anybody that, that you stop momentum. And then you get this run where it was just like, and look, he's winning in heelish ways. He's not beating all these guys clean. You know, he's doing every trick of the book and so on and so forth. But that doesn't mean he's not headlining these shows and he's, he's not walking around with both boats as the, you know, as the as the undisputed champion, um, it was it was a fun time. It was kind of a weird time, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, hats off to them because this match and a lot of the match arounds it, uh, Andrew. The, the WWE kept me, you know, in, in in flux because every time I thought they were going to zig, they zagged. Okay, you may think that there was some incredible decision that was made around making Jericho the undisputed champion. There is a rumor that has gained steam and validity over the past 20 years or so. You guys familiar with these websites that take money on pro wrestling events? In some cases, they max out the bet because it's just supposed to be a joke thing and they don't want to be on the hook for significant liability. You can only bet 20 bucks on anything and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you know why there's a limit? Because of this, because of that night? Because... Rumor was WWF officials knew which way the odds were going, placed gigantic bets on Chris Jericho at anywhere between 8-1 to one and 12-1 to one to be the wow. undisputed champion and oh cleaned the bookmakers out. <laughs> wouldn't yeah. One time for us with the horse, guys, please. Just one time. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. That, that, was, uh, that was a thing that happened. Now, whether that was the reason Jericho went over, who the hell knows, right? But history tells us that Jericho's run as the undisputed champ was a bit of a dud for a lot of the reasons that you guys mentioned. Yes, he was going over, but he wasn't going over clean. He was going over with a lot of help. He was in a situation where he was the heel escaping by the skin of his teeth. He hadn't been booked particularly strong on a consistent basis prior to this. But from a work rate perspective, there is no argument that he delivered a lot of really good matches when he was at the top of the card. Both of his matches with Austin and Rock at the pay-per-view before this one were very good. This match with The Rock was excellent. And what I loved is it was a 20-minute match with very little in the way of breaks or rest holds or yep. anything like that, they worked a really fast pace right from the jump. There, there wasn't a lot of stalling. There wasn't a lot of rest holds. This was something out of the Steamboat Flare book where these two guys were just going and going and going and going and going. 
and everything made sense. And the fans were into everything that they did. It was so good. There were a couple of really good sequences. There was the issue with Storm and Christian running in to distract the ref and Jericho getting a rock bottom for two that some people bought as the finish. I thought that was pretty cool. And then, Gino, you mentioned the stuff with the turnbuckle and how there was the delayed payoff for that and how Jericho ultimately had his feet on the ropes and whatnot. So at this point, Jericho's beaten Steve Austin. He's beaten The Rock. And you're thinking, oh, please, God, someone save us from this dastardly heel champion. (laughs) Well, that's sort of what happened. But there were some really big problems with the way it was done. First of all, Jericho's title defense at WrestleMania went on after Rock Hogan, which was indefensible even as it was happening. And it was the second time, or rather it was the first of two times, that Triple H would be involved in one of those things. Because remember, Triple H, Randy Orton went on after the first Sean Taker match, and there was no way they were following that. Just none. And that's no disrespect to Triple H, who is a fine worker. And it's not like either of those matches that he had were bad, but you could make the case that ultimately in both situations, the payoff was the most over face on the roster wasn't the one going over in the main event at WrestleMania. And that ultimately was a big negative in how Jericho's reign ended, because after that, we got the Triple H reign of terror for two or three years that resulted in things like the Booker T stuff, like just being given the world heavyweight championship, Um, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, didn't he, he didn't win the world heavyweight championship when they expanded again afterwards. Right. You interrupted at a really fortunate time for Darren, because I was going to mention Goldberg. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was a really weird time after Triple H came back. He turned himself heel. They did evolution and evolution as a whole was great, but you got the sense that triple H got into his head and thought he was flair. Yeah. As good as triple H is, and he is very good and he has done a mountain of good for the business with what he has done with NXT, NXT UK, the performance center, whatever can speak incredibly highly of him. He was no flair. No. And and I'll even go a step further in saying, I think him winning the Rumble and coming back and winning it, I don't think he's the wrong guy to win this Rumble. No. I, I don't. I just, I agree with you in that he's like this, what happens between here and then Mania and him taking the title from Jericho and moving forward, it's just one of those things where when we know what happens afterwards again, we don't like it as much. When it, when it goes really good, we love it, you know? But like... I think him coming back, him winning the Rumble, the crowd was into it. It was fine. It was good. He was exciting. He was the new face back after a while. That's fine. But I agree with you. He was never, like, he was always going to be a top guy. But honestly, he was never the guy. Never. Ever. Even when he, like, through some of the lull years, he (laughs) he was never the number one baby face that the crowd wanted. He could definitely be the heel. And he could do a, a fine, a damn fine job being your top heel. But, but the, like you said, he was trying to just, you, you get too much of him putting himself over through the years, too much of him, you know, hey, Triple H, let's, let's go 15 and have a really good match instead of going 35, <laughs> you know, um, things like that. So 
yeah, DZ, as we get ready for the uh, the rumble, like I'm, it's funny the way things work when you're for your fandom, right? Because I was always, we talk about it a bunch, a Bret Hart guy. So that means me growing up, I'm not initially as much of uh like of a DX guy because I'm against, I'm with Bret, I'm against Sean. I'm not as much of a Sean guy, you know. And so I wasn't even as much of a. I loved Austin coming up, but at the beginning I was more Bret versus Austin, and then Austin, I'm on the Austin side. But then I was more of a Rock guy, so I was never really Triple H. I respect him way more now, looking back at everything. But you know, like after winning the title at WrestleMania and moving forward, that's the era of Triple H that I, I, for about three or four years, that I really don't like. Yeah, I see, I'm in a lot of the similar similar columns as you. You know, being a Brett guy, I, I and it's not that Sean wasn't a great worker. It's just no. I, I didn't like him. I didn't like his personality. I thought he was a pompous ass. I couldn't stand, you know, the way he acted on TV. Even though I I understood that it was TV, I, I thought it was it was over the top at times and a bit ridiculous. And the love of Brett is also coming out here. Let's be real. Sure it is. Sure, sure it is. No, yeah, I'm, absolutely. I I'll, I'll freely I'll freely admit that and. You know, I, um, you know, when the whole thing with the screw job went on and, and you know, I wanted to jump through the TV and, you know, sure. throw, a chair, throw a chair at the guy. Um, but, yeah, regarding Triple H, uh, look, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, Gino. Um, there was a lot of stuff. You know, he went over in spots. The Sting one, even though it really doesn't matter. Look, her tea. It bothered me. You know, him going, there was no reason that he had to go over Sting. Well, the Sting thing, if I may jump in, they did a WWE Untold on this, and Triple H is very remorseful about that because the plan was Triple H goes over Sting and sets up Triple H versus The Rock the next year. Now, that didn't happen. My thing is, even if that's the case, does Triple H need to go over Sting? No. No, I don't think so. There was a reason for it. I understand what the reason was. Yeah, I don't did like. It, did it have to happen? No. Do I still hate it? Yes. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and there's a couple other spots. I mean, all the way down to, again, I'll bring it up. Re- the reason I just made it back in time for this to do the show with you after you know two years of, of <laughs> uh, driving back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, with the match with him and Batista, that I swear to God. I remember sitting there just squeezing my head and saying to my wife, when is this match going to be over? I know. Like, like I'm watching two 50-year-old guys, you know, 20 years past their prime at this point. When, when is this match going to be over? And, and it, it was stuff like that that just drove me nuts with Triple H. And I'm not saying he was a bad worker. Not at all. No, he's not a bad worker. But I will be perfectly honest with you. In my opinion, Triple H is not one of the elite wrestlers of all time. He's just no. no. If there no. is a Mount Rushmore, he's not on it. If no. there is a first tier, top tier of wrestlers, he's in the tier below it. And I that's agree. That's not anything bad. Nope. It's, but he's just, he's not Flair. He's not Brett. He's, he's not, not Sean. He's, he's not, not Austin. He's, he's not Hogan. None of guys. No. He's not. And for some reason, I am taking away at the point that I feel like a lot of his career was either him trying to elevate himself to that or trying to show people that he was that. Yep. And the more that that happened, 
the more turned off I was. I think everybody did get like that. It was like we we're we became as he was in the business, we all became a lot smarter, right? And that was one of the problems I think that he kind of ran into is like if he was around 20 years earlier, he would have probably been even like like revered more, but we know everything that's going on as it's happening now with the internet and the, from like 2000 on where it's like, oh, he's making a lot of these decisions. He's making a lot of these calls. He's the reason why he's in that spot. He's the reason why that match is going 30 instead of 20, you know, like all those things like that. So that's um yeah, that that was sort of the, the the thing. And you know, we're talking a lot about Triple H because Triple H is the the winner of this Royal Rumble that we're going to get to. And one uh, we, really quick note before please. we move on too much because I've got an analogy that I think is just perfect. I mentioned that Triple H isn't Flair. He is Harley Race pretty much to a T. Yeah. Far better heel than a baby face. Yep. He's yeah. the guy you want to see get his butt kicked. You don't necessarily want to see him win. Good promo, effective promo, visceral worker, cerebral, the name we're going to constantly refer to him as is the cerebral assassin. There's a lot of similarities there, including the sideburns that Triple H (laughs) tried to rock about 20 years after they were cool. Evolution sideburns. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think there's a lot of validity there, and nobody is bashing Harley Race, one of the toughest men to ever step through the squared circle for any number of reasons. But Harley Race is in that same tier, too. He's not on Mount Rushmore, but nope. he's the next one down, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it, it, I feel as though he wants to be seen as this Hogan-type draw, as this Savage-type draw, as this Flair-type worker, And there's nothing wrong with not being one of those people because there's a reason I'm referring to them as that, but he's not there. He's, he's someone too. That's like, um, a lot of like, I'm going to revere him more for what he did after wrestling. I like you were talking about Andrew, like some of his biggest contributions could be NXT and what the stuff that he's done with the women and just, Going and bringing back people like Warrior or Bruno, like he was a lot a guy that went and repaired a lot of the relationships that Vince had sort of, uh, you know, grown out of favor of people with big stars throughout the years. So, yeah, you know what? Like we see this sometimes too, where you have a really good athlete, but maybe they're a better coach or even a better trainer or or even a better what something in you know a, a president of an organization or an owner of a team. I, I'm. You know, I think as positively about what he's done post wrestling as I do about his career in wrestling. And I think, I think the when the day comes that Vince either decides he's going to step back or Triple H gets a lot more power, I think there will be a a good immediate sort of boost and sort of a shot in the arm as things change a little bit um, up top. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's a fascinating figure to talk about um, for the last twenty five years of of this company and. We see his uh, his best bud, Shawn Michaels, at WWF New York. Hey, we didn't know that Shawn Michaels is going to be back in eight months. He's rocking his red, white, and blue. He talks about uh, uh, President Bush at the time, and he says uh, he's going to give us two picks for the Rumble, either uh, either one of his Texan buddies, The Undertaker or Stone Cold. And, uh, and then we get the buildup for the Royal Rumble, and it's Fink's moment to shine again. He gets his chance to explain all the rules. King always takes a shot at him. Come on, Howard. It's only an hour match here. You know, and, and then we are on our way. Number one, it's Rikishi 
Number two, Goldust. He's making his return after three years. And we get the really awesome old gold dust entrance. They take a ton of time. All the gold dust antics going on here. Um, Rikishi goes right after him. Uh, number three coming out is Big Boss Man. And the number four is Bradshaw, who is still, I think, about two years away from becoming JBL. Uh, so Bradshaw goes after everyone. We get a Rikishi stink face of the boss man. That ass was looking huge at this point. And um, I mean, the most bulbous ass you'll ever see there. Uh, he eliminates boss man after the stink face. Number five is Lance Storm, um, who comes rolling in. Number six is Al Snow. So uh, we'll get to DZ because Al Snow comes in and what does everybody want? And I can't, I can't believe that that King later in the match is actually chanting, "We want Ted." He says, "I do too." A little bit later, we'll get to that, but um, uh, not a whole lot going on. But remember, Goldust hadn't been around for a few years, so him coming back was a cool spot to see. And um, you know, just kind of getting some filler in towards the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you take a look here, and you know, obviously, Big Boss Man, JBL, Lance Storm, Al Snow. None of these guys are winning the Royal Rumble. Um, you know, they, and to be honest with you, I don't like when they do this. No, uh, I like when you have a guy in the first three that you believe. Long you, you need to have the Iron Man that you believe all the way through, because at the very least, you're thinking, "Oh, it's uh, Finn Balor still in there, right?" Yep. Or you know, like w- like when we did the uh, 2018 one, or oh, you know, maybe it's Ziggler. Oh, okay, like there's always got to be the the one with the women. Sasha's in there. Okay, it could be her. Becky's still in there. You know, one of them. Yep. There, there's actually nobody in this Royal Rumble more than 26 minutes, um, and I, I don't really remember that being the case in too many Royal Rumbles. Um, yeah, I mean, these guys, you know, Rikishi and Goldust, they hang in there for a little bit. You know, Bossman's in there for a whopping three minutes. Um, you know, Lance Storm is going to end up getting eliminated by Al Snow. But yeah, uh, there's not a whole lot to talk about here. Not much going on. Just kind of filler until you get some of the heavy hitters to come in. Yeah, this was one of the gripes that I mentioned at the top of the show. With how backloaded this rumble is, You're telling me that RVD, who got one of the biggest pops of the night, instead of having two minutes of work at 29, couldn't have come out at three or four and gotten a half hour run. Completely agree. There's something wrong with that. On the plus side, though, Gold Dust comes out and he looks incredible. Yeah. We covered a lot of 98, 99 shows where Gold Dust was not in great shape either physically or mentally, there was a lot going on there, but he's back here. He's trimmed down significantly. It looks like he's lost about 50 pounds. He's moving really well. And it was good to see him back for sure. Even if it was doing a bunch of weird stuff. Um, There was one really good spot where Storm's bouncing around the ring. He comes off the ropes and he just gets leveled by this gigantic Bradshaw clothesline. And even when Bradshaw was a mid-carter, that clothesline was a whoa kind of move because nobody did it quite like he did, the way Stan Hansen used to do it, the way all the Texans did it, the big stiff clothesline that some people didn't sell for. Exactly. Or as the Japanese call it, lariato. Yeah. 
Um, that's actually what they call it, by the way. Don't nobody jump down my throat at that. So <laughs> my, well, my other question, this bothered me. It bothered me when Boss Man came back, and it bothers me 20 years later. Big Boss Man had one of the best themes in early 90s WWF with Hard Times, the one that starts with, if you ever take a trip down to Cobb County, County, George. His theme music is crap in the late 90s and early 2000s. It's garbage. Just generic, bad guy. You have this great theme, Hard Times. Just go back to it. It doesn't matter that he's a heel. You've got a guy he, that's he got with, some yeah. bread. Just, you know, go back to that. It's right there. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you. That's a really good point. I kind of um, forgot Boss Man was still around at this this time. So, so too. Yeah, because yeah. he went to WCW then came back up. Yeah. But I'll say, by the way, you, you mentioned about uh, Goldust. So Goldust, of course, um, you know, is in real life is, is Dustin Rhodes or, or Dustin Reynolds, who is now – of course, is in AEW, and, and I'm bringing it up because he put out a tweet yesterday where he actually talked about, um, Andrew, what you referenced, where he said that at his one of the worst times in his life, and he called it the darkest days of his life, he was 300 pounds. And he, it includes a picture of himself with no shirt on, and he says, now at 51, I'm 222 pounds and in the best shape of my life. And, you know, yes. I mean, look, he's not... You know, he, you know, he's 51 years old, so, he, you know, he's not going to have, you know, an immaculate physique like a 25-year-old. But that being said, you know, he's trim, he looks good, and, and it's just, it's really good to see. For a guy who, I mean, we talked we talk about Charlotte a lot earlier in, the, in that. I mean, the Rhodes kids, they had, like, anyone whose parent, whose dad was a wrestler for a while in that yeah. late 70s, 80s. I mean, you're talking about, like, Dusty Rhodes was one of the biggest stars in the world at that point. You know, like he was one of the most recognizable faces. He was a huge deal in the middle to late 80s, um, even earlier, you know. And so they didn't have, they just have problems, you know, like issues, pops not around, issues with my dad, um, demons to to exercise. And I mean, both uh, both him and Cody are doing a, a fantastic job right now over in, a, in AEW. So we're up to number seven now. Billy Gunn, who may, who now makes it actually six total in the ring. He takes a big boot from Brad uh, from Bradshaw, and then Al Snow eliminates Lance Storm. Um, both men are out on the apron, back and forth. Then Billy eliminates Bradshaw from behind. So we're down to four. American badass Undertaker comes out next at eight. This is basically to me when it felt like the match started, right? You kind of you got a cool Goldust comeback, a few things, but. Now, for the first time, we've got someone who could win this thing. We've got American badass Undertaker, big heel Undertaker. He choke slams Billy. He just goes after everyone. Choke slams Goldust, tosses him, tosses Al Snow, clothesline to Rikishi, tosses Billy Gunn. Taker stands alone. Within two minutes, before the next entrance, he's th- he's tossed out everybody that was in the ring. Um, now the, the, the booking of the match I thought was pretty good, too. You get the Hardys that come out. First, Matt Hardy at 9, and then Jeff Hardy at 10. In order to turn Taker heel, they used the Hardys, who were fan favorites in 2001, to make The Undertaker a, a heel. And so it's great. We get Matt Hardy coming down with Lita, and Lita gets in the ring. They both go after Undertaker. He grabs Lita by the throat, <laughs> and then she kicks him with a low blow, and Matt and Lita are, uh, are going to work on Taker. And then number 10, it's Jeff Hardy. He runs down to save Matt, looking goofy with that hat on, what he's wearing. Um <laughs> And um, it, it was a cool spot where he Matt is uh, about to get suplexed out of the ring 
but Jeff comes up and like puts his hand up and he saves Matt. And then all three of them are working on Taker. They're stomping him out. They double team him. Uh, the both the Hardys lead us out now. And uh, Taker catches Jeff in midair and just flings him over the top rope. Then he hits a last ride on Matt and he tosses him. So after 10, it's just Taker again now with the Hardys outside of the ring. Number 11, it's Maven, your tough enough winner. Maven uh, runs into the ring He takes a boot from Taker And as Undertaker's about to easily Eliminate Maven Lita's back up on the apron And then both the Hardys go back in They go after Taker So Taker just kind of drops Maven And he's focused on the Hardys again Um, He ends up throwing both of them out again And he stares them down to trash talk And as he's looking over To trash talk Darren, we get And JR says it, and I agree The biggest Shock, upset, elimination In Royal Rumble history We get Maven, someone who Nobody even knew And he eliminates Taker This was a really cool moment even looking back Now, I wish there was More afterwards Like when we talk about things, great moments What happens after makes those Moments even greater, but just this In a vacuum, another surprise We talk about Jericho being the you know Winning the matches that he won Being the champ at this time this was hell of surprising There's no way you figured Undertaker was only going to be there In there for a few minutes And that Maven was going to be the one to eliminate him So let's let, let's, anal- let's look at both sides of it The first the first side of it Is, and I, I just spoke about this How do you shock people Right, you keep it simple This was pretty simple You have somebody that nobody's heard of Eliminate one of the biggest names in the history uh, Of the wrestling business um, And, and it's, a, it's a cool moment the stuff that happens afterwards obviously adds to it. Yeah, cool moment, shocked the hell out of me, holy shit, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now, here's my, I have two problems with it. Problem number one, did they do it just because they wanted to get heat for tough enough? Like, I, I don't remember. Was that part of the thinking of, we're going to have Maven, the big tough enough winner, come out, eliminate the Undertaker, and, and by doing that, we're going to get people to watch Tough Enough too. Like, was that part of the talking that went on behind the scenes in this decision? That's one problem. And if that's true or not, I don't know. But that, that thought is in my head. The second problem I have with it is back to the problem that Andrew talked about. You got nobody left now. Yeah. From, from eight, from nine through 21. 19 with Austin. 19's Austin. Yeah. That can win the Royal Rumble. Yeah. One. Yeah. As much as I love DDP, he ain't winning. Nope. Yeah. Christian, Scotty Tuhati, Chuck, the Godfather, Albert, Perry Saturn. Yeah. So you've created a cool moment, but you've also put yourself in a corner because you now have a run of 12 to 13 guys where only one of them has a remote chance of, of winning the Royal Rumble. Now, granted, it is the biggest name in the company at the time, but you need more than one guy. And and, and I, that was my problem with how they, they the part of the, this part of the Royal Rumble. They knew what they were doing too, Andrew, because following so that the Taker elimination happens, and then he huge pop, crazy shock. He goes back into the ring and he just lays into Maven. He ends up tossing Maven through the ropes to the outside, and one of the referees goes over and tells him. Hey, you got to eliminate him. <laughs> so he beats him up for a while outside. Then he puts him back in the ring, and then he throws him over the top, and he keeps going to work on him. 
And then they go through the audience, through the crowd, up into the concessions area and the vendors. But you could tell that even the WWF at this time knew that, hey, what's going on in the ring isn't that important. Because there was two minutes where we don't see anything of going on in the ring. And then following that, there's there's like another two-minute spurt where it happens later with the Godfather when he comes in at 16, where there's like two and a half minutes. They even have to tell us that DDP gets eliminated. So they even know... Oh hey, like this chunk right here isn't really important. Anything that's going on in the ring is no big deal. Yeah, there's a lot going on here, and a lot of that reflects some of my issues with this match. Um, I hate, absolutely hate, either outside interference in a rumble or someone coming back in after they've been tossed and doing damage. I think it's hokey. I think it makes the fact that there were three referees on the outside of the ring just twiddling their thumbs and doing nothing look like pieces of garbage. The only time it works for me is like what happened with Austin later. When they come in and they lay everybody out and then they just get on their way. They don't eliminate everyone. They just kind of like even the playing field. It's like, screw you, screw you, screw you. I'm out. Okay. At least I didn't toss anybody, you know? Right. Um, So going through this here. Taker comes out at eight, cleans house. Out come the Hardys. Gino, I'm going to need a little post-production assistance from you here. I need you to record Stephanie screaming at the top of her lungs as if she was a teenager at a Backstreet Boys or an NSYNC concert. I've said this before. I don't know why women loved the Hardys. I have no freaking idea. At this time, they both looked like a strong gust of wind could topple them over. I don't understand the appeal they had to women. But Jeff comes out, and there is this prolonged, high-pitched shriek from the female portion of the crowd. My goodness. So they do that. Taker does his thing. Lita comes in. That's squeamy. Maven runs in, hits the dropkick. And then, my goodness, poor Maven. Maven gets legitimately the crap beaten out of him. Before this show, Darren texted us and said, the chair shot Maven took may be the worst I have ever seen. (laughs) It's up there. I don't know if it was as bad as Rock laying into Foley with 9,000 unprotected chair shots. I don't know if it was that bad, but you can see it from there. And then Maven gets tossed by a guy who's not even in the match anymore. Like, I I don't even have that much of a problem if it's Taker distracting Maven and someone else who's in the match dumping him. Just that, it doesn't hit well with me. I hate it too. It's not as bad as a more recent example, which was in 2016. If you remember that rumble, that's the one where Reigns came in at one and the story was everybody in the locker room was out to get him. Well, stretchered out. Yep. Lesnar comes in, Wyatt runs in, and all of a sudden the Wyatt family is just in the ring for no reason. Yeah. They dump Lesnar, and then with no one chasing them and nobody doing anything to stop them from being there, they left. Like, okay, the leader of your faction is in the Royal Rumble, nobody's stopping you, and you're just gonna leave for no reason. This, to me, was an example of the Rumble being overbooked. It wasn't as bad as the example I just cited. It's there, 
And it's not the only example where I think WWE outsmarted themselves over the course of this match. We're up to number 12, Scotty Too Haughty. So as he walks down the aisle, Taker, this is when Taker throws Maven back inside, and he just he walks down the aisle and he just punches out Scotty, which I thought was kind of funny. He just he just fun. lays him out with one punch before he can enter. And then he just turns around, he tosses Maven over the top, he eliminates him, and then they start brawling in the crowd all the way up to the top of the building, snacks, concessions. Number 13 is Christian. He comes out. Uh, as Taker tosses Maven headfirst into a popcorn machine, and uh, the 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 spot with Taker that I thought was funny is that he grabbed a fistful of popcorn and ate it, which was good. It was like he he threw him in, then he grabbed a handful and just kind of chumps on some of the popcorn there. I like that. Um, uh, Christian is doing the spot where he's kind of like like sitting across the ring ropes and waiting. Uh, Scotty Tuati hasn't even made it into the ring yet, and then number fourteen is DDP. He hits the he comes in hits the diamond cutter to Christian. Uh, Scotty Tuati is now in the ring and he hits the worm on Christian. But then Scotty gets thrown out by DDP. We're up to number fifteen, Chuck. So he's in the ring. He makes it three. It's Christian, DDP, and Chuck. Uh, number sixteen is the Godfather with the escorts. He's gone legit, folks. He My brings God. out twelve girls. They're not the hoes anymore. It's the escort service. And for over two minutes, it's the Godfather coming out. He brings out a group of four girls. Then he bring, goes in the back. He gets another group of four. He brings them out. He comes out again. He gets another group of four. And he brings them out. He starts to walk down the aisle. He goes back down the aisle to the girls again. He's just loving it. He's having a great time. And we talk about guys who look in great shape. JR actually mentions it. At this point, the Godfather had lost like 40 pounds, 50 pounds or so. He was in the like 270 range. A guy who had many times been up over uh, 300 do you it, think the girls would have hung out with him if they showed him a, showed them a picture of Papa Shango? <laughs> or Kama I mean, Mustafa, the <laughs> supreme fighting machine? <laughs> well, let's be clear, though. I mean, right now, the Godfather's gig is in a high-profile gentleman's club in Las Vegas. Yep. yep. And there are some strange people in Las Vegas. I'm yeah. just saying, there's 12 yeah. women here. The law of averages says that if you showed them a picture of Papa Shango, at least two of them would have an improved opinion of one Charles Wright. When uh, when Stephanie and I eventually tie the knot one day, we may have to we may have to hit that boys uh, and say hi to the Godfather uh, on a, on a trip out there for a bachelor party before. Maybe something to put on the bucket list just to say why hi to the Godfather. Why would you advertise that? Just, well, why just would to you say hi ad- to the Well, no. Why would you advertise that in an avenue in which Darren's wife and my girlfriend may be <laughs> listening? Rookie mistake, Gino. <laughs> You're right. You're right. As we, as honey, we if you're listening, I have no plans to do that. I will be not a No, 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 not doing. <laughs> you know, you know what? You know what's funny is that my wife would just look at me and go, "Yeah, okay, big guy, have fun." I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not worried at all. Go ahead. Have fun. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> um, we are up to. Uh, number 17 is when Albert, the hip hop hippo come, comes in. I did not remember that at all. When they played turn it up and Albert ran, I'm like, what, what's going on for Brian here? Christopher. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking around and, um, he gets tossed by Chucky and Christian. Uh, they both dodge a hoe train, and then, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I there's no I way to, there's no way to say that. That isn't hilarious. <laughs> 
they toss the hoe train and they toss out uh, the Godfather. Uh, so Perry Saturn is in at number 18. He makes it three. And now business starts to pick up because at 19, we get Stone Cold Steve Austin out. What? A huge pot. What? 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 He what? Goes after everyone. Uh, we get the low blow to Saturn. He tosses Christian. Stunner to Saturn. Tosses Chuck. Then tosses Saturn. So it's just Austin now. And we get the great throwback to the 97 Rumble. He stands up on the ropes. He's looking at his watch. And then he goes the opposite of what Andrew just said. This is what we don't like when somebody who's not in the match eliminates someone else. How about just taking guys and eliminating them multiple times because there's nothing <laughs> else going on. This was awesome. He goes and gets Christian and he just tosses Stunner to Christian and throws him out for the second time. He goes and gets Chuck. He's like looking at his watch. Oh, still 20 seconds. Okay, cool. Let me get Chuck, bring him back in, stun this son of a bitch again, and throw his ass over the top rope. So, uh, DZ, we definitely had a lull from 11 when Maven comes in, and he eliminates from 11 through 19 here. But starting with Stone Cold, an awesome couple minutes. And then from 19 to 30, we we were, we were great. I just – it's funny because this is a – I mean, you may not get a stronger 19 through 30 coming in in any Rumble. Is that better or is it worse, right? Is it better to have a little bit of a lull in the middle like we had in the beginning here and then have a really strong one at the end? Or is it better to have some spots all the way through? I probably prefer spots all the way through, but getting here the last third was a ton of fun. And it's sort of a bummer because this was uh, this was Stone Cold's last Rumble, right? Yeah, I, be- I believe so. I don't believe... I- I don't believe it was in 2003. I think this was it. Um, yeah, to answer your question, I, I would rather have them mixed in. Because, mm-hmm. like, uh, you, like, really, you get you get Kane for a minute. You get Rob Van Dam for it's two big minutes. show. Booker yeah. T was in for 30 seconds. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could, do, you could do a lot more with these guys. And I'm not saying that Kane is the greatest worker of all time, but he's certainly more, more than – capable than most of the guys that are going to be in the ring for longer periods of time. And, and he could have, you could have, you just, you could have done a lot more. Uh, and I, and I think this is what happens when you book yourself into a corner where you got all these guys packed in and and you don't want the thing to run too long. And now you got guys getting eliminated rather quickly that you probably didn't want them to get eliminated. But yeah, Austin shows up, he goes on this wild tear and he, you know, the throwback to 97 some of these stun- stunners were not the cleanest stunners I've ever seen. No, I was uh, gonna say that's how you could tell he didn't have a whole lot left in the tank. The guy at this point he didn't, and this this was still a great. Um, the rumble is like Austin's match because it's all kicks and punches and just intensity, and that's just really what he is for the most part. Yeah, no, it, it, it and you know what? It, it he is such the the arc of of Steve Williams or Steve Austin or however you want to you know refer to him in terms of his wrestling career is so unique because if you watched Austin in the early 90s, Dangerous Alliance, Austin, Hollywood Blonde, Stud Stable, he was a damn good in-ring worker. Damn good in-ring worker. Far better of an in-ring worker at that period of time than when he was at his apex in WWE, which just goes to show you how brilliant he was in terms of his character, his mic work, his promo, and everything else he did. 
because Austin's in-ring abilities because of, you know, injuries and years of wear and tear in his body. Uh, and obviously, you know, the big injury coming to the neck at the hands of, of Owen Hart's pile driver. But, you know, the fact that he was able to get this run as his body was starting to fail him, and the fact that he was so much more of a, an accomplished in-ring technical worker, you know, 10 years before this. And there are a lot of people who just watched WWE that had no idea. I mean, he you know, came he, in as the ringmaster. As the ringmaster, yeah. But, and, and, I mean, look, guys like you and me, we saw him and said, holy yeah. crap, you know, Hollywood Blondes, it's stunning, it's stunning Steve Austin. Look at mm-hmm. this. Million, he's using the million dollar dream. Ted yeah. gave it to him, you know. Yeah. yeah, you know exactly. And 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 then, but as you were watching him, you were like, "Wow, you know." I mean, when he got to the mic work and everything, listen, he was awesome. But the guys, those of us that watched him in WCW, knew that this was not the guy. He did not have the same physical abilities as he had six, seven years earlier. One of my favorite Steve Austin matches actually came during this run. It's a great little historical curiosity. It was in June of 2002. Steve Austin, down to the last year of his career as a worker, and 53-year-old Ric Flair had a match on Monday Night Raw with one of the most interesting stipulations I think I have ever heard of. And not only did they pull it off, it's a hell of a deal. No punches. It was a pure wrestling match. I don't remember that one. They went 15 minutes, and it was damn good because it was these two guys who could write textbooks on wrestling psychology and philosophy and whatnot, just using their minds to guide everybody along through this match. Yes, Ric Flair had seen better days. Yes, Steve Austin had seen better days. Did it matter? Hell no. Austin was still capable of bringing you on that kind of journey, even with both knees shot, even with his neck shot, even with his back completely busted up. That's how good Steve Austin was. And I feel like we lose that because he was in so many cool angles, whether it was stunning Vince McMahon, bringing the beer truck to the ring, all of the what stuff. Bang three six grocery store with Booker, the stuff with Vince in the hospital and the clown. (laughs) Even in ECW, his stuff where he was impersonating Bishop, the Monday Nyquil stuff. Uncle Eric, yeah. So many cool things. Like the stuff with Edge and Christian, when Edge and Christian were were breaking in and they needed a rub and Austin gave it to him backstage. The uh, the stuff stuff that we're talking about, you know? Yeah. I mean, the stuff with Kurt Angle where they, you know. Playing the guitar and he's wearing the mini hat. They made Jimmy Crackhorn I don't care. It was so good. And we forget in all of this that Steve Austin was a world-class worker even before he came to the WWF. Kids, this is why the WWE Network is a very, very good thing. You can go down a rabbit hole of matches he had as part of the Hollywood Blondes with Brian Pillman. He had a series of matches with Steamboat. Just such a fantastic worker and a guy who reinvented himself a lot. We are up to number 20. Hello, ladies. Okay, pause. Pause. (laughs) Given how Val Venus has reinvented himself into a QAnon nut job, 
How satisfying was it to see Steve Austin kick his ass here? Just yeah. crap out of him. The big Valboski just gets absolutely crushed with stomps <laughs> by Austin. I mean, Val gets a brief offense in here before number 21 test. Talk about a guy who they wanted and they tried over and over to, to just give this guy another push. I mean, he was supposed to be Triple H. Before Triple H, he really was. I mean, they have the same look. He just doesn't have that much talent. Um, he's got a phenomenal look, though. I mean, everything that Vince would want in the look, you look at Triple H, you put them next to each other, they look like the same damn guy. Um, uh, he just couldn't connect. Whatever position they put him in, he was fine, serviceable. I wouldn't even ever say he was, like, bad, but he just he just was another guy. He just didn't connect. Um uh, let's see. So he's battling with Austin. Uh, Test and, and Val are teaming up to uh, two on one Austin here. But Stone Cold's quickly able to get the better of both of them. And uh, he tosses them both on the floor. And so now he's just kind of laying on the mat, waiting, sort of looking at his watch again, waiting for the next one to come out. And we get one of those really cool face offs that we got in 97 with Austin and Brett. I can remember the Piper Flair one in 92. There's always going to be a moment where you've got someone who's cleaning house. Punk, I think Punk had one with Triple H too in the Rumble where he's cleaning house and and then Triple H's music hits and uh Triple H takes like 3 minutes to get to the ring. No no joke. He's standing, he's soaking in water and oil and and everything just dripping and he gets down to the ring. We have a real slow face off. Nobody throws a punch yet. These guys have a lot of history from 2001, from the last couple of years. Um, and and then the hurricane spots I love too. In the in the I don't I, I don't love that it wastes a spot for someone that you just know is not going to win. But when you have the two guys in, and then Hurricane comes out. And he's looking at both of them, and they're on the ground, and he's like getting ready. He he gets up like he's gonna do a double choke slam, and they both sort of look and laugh like, "Who the hell is this guy?" And they toss him out, and then they they go battling. Uh, Farouk is number twenty four. He comes in, he hits a spine buster, but he doesn't last very long before getting thrown out by Triple H. The first one to actually last a bit here is number twenty five, Mister Perfect. Who slight tangent? So Mister Perfect, who's coming in here? He should have won the 93 Rumble, right? Like, 92, he turns, at the end of 92, he turns face. He's the baby face right there. He is hot. People are finally behind him for the first time. He sends Flair packing when he beats him the day following the Rumble. Monday Night Raw is just starting. He is the hottest as far as crowd behind Mr. Perfect as he's ever been. I would have so much love for him to win that match and have a feud with Brett. You could do whatever you want moving forward. We talk, we all talk how many times about we got stuck with Yokozuna for two years. Can you just imagine? Like, that was what I thought with him walking down to the, the aisle here. Like, man, 93, that was the year he should have won that damn rumble. And uh, we get Flair, uh, we get Perfect coming in here. And DZ, Perfect has a pretty nice run. He's in the final three. I, I'll tell you what, I thought he looked good too. Because I remember yeah. there, were, there were times where perfect uh you know at different points of wwe he, he would put on a bit of weight he would look thick and heavy i, I thought he looked pretty good here. he came out with the straps of his leotard down he, he looked good um considering everything that his body had been through and all of the injuries and everything like that um but I, I thought he had i thought he had a great performance um you know went for 15 minutes and there was a point i forget exactly when it was um 
And it might have been when they got, I don't know if it was when they got down to the final four or the final three. When Perfect was still in there. And I'm like, are they, are they really, like, is it possible? And maybe it was when Austin got eliminated and Perfect was left. And I was sitting there saying to myself, is it possible that this guy's going to win this thing? Like, they actually, for a moment, injected the thought into my head because he came in so late and, and was in the final three. Um, you know, I thought his booking in this in this match was one of the better bookings of the, of the entire Rumble match. Thought he did a great job. Thought he looked great. Um, you know, I was a look. Uh, you know, he had his rivalries with Brett, but like we've talked about so many times, I was a wrestling purist who really appreciated the worker. And Perfect could flat out work. And um, in regards to what you said. A hundred percent. If you would have gotten perfect versus Brett at that WrestleMania, and number one, it would have made the WrestleMania that much better. Probably one of one of, if not the worst WrestleManias of all time. Um, but if you think about it, you know, at the King of the Ring that year, you got a match between Perfect and Brett that many people said rivaled their SummerSlam match. Yeah, a few years earlier. And if if that would have been your main event at WrestleMania nine. Maybe you wouldn't. I understand. Well, people, not everybody went home with a bad taste in their mouth like I did because yeah. you got Hogan. Hogan. Hey, you know, I, 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 I turned that thing off and went, well, it sucked throughout and the ending sucked even more. Um, but maybe if you got perfect Brett in that in that spot for 20 minutes, maybe it makes the pay-per-view that much better and it's not viewed as horribly as it was. But it was cool seeing him show up. I, I thought he looked great and he had a cool run here. Man, I don't like saying this. I think they should have put Perfect in the spot between when Taker got bumped out and Austin yeah. came in. No, you're I right. think that's where you do the nostalgia run. Sure. I don't think you do the nostalgia run late in the match. That you, is and not... The only thing that didn't bother me is that he wasn't like over the hill old no. at this point. He wouldn't even. He didn't even feel as much of like a, like a DDP or Goldust coming in. But I agree with you in that if he's he's not going to win, then if the point is to to keep interest in the match throughout, he would have been a lot better served at number twelve to be the bridge coming up to Austin. Yup, and you know what you do if you want to give him that kind of a run, you have Austin throw everybody else out, and then you do the standoff with Austin and Perfect. That would have gotten a big reaction. Yeah. Perfect comes out, and the reaction's kind of there, but kind of not. Like, it, it wasn't Attitude Era fans. It was a weird spot because a lot of them didn't know who Mr. Perfect was. What's like, like now, was, you can imagine if he comes Kennedy, back today. But yeah, I mean, he's past, I mean, but that site, like him coming out today, obviously he's passed away. He's not coming out, but like he would get a massive response. Him yeah. coming out. Five years later, I agree with you. It was sort of weird because it's like, oh yeah, he he's just come back from W. They just didn't like he had sort of been around a little. Um, and then what they did with him after, like the way he makes such he has such a great run, and then he's just really non-existent for the following couple months. Yup, and then the plane ride from hell happens, and then oh boy, but it's it it's tough. It's one of those things where yeah, he had a really good run in the match. But it didn't wind up really helping anybody. I mean, you had a guy whose biggest contribution to wrestling the previous three years was being the lead vocalist 
for the catchy ditty known as Rap is Crap. The West Texas Rednecks, right? Yes, indeed. The West <laughs> Texas Rednecks. That song, by the way, is on YouTube if you want to rip it and download they were, it. They were playing it on the radio down south yes. all over the place. And the funniest thing was the West Texas Rednecks were supposed to be the bad guys. And they got and over. They got over as being the racist south. It was everybody just, so good. Just wanted to cheer the racist. It was just like, oh, my God. So <laughs> So we're up to number 26. Yeah, and- let's segue back into the match. We'll, we'll get back to 26. One thing that I think might have taken away a bit from the pop, if you remember, they announced that Perfect was going to be in this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which and I that- which I never I never understood. I don't like that. I well, even that. Triple H. Like, yeah. he came back and, and had, like, a week or two on Raw, but hadn't really done anything. It's like, could you imagine the pop if that would have been the first, like, the, the Triple H Raw return pop if that was here? You know, yeah. that would that would have been huge, like the ones with John Cena and with Edge when they came back and won, when we, well, didn't, we, the, we weren't the difference expecting with The difference with Triple H was he did that return, and I believe that was in Madison Square Garden, back yeah. when shows at the Garden You're right. legitimately meant something. That's a good point, yeah. So... I understood why they did that. And also you have to think that was sort of a test balloon for how they were going to book the rumble, because this wasn't a situation like with a guy like edge in 2010, where him coming back and winning the rumble made a ton of sense. They had a lot of options in 2002. If triple H came back and the crowd farted at it on raw a couple of weeks. That's a good point. That's a great point. You go, you just go in a bunch of different directions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're up to 26, and I think it, you know, I, I just don't know if I mentioned enough how damn good Kurt Angle was and how much I loved Kurt Angle for just his run. And we've seen him even in, in recent years when he didn't have as much left in the tank and after all the neck surgeries and everything. But at this point, Kurt Angle is so freaking good. The crowd, I mean, he's got everything, everything you want. He can play heel. He's not as good of a face, but... You know what? He had some damn good runs where he's like the baby face going with the milk truck. I absolutely love that stuff. This, the crowd with the you suck chance and just thinking about like him at the Hall of Fame smiling when everybody's doing you suck to him. You know, I, I, I love it. And he is just incredible. So right now we've got four in the ring. It's Stone Cold, Triple H, Mr. Perfect, and Kurt Angle. You know, like, that's a pretty good four of just, you know, we talked about some of the all-time greats. We've got one on the Mount Rushmore, and then maybe three that are in that next tier that we were talking about, you know, with with Perfect, Triple H, and and Kurt. Um, Number 27 is The Big Show. He comes out. He actually looks pretty badass here with the way his hair is kind of down. He's got a little bit of a scruff. He sort of looks like one of the tougher versions of The Big Show, but he's kind of plump. Um, he, he, he chokeslams Mr. Perfect. He heads, but headbutts Kurt Angle. He goes for the double chokeslam on Austin and Triple H, but they fight back. And pretty soon though, Big Show's got the whole ring on the floor. He picks up Angle with a gorilla press and he's about to toss him, but Triple H comes in, he makes the save and Big Show is just laying waste to everyone. He chokeslams Triple H and boom, fire. Number 28, here comes Kane. Kane and Big Show exchange some punches. Both men go for the choke slam. Kane picks up Big Show and he just body slams him right over the top rope. He just flings him there. And and then Angle, he hits an Olympic slam to Kane right after. So we're back down to those same four. 
Big Show was in this match for 2 minutes and 45 seconds Kane was in this match for 1 minute and 2 seconds Which is pretty crazy I mean, two guys that are always at least huge pieces of the Rumble In that, oh, you think of them on lists of guys who could win They're big, dominating, who usually have a lot of eliminations And usually take a few guys to team up to get them out They were just in and out quickly So I think DZ, before we get to the last two, 28-29 That was, like, these two guys, how they were used in this match Is probably, I think, the biggest gripe Maybe the last four guys, how they were used in this match Is my biggest gripe Andrew mentioned Rob Van Dam earlier Even a Booker T Like, throw, we don't think Booker T is going to win But he was still towards the main event at this time He was still on the upper mid-card main event He would have been a guy that he was in Doing stuff with Austin here and there The Rock here and there He just lost the number one contender match to The Rock He's in the mix here So I think my main gripe is just I would have liked a little more from Big Show, Kane, RVD, and Booker T It looks great on paper um, But when they're only in For none of them are in for more than two Than three minutes Like sort of what Andrew was saying earlier What kind of impact does it have? Yeah, and, and Rob Van Dam the pop that he got when when he came out, I, I think it was almost a pop of that they thought he was going to win. Uh, when he came out at twenty nine, I think they thought that that was going to be that that this was the year for him. I mean, in a flash, he's gone. Like two minutes, just insane. But that's I mean they they really booked themselves into a corner with and we've talked about how they stacked the the back end of this. Um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, you get a you get a cool final four. You know, you get Austin, perfect, you know, Angle, Triple H. It's a, it's one of the better Final Fours that we've seen in terms of, you know, characters and, and talent. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, you know, it was a good rumble, but, you know, there were things that they could have done better, as, as we've pointed out. I've got a couple of problems here. So um, we've mentioned Triple H saving Angle from Big Show. JR actually passes it off with something that makes sense by saying that at this point they see Big Show as the bigger obstacle than Kurt Angle because Big Show's a freak of nature. And that's fine and dandy. However, Angle tries to eliminate Triple H, and for some reason, Austin saves Triple H. Yep. I hate it. This is such basic rumble storytelling of every man for himself. Why are you doing this? You can't explain it. It doesn't make any sense. And it just, it works against the concept of this match. I don't like saying this because I love this man's contributions as an announcer. I love him as a writer. I have both of his books. They're great. JR is flat wrong. He called Big Show the biggest man in the history of sports entertainment. Yeah, he's not bigger than Andre. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, Andre was 7'4", and if we're going by kayfabe, everyone's favorite, Giant Gonzalez, was 8 feet tall. I mean, we had so Haystacks, Calhoun, and guys like that even through the year, which, you know, um, you're Mabel, right. Mabel, Mabel, yeah, Big Daddy V. You're right. Like, it, it, I didn't even think about that, but it is funny because JR is the last person to mention something like that when it's wrong. I mean, it sounds like Vince was in his ear because Vince was also the guy 
trying to push people talking about how, boy, you don't understand how big the big show is until you see him. His hands are the size of frying pans. Da, Although da, I da, wonder da, da, here, he's just got his ass kicked before. Like, do you think he's in their ear right now after his Gino, match? you're forgetting something. Vince is a complete and total psychopath. Yeah, you're right. You're he right. would absolutely be on the be on bleeding, the headset for bleeding this one. through the into the headset. Yes. <laughs> He'd be bleeding on the table in front of him. I yeah. mean, yeah, there'd be guys trying to stitch him up and he'd be screaming, God damn it, he was supposed to go out 10 seconds ago. Yeah. That's my that's my best Vince. It's not very good. But so we're to the final two. Yeah. Um yeah, we're down to Rob Van Dam at 29. He I thought it was funny. He almost slips on the ring apron when he he's he's coming in and he like yeah. he's running. And he takes his, he hops up onto the ring apron because he's getting excited. He's about to jump up and do his fry, his five star frog splash, but he almost slips, and and uh, it, it's not a big deal. But it's just like, oh no! And then he he jumps up and he hits a clean five star frog splash on Kurt about three quarters of the way across the ring. We get Rob Dam and his educated feet all over House of Freaking Fire, Rolling Thunder to Austin, but then Triple H catches him, hits a pedigree, and he's out cold. So we've got five in the ring now, one still to come. It's Booker T who walks in, and Rob Van Dam is just laying still out from the pedigree, and he just picks him up and he tosses him, and that's it. Um, then Booker gives us a spinner Rooney, and he gets stunnered over the top rope. So Booker's in there for 33 seconds. He's out. We're down to the final four. Austin, Triple H, Mr. Perfect Angle. We get an angle slam to Austin, then to Triple H. Austin is working on uh, perfect and angle comes from behind and eliminates Austin stone cold is pissed. He pulls Mr. Perfect outside. Then angle actually heads outside of the ring and he tosses Austin into the steel steps. We've got three actually left in the ring. Austin goes and grabs a chair. He hits everyone with the chair just because we now have all three men laying out in the ring as Austin walks back down the aisle. He really Stops and turns around for a second And he kind of takes it all in I almost wonder like where he was mentally With his career You know like if he was knowing like That was my last rumble Or that was my last Because he had a real It was it almost like when he stopped And he, he turned around It looked like he was going to come back in the ring And hit everybody with a chair again But he was just kind of looking at the crowd You know and, and knowing where his career was at at the time It's interesting to see when guys you know, I always wonder if they're aware of yeah, this this might be it for me. I don't have a whole lot left in the tank. Um, we're now down to three. All three men are just laying out in the ring, and uh, it, perfect hangs on. Looks like he's about to get eliminated. Then he hits a perfect plex, and this is probably the moment where Darren was like, "Oh crap, is this guy like <laughs> like yeah. he's the one standing and and like dishing out offense?" He hits that awesome neck snap that uh that. Only Mr. Perfect can do But then he runs right into Triple H Who tosses him out So we're down to two uh, Triple H and Kurt Angle Angle tosses Triple H He thinks he wins It's almost like the 95 Rumble Where Bulldog's sort of celebrating And then Sean comes back in They don't go all the way with it though And Kurt is able to recover And we get a, a little back and forth Between Triple H and Kurt But Triple H able to get the better of Kurt To win Triple H with the victory I mean... And we had a lot of, like, we dug into this rumble, and we had a lot of things that we said that we didn't love. I actually think it's a very good rumble, and it's got a ton of star power, which is what I really want. It's just very easy when we go back and we can can critique it a little and say, oh, this would have been so much better if they were five spots up or this or that, which, you know, to be fair, this is one thing that Pat Patterson always did really well. It's just... 
this this was like a rumble that I think was a B that I probably with with a few changes could have very easily made like an A minus into an A. Yep, I I, I completely agree. Um, you know, just moved a few things around, booked a few things differently. You know, I, I think having Perfect come in earlier would have you could have had Perfect go in there for you know thirty minutes if you want. You know, you could have really you could have had Perfect come in at you know uh, I don't know uh, thirteen. 12 and had him last to the final three. That would have been fine. You know, you could have had people buy into the fact that, holy crap, maybe this guy's actually going to win, you know, this thing. You could have had that Austin perfect moment that you guys talked about before. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, I, 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 it's an enjoyable rumble. Uh, I would agree. I would give it around a B. Um, it did have potential to be more. Um, this is, you know, we're getting towards the end of the Attitude Era. So, you know, things are about to change a little bit in, in the company. We're going to start to see some different things. But, yeah, it, it's a good rumble. It's, it's not bad by any stretch. Yeah, I think you guys pretty much nailed it. When I saw the lineup for this rumble, when I was looking it up after we picked the last show, I went, okay, this is going to be really good. And it's not like it was bad, but it, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're a parent of an incredibly gifted child and the child comes home with a B in science on the report card, you're saying, look, this is fine. I can't be incredibly mad at you, but I know you can do a lot better than this if you'd applied yourself. It's like that. I mean, we get Steve Austin in his last rumble. We get a really fun elimination with Taker where he gets dumped by someone nobody's ever heard of yet. It doesn't hurt Taker in the slightest, which is very difficult to pull off. We get perfect coming back. We get a lot of star power. It's just so many simple tweaks could have elevated this from being a rumble that's probably in the bottom rungs of my top 10 to a top three or four. It would not have taken much. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of, I mean, we, we spent two hours going through it. I, not a whole much more to say about it, but a fun a fun show. Um, I'm, I'm glad I picked this one. It's not a show where I, and, and it's quick. It's two hours and 45 minutes, right? It's not four hour. It's not like a, one of these longer pay-per-views like nowadays. It gets through it quick. Everything moves really quick. All the stuff at the beginning that isn't as good is short. And then for about a good hour and a half, you get, the second half of Vince Flair, which is a lot of fun. You get the Rock Jericho, which is a blast. And then you get the Rumble. And, you know, it's like any even the worst Rumbles are fun. And this was a better than average, I, th- I think, top 10. Once you start looking at it, it's probably closer to like a top 7-ish, just based on like the who's who of this, is in this match. So, um, yeah, this was a good one. And some like behind baseball, we've been recording some of these that have been playing a little later. Um, we are actually recording this on like the night of January the 19th This will end up playing before the Royal Rumble um, So I wanted to make sure we get all the Rumbles out there before But you, we're also going to do, uh, if you're listening to this Make sure to, to check out, we're going to do a Royal Rumble preview For the 2021 Rumble Where we all talk about who's entered in the men's and women's Some of the, what we, what we think could happen um, What we think will happen, what we would like to happen We'll do a nice big preview prediction show and then uh, we'll get back through February to the uh, the old wrestling rewatches. So it's our boy Andrew Champagne who is up next with his selection. Andrew, uh, where are we going to be headed in a few weeks to talk uh, uh, for your selection? 
I want it known that you guys did everything possible to postpone my next turn. Oh, Darren and I talked about it. Every week we texted, hey, what else could we do this week just to push Andrews back another few weeks? We don't even yeah. want to give this guy the, the, the chance to pick something. Yeah, <laughs> so we're gonna do next week we're going to do Super Bowl stuff, and then we're going to do <laughs> training, and then we're going to do March Madness. We're not watching this show until April, pal. We're going to do a full I show mean, on Springer to the Ast- uh, from the Astros to the Toronto Blue Jays. Anything? <laughs> a fun fact, I went to high school with George Springer's wife. Oh, cool. Uh, throwing that out there. Uh, she went to the University of Albany and played D1 softball. She raked. The joke I make is Springer is not even the best hitter in his own family. Um, <laughs> having said that, am I correct to say that this is going to go live after the Rumble? So we're going to be done with Rumble season at when the my pick airs. That'd be to you, Gino. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. So we'll, we'll repeat one more time. Sorry. I, I... Sure. No problem. So... Am I correct to say that the show I'm picking will talk about and it'll go live after the Royal Rumble this year? Yeah, it'll be a few days after. It doesn't mean okay. you can't pick a Rumble. That's fine. You can I, pick a Rumble if you want. It'll just I be a few days following the Rumble. I was between a couple and it doesn't feel right if we're doing it after. The one cool. we are not going to do, I almost picked the 2008 Rumble where Cena comes back because yeah. I thought that was really cool. However, there is a glaring omission in our library, gentlemen, possibly the most significant wrestling show of my lifetime. And we haven't done it, gentlemen. It's been 25 years this summer. We are going back to Ted Turner's WCW to Chronicle Bash at the Beach, oh. 1996. There we go. We had to Darren's do it once. Point. boy, the immortal Hulk Hogan, Drops the leg on Randy Savage, is pelted with garbage, and the Monday Night War kicks into a gear that I don't think anyone saw coming. But whose side is he on when Bobby yeah. the Brain says that? When Hulk Hogan, it's Hulk Cody Shabani, it's Hulk Hogan, and he said, "God, the the hearing Bobby, I told you." I told you guys. I've been telling you for years. This guy is garbage. He's tra- oh yeah. I do. I do love that point. And yep. And I'm glad. And it's it's going to be a phenomenal show. DZ, you and I, like we didn't love this WCW era nearly as much. We're WWFers, WWE lifers. But I will say this is a damn fun show to discuss because we're going to be able to talk about the creation of the NWO Hogan, who is such a, like a lightning rod for our conversations here because he's such a polarizing figure. I'm, I'm pumped that we have, we have this one to talk about because this was definitely going to be on the, the, the checklist. We were going to have to get to this show at some point. There's another really good match on this show that gets completely slept on. It might be one of the best openers in wrestling history. Rey Mysterio, when he is tearing it up in 96 at the peak of his powers, going against Psychosis, and there are people that say that is a five-star match. Yes, the main event gets all the plaudits, and justifiably so. It's a pretty good undercard as well. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I just love, I'm going to love hearing Darren have to talk about Hulk Hogan and how brilliant (laughs) this was, because I know how difficult it's going to be to hear him do that. I'm just excited to talk about Steve McMichael versus Joe Gomez. Oh, hey, yeah. <laughs> that's a main event anywhere in the country, pal. <laughs> Joe Gomez. How did he get onto a pay-per-view? <laughs> Shout out Scott Keats' blog of doom. <laughs> Joe Gomez is the favorite wrestler of that community. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. So this will be a ton of fun. 
um, in a, in a few weeks, and uh, we'll have some fun talking Rumble before that. So DZ Andrew Champagne, love you boys again. It was a, it was a blast talking about this one with you, Darren. Give us your plugs first, and then Andrew. Yep, at the track seven uh, over there on Twitter. Uh, always giving out some thoughts in the world of horse racing. Uh, we got some big stuff coming up uh, this weekend uh, with the Pegasus World Cup, and then getting into you know obviously the end of the NFL playoffs, the Super Bowl. A uh, whole bunch of uh, man, uh, NFL. I you saw the prop bet that I lost, Gino. Uh, oh God, it was a nasty. Oh, Andrew, did you see this prop bet that I got beat on? I did not know, but I want to hear the story. So, well, the I, I go through the game, the the Brown versus Chief game, and I basically handicap the game. Whereas I don't think the Browns are going to be nearly as explosive offensively as people think they are, and I think that basically the Chiefs are just going to put up a pile of yards. Uh, so it's a, I think it was a five, it was either a five or a six way prop parlay that included the Browns being under 10 and a half points um, in the first half, which hit the total being under 29 and a half points in the first half, which hit uh, Travis Kelsey being over his yards, which I believe was somewhere around uh, 95 and a half. Tyreek Hill being over his yards, which was 86 and a half. Baker Mayfield Mayfield being under his yards for the game, which was 260 and a half. The last part of the equation was Patrick Mahomes going over 320. Oh, no. Oh, no. It was nasty. And he, I mean, and and he was at 255 with about five or six minutes to go in the third quarter. So there's no way that he was not getting another. None. 65 yards it the, the <laughs> that's a nasty bait that's as bad as they get the odds on the parlay were plus 2608 and you <laughs> lose like that way you lose because of an injury like, it's no. the eight that's the killer 2600 would have been and eh, whatever 2608 yes oh. yeah and yeah. you needed you get everything else to go right for you. That's just a sour, well, yeah. You, sour you that so well, and you're right on every single point of the game. And when I saw that guy try to get up and wobble, I went, "You've got to be kidding me!" You know, like come. And that I mean, listen, it, that's why it's gambling. I know that more than anybody else. You know, we had we had some good opinions. Hopefully, we can get back on track and and land something good. Uh, you know, in the uh, championship games, and then ultimately in the in the Super Bowl. But we'll have lots of good stuff uh, coming up with racing, football, heading into baseball, March Madness at the Track Seven on Twitter. At Andrew Champagne on Twitter, uh, lots going on here as well. Pegasus World Cup, as Darren mentioned, this week's edition of Champagne and JD. We'll have Barry Spears joining the show to talk about nice. the Saturday card at Gulfstream. A lot going on elsewhere as well. Uh, it's uh, the one thing I will say, I'm still a little bit rattled by Darren's story is as a Michigan fan, I was moved by the fact that after my goodness, what seems like 30 years away from his alma mater, Chad Henney finally got revenge against the state of Ohio. <laughs> Here we go. That's great. I didn't even put that two and two hail, together. Hail to Michigan. Hail, well, hail, our victors valiant. We're a basketball school now. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. 
That is great. Well, uh, fellas, this was a lot of fun, and you'll hear Darren and Andrew uh, each and every week here on the old wrestling rewatch and, and plenty of other things. I, I take advantage of these guys in, uh, for as many uh, as many different uh, things to cover as I, as I possibly can. So, fellas, have another great one, but folks, don't go anywhere. There's plenty more still here on That's What G Said. That'll do it for this week's episode. A big thanks to Chris Griffin, to Sam Sherman. Big thanks to Chad Koopaloop this week in wrestling. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali with the old wrestling rewatch. Make sure to follow me along on social media at It's Me, Gino B. We're going to be talking a ton of Sam Houston this weekend, in particular on Sunday. Really be covering that big card uh, on Twitter. And then, of course, with the Royal Rumble rolling right on afterwards. So, Folks, I hope you had a, a, a nice uh, time along with us here. Another long ride of That's What G Said. Have a great weekend. Good luck in all your wagers. And we'll be back again with a couple episodes next week. Joey, buddy, let's close it out.